everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets Patreon Special Edition number 68. I'm your host, Chris Zelda, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, it's time to go back to Titan Gate as we resume where we left off at March of 1992. And uh, yeah, this is going to be another one of those shows. Yeah, we've got, I think, about another month or so, another four weeks or so. And it's not going to be as dense as uh, part one, but we're still in a fairly dense part of the coverage. Yes, and uh, we'll have all kinds of uh, stuff playing off the last show, which, of course, the last show had a lot of uh, sensitive content, so I guess go ahead and get the disclaimer. Yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably listened to part one, and so I don't need to go too deep into it, but yes, because we're still fairly early on and still a lot of specific stuff breaking. If you think there's stuff that you might find uh, triggering or otherwise upsetting in terms of the discussions of or descriptions of, in some cases, sexual assault and child abuse and things like that, then this might not be the show for you. So, like like I said, you know, if you listen to part one, you get the idea. But still, you know, want to put that in there and in the description and all that. But, Yeah. So, we still got plenty of steroids and stuff, too. I don't know how much Hulk Hogan cocaine we have this time, though. Well, we got other stuff involving one Vincent man, so uh, we'll get to that as we go along. But, all right, let's pick up where we left off as we start with the week of March the 23rd, 1992. Let's do the roll call. New York Post, March 23rd. USA Today, March 24th or 25th. Washington Post, March 25th. For us, a torch, March 26th. The Allentown Morning Call, March 27th. Charleston Post-Courier, March 29th, and The Observer, March 30th. And we begin with the New York Post and Phil Mushnick's column on March 23rd. Four people who have spoken out against long-time drug abuse and sexual misconduct within the World Wrestling Federation have, in recent days, received anonymous physical, threat, physical threats or warnings. Okay. We know of Billy Jack Haynes and John Arezzi. Yeah. Um, do we have any idea who the other two are? Which we talked about in the previous show, where Arezzi seems totally legit, and Billy Jack. Well, the Arezzi stuff I don't think's even been reported yet at this time. The Billy Jack stuff has. Yeah, Billy Jack, uh, you know. I, I can uh, so see I, it, I, I, li- but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Bo James thought, you know, he mentioned it to us in the DM that he, he agreed with me. It was, it was Portland, guys, so... Oh. Well, I thought he was talking more about the rib story. Nice to everything. Okay. Well, they've already been messing with him of late, so. Yeah. Um, I I guess Barry Orton probably had some. Yeah. Um, maybe Hodgson, you know, or Hankins. I mean, those are the two that was left, Uh... I would think. I mean, Hodge, well, obviously they're not going after the Coles at this point. No. Whoever would be doing anything like that. Yeah. Um, I would guess Orton and Hodge. But Hodgson, they, it seems like they have an idea what they have with Hodgson by this point. So I don't know if there would be any. Well, let me put it this way. If it was coming from WWF, actually coming from WWF, I don't think it would be. They would actually threaten Hodgson. Who knows where they're actually coming from in the first place. Um, exactly. So... They're the ones that make the most sense just in terms of who would be considered targets. Yeah. So now we go, though, to the Observer cover story to start off the meat of this. All right. So the Observer cover story just days away from WrestleMania. And where's the buzz? 
with the biggest wrestling show of the year on the horizon, Dave means WrestleMania, not Geraldo Rivera 2020, the main news seems to be still in another direction. Mainstream media attention towards pro wrestling seems to have died down since our last press time, save two articles in the New York Daily News. Where it goes from here is anyone's guess, so where it should go for that matter. A couple minor talk shows, Geraldo Rivera's Now Can Be Told, and Dave Lee's The Montel Williams Show, will be doing follow-up pro wrestling scandal shows. Rivera's show is still to be scheduled for early next week's air, air date, probably on Tuesday. Montel is scheduled for attending Monday taping only a few days later. No word about 2020 other than it was scheduled to run sometime in the next few weeks. Well, with, with the start at the beginning with WrestleMania, where's the buzz? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe this did have something to do with it, possibly, but it seems like when you look at the WrestleManias up until this point in time, this was the one that had like the least buzz going into it for whatever reason. Um, I don't know if I, maybe it was the fact that the the main event matches weren't WrestleMania main event matches, if you know what I mean on that. You know, even I though you know. have Hogan, even though you have Hogan in one and Savage in the other, Sid's not a, a guy who ha- is a top guy really yet. He's, I mean, he's being pushed in that direction, but he's not a Hulk Hogan WrestleMania challenger push-wise. Even though they did the angle, but it's only been going on for, what, two months? Yeah. And then Savage, Savage and Flair is got the, the big angle with the Elizabeth stuff going on, but that's, <clears throat> that's not a WrestleMania angle, a WrestleMania angle, so to speak, but in this era's... Um, tone of a WrestleMania angle, you know, it's a pro wrestling angle more than the WrestleMania angle. I mean, it's not a, it's not an angle that is designed to bring in casual fans. No. So there's not, there's nothing on the hook to bring it. I mean, cause you look at the previous WrestleMania, you got Hogan and Slaughter, which, you know, that's the war thing. Yeah. The one before, one before that's Hogan warrior, which I, you know, well, and also we should say you have then have the next two biggest stars in the company fighting in a match where the loser must retire as well as at seven. Yeah, but it, yeah, and, and that's a big deal. But Hogan Slaughter is the, the hook. Thing. Yes. Yeah. Even, even if realistically Warrior Savage was probably the bigger actual draw. It's arguable. Yeah. I mean, you look at the advertising, though, it's all about Hogan and Slaughter. Yeah. Uh, and then you look at. WrestleMania, you know, four or five. WrestleMania five, Hogan Savage, huge angle, you know, the big turn. Yeah. WrestleMania four, the tournament with Hogan and Andre meeting for the first, you know, the first time since the the big main event thing. WrestleMania three, self-explanatory, and then the first WrestleMania, self-explanatory. So this one, I mean, th- this is the one that doesn't have that oomph factor to it to appeal to a mainstream ca- uh, casual fan base. Say, I mean, even with the scandals involved, it just doesn't have that juice. Yeah, even, even with two, you had the football player battle royal. You had T. Piper in the boxing match. And Bundy, while not necessarily a WrestleMania caliber main event with the storyline hook, was still something that they heated up off of a Saturday night's main event angle. But again, it's yeah, it's also deep into the NBC run at this point in time. And it's got the heavy commercial backing. WWF's not on NBC anymore. They had the last Saturday Night Main event on Fox. 
You know, it's it's totally different. It's just a different thing. Wrestling was going down. That's another thing too. No matter what, with the scandals going on, wrestling was on the downward spiral. The scandals were just part of the whole thing, but wrestling was going down anyway. And in the mainstream point of view. And so. to go to that too, I don't have it in front of me, but when I was looking for, you know, mainstream stuff to include on ProQuest, um, I did see some syndication ratings. <sighs> think maybe for february so even before the scandals and remembering that the remember the wwf syndication ratings are bullshit it is a cumulative combination of every syndicated show plus a specific percentage i forget the exact numbers on of the cable shows it's nonsense and that still was way down like the peak when we've gone over some of that stuff from like late 80s would be like what nine or ten cumulative ratings something like that yeah they were at like low to mid threes yeah it, it, they had dropped and like i said there was a variance of factors involved yes and that's and yeah and when we talk about and you know it was right in front of me when they when we talk about how american gladiators pulled ahead that's the one airing of american gladiators outrating this bullshit cumulative number yeah. All right. Uh, so let's go to USA Today now. We'll switch gears and go to Steroids Panel. Representatives of the National Football League and the NBA will attend a panel discussion today about steroids at the Plaza Hotel in New York. Sponsored by Titan Sports, parent company of the World Wrestling Federation. The symposium features Dr. Mauro Di Pasquale, author of the Anabolic Steroid Side Effects, Facts, Fiction, and Treatment, and Dr. Kim Jasper. Head of the Los Angeles-based Comprehensive Drug Testing, which serves the NBA and the International Olympic Committee. Let's go to the Observer. The WF will be holding as a disrun a steroid symposium for the media on March 24th at the Plaza Hotel in New York with Dr. Mauro Di Pasquale of Wharton, Ontario, as the main speaker, who is considered one of the leading experts in the Western Hemisphere on the subject of metabolic steroids in sports and author of Drug Use and Detection in Amateur Sports. In his update number four of his book, De Pasquale wrote, many people feel that drug testing has stopped the use of drugs by athletes and thus has made competition fairer. Unfortunately, nothing could be farther from the truth. Our present knowledge in the fields of endocrinology, physiology, pharmacology, analytical chemistry, and biotechnology on which the validity of drug testing depends is inadequate for dealing with the inventiveness of athletes who continue to use drugs in spite of comprehensive drug testing programs. Update number three said anyone who feels that the use of drugs in sports can be eliminated is being naive because of a societal makeup and the nature of the athlete. The elimination of drug use in sports is a theoretical impossibility. With this given, the whole purpose of drug testing must be reexamined. If drug use by athletes can't be stamped out, why test at all? After all, testing may only allow the more sophisticated and wealthier athletes to use more expensive, undetectable drugs and masking agents, as well as allowing them, by means of frequent time urine analyses, to cut a fine line to when to go off those banned drugs, which cannot be effectively masked. In the end, the best that drug control can hope to achieve is a decrease in drug use. Those who argue that drug testing only forces the athlete to use drugs, which are more dangerous. Editors note, some steroid experts claim steroid testing forces athletes from switching from the less dangerous injectables to oral steroids, which actually have a shorter detection time, but are much harder on the kidneys and liver, are also being naive. Athletes would use whatever helps their performance. The more dangerous drugs, as well as the established erogenic aids, will likely be used regardless of the doping control. His writings seem to indicate a straightforward approach to the subject, 
Although there are many who decry him for teaching athletes how to be steroid tests. <clears throat> well, I mean, it, it, he's pretty much predicting what's going to happen in the future here with regarding the wealthier athletes or whatever, finding the better ways of getting around this in professional sports. Absolutely. Yes. Um, also interesting to note at this point, um, DePascali, I think, is replacing Anthony Daly as administrating the program already here. Was Dr. David Black – I forget. Did we talk about Dr. David Black in part one or did he come up on a weekly show recently? Like maybe that last 92 show. Uh, he was on the first Patreon show. Okay. He did. So that's, there, that's so, the last one. So he was on a regular show. We thought about him. So that means that if what we're reading here too is correct with what Dave said, what they've claimed about David Black being their drug testing lab guy since the beginning isn't not true. It seems like they switched, right? Yeah. To this uh, Doctor Jasper, <clears throat> unless um, because because uh, yeah, because Doctor David Black's not Los Angeles based anyway, so. That's interesting. As far as these Pascali, I mean, look, if if the goal was to have someone counseling everyone to be drug tests, then the WWF in the next three or four years would have looked a lot different. Mm -hmm. It seems like because look, like we said before, once the heat really gets going in '92, it does seem like Vince was genuine about trying to get steroids out of the company. And it seems like he went with DePascali because he thought he was the best man for the job. Like, whatever you can say about Vince with a lot of stuff we've talked about here, it does seem like at this point he's relatively genuine about steroids. You know, as we'll see later in the show when it comes to Sid being suspended and fired, too. Yeah. So, more on that as it comes along. Also... (laughs) More on that next week when everyone reads it, but um, boy, does that USA Today piece feel nice and conveniently helpful for the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> yeah. For more on that, listen to the Dave Meltzer versus the World Wrestling Federation edition of the Patreon show from last year. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go back to USA Today. WF aims to take down drug users by Richard Finn. The World Wrestling Federation will try and put a body slam on steroid use by its wrestlers of what is billed Tuesday as state-of-the-art drug program. We will be the standard bearer to all sports, pro and amateur, to follow in the terms of their type of procedures. WF President Vince McMahon said that the nearly $1 million program is scheduled to begin on May the 1st. McMahon said tests last November showed nearly 50% of wrestlers use anabolic steroids. He said his number is down 15% in the testing done this month. The program's director, Dr. Marlon Di Pasquale, promised to erase all future use of with testing procedures. The level of sophistication to beat this drug test is not there, and I can't even beat the test, said Di Pasquale, author of numerous books on drug use by athletes. They don't have to be clean in May. Beyond IOC, standards. Wrestlers will face a six-week suspension without pay for a first offense, followed by a three-month suspension. A third positive test will result in dismissal. Boy, Steve Planamena must have a buddy there, huh? <laughs> eh? WWE knows how to work work the work the room with these uh, mainstream outlets. What can you say less so then though? Eh. They had, they they had their ways. 
Yeah. Um, Nobody really could have. Hey, some of these places could have really, you know, put the put a nail in their coffin, but yes. didn't do it. I like that it says the number's down 15%, but not indicating do they mean it went down to 35% or it went drop or there was a 15% drop to 42.5%. Yeah. Because those are two very different numbers. <laughs> but they, yeah. they, they've got some allies here. Um, probably some of the proof of some of those allies is that barely anyone is talking about this as we go back to the Observer. A few notes on the subject of Tom Cole, the former day of Ream Boy, who was the subject of so much attention the past few weeks. Cole apparently received $50,000. We reported the figure 70000 because that is one of the parties of ball claimed to what reporter for two years back pay from Titan and went back to work as a Ring Boy this past week. It was a no-cut contract, as reported here last week. Cole's attorney, Alan Fuchsberg, wrote a letter to the New York Post. No, you, you misread that, Chris. It was not a no-cut contract, as we wrote, as we reported here last week. Okay. Cole's attorney, Alan Fuchsberg, wrote a letter to the New York Post complaining about Phil Munchak's story this past Wednesday and saying that he never said Titan Sports would make a public admission that the charges were true, although Munchak claims that both Fuchsberg and Lee Cole, Tom's older brother, told him Titan would make the admission. Titan's posture in this publicly thus far has been not to address the question of Cole's charges and to simply say he's now working for them. There is some controversy whether or not an interview cold tape before the settlement, for now it can be told, will run when they do the settlement next week. Speaking of so what similar subject, while Dave can't say so for sure, he's pretty sure the rumors of Pat Patterson and Terry Garvin are now employed by the WBF aren't true. <laughs> I am guessing the joke there is that Vince said that they would never work for the World Wrestling Federation again, and, spe- and that I don't think he ever said Titan Sports. Yeah. So, okay, we, we, cause we, cause I actually have the letter. We talked about this a little bit last time. Um, I don't know who I believe here. Cause whatever you want to say about Phil Mushnick, does anyone really think he'd be making this stuff up? Maybe he was told things that wasn't true. Well, he's saying that Fuchsberg told him those things though. And then Fuchsberg saying he did not say that. Well, <laughs> Who knows? I mean, Fuchsberg could have done that and now is saying he didn't. Okay, real quick. You're, you he said, is a lawyer. Okay. He, <laughs> uh, okay, it was – did not – okay, the, the, the Mushnick article did not – does not fairly explain Tom Cole's decision to accept McMahon's offer to reinstate with the WWF. First, at no time did Vince McMahon acknowledge having known of the sexual misconduct claims made by Cole well, maybe not in the settlement discussions. And I was misquoted by – Mushnick, as I did not say that McMahon had offered to make an admission that the sexual misconduct claims made by Cole are true. After meeting with my client, I am convinced Mr. McMahon and his wife, Linda, believe Tom Cole. And to my knowledge, he has not since said what Mr. Cole alleged was untrue, but only that he had taken steps to to be sure that such things did not reoccur in the WWF. Um, Also in the letter, you know, talking about how the back pay was not for ring boy work. It was for the warehouse job he had just started and then got fired from after he turned down the Terry Garvin advances, um, which, so it was just $25,000 per year for that. Um, I'll, I'll read this last paragraph cause I don't think I did last time. And again, this, this is from March 18th, the day, the day that the column ran in the post. 
Obviously, Vince McMahon is trying to save the company and in doing so continues to fight those who attack him. However, this should not be confused with what my client and I perceive as a definite effort on the part of WWF to strain out the problems uh, that may have existed there and to make the company squeaky clean from here on in. The WWF's appeal is to youngsters, among others, and it is in their interest to so straighten out their act. Those who want to bring the WWF to its knees will not understand but to those whose interest is to see change at the WWF, then Tom should be viewed as a person who had the dignity to reject sexual harassment and to come forward about it. The effect of him and other employees doing so has been for the good, good excuse me, been for the good as it has changed the company. Perhaps it is now time for Phil Mushnick, who has done much to expose the problem, to take a more positive outlook. Sincerely, Alan L. Fuchsberg. BCC Linda E. McMahon. Interesting. And we get something that is going to become a little bit of a pattern. No mention of the Mel Phillips stuff at all. No, nothing. Which, as we get to some things that Steve Planamena said, becomes very interesting. Um, I'm assuming he said something that Mushnick interpreted as saying Vince would say that the char- the charges were legitimate. I I just don't I don't see him making something up out of whole cloth in the scenario. Even if Phil Mushnick is not the most uh, outside of this WWF coverage is not the most. Uh, what would you say? What's the best word to look for here? Uh, reputable, upstanding. Yeah, I would say upstanding. Maybe you know the the man who wrote the uh, infamous New York N words uh, column. Yes, yes. Um, you brought up Mel Phillips. Yes. All right, so when is the last time you think Mel Phillips appeared on television, WF? On the syndicated shows? Yes. You actually know this or you're asking me to guess? I'm or, just, or... I, I have something to say, but I'm just I'm curious to see what you would say, what you think. <laughs> That he was on one of the main shows. I'm sure he's that been on he was prim- working at working as a ring announcer. I'm going to guess at some point in '91 on prime time from like a secondary, like a Canadian house show or something. You're wrong. Mm. I, I was watching January '92 WF television, and he does the announcing at one of the Texas tapings. The one, uh, the. The one before uh, Tuesday, or at one after Tuesday in Texas. Okay, so the, he's the, the Wednesday night taping. Yeah, yep, he's the ring announcer. So he's on WF television all through January, early January '92. Hmm. Yeah, which makes that whole Vince thing lined by him. You know, last show, occasional labor and all this other stuff. He just was on your fucking television. <laughs> So, yeah. And he also just worked the Tokyo Dome show in December, too. Yeah, but that's Japan. But I'm saying he was, he was just on your American television shows in January. At the, I mean, who knows? He could have been on there after that. That's just where I'm at, where I've seen it lately. So, yeah. But there you go. All right. Uh, back to Dave. A spokesperson for Larry King's show on CNN said on Monday in response to numerous inquiries about when King would do a follow-up show on pro wrestling, as he indicated he would at the end of the show last Friday. We've gotten a lot of calls, and we've become more and more aware that Vince McMahon said little of the truth, but we have to move on to other things. 
Surprisingly, Provost Illustrated's weekly newsletter did a straightforward feature on the subject with many quotes from the King Show. And Dave's told all the magazines, and that family will cover the story as well, which is quite a breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. And, you know, I, and look, I haven't looked at this stuff in quite a long time. But the recollection I have is that within the limitations of what you could put in Pro Wrestling Illustrated in that family of magazines in 1992, they did a pretty admirable job. Well, here's the thing with with, um, PWI. Yeah. It started to, I mean, even the magazine started to change in 91, 92. It started to become more of a, yeah, we do have kayfabe stuff in here as well, but we will acknowledge stuff. Yes, that change started in the, in this era. Yeah, and then we, and, you know, in ninety three, we have the what I can only assume was legitimate Kevin Von Erich interview, where he talks about Carrie's death. Yeah. So yeah, kind of a trend around this time. Yeah. All right. Excerpt from here's the beef. Professional Wrestling Muscles in the Town by Megan Rosenfeld, The Washington Post. The fan does not care about steroid use, says Cliff Jurors, an engraver from Herndon who has closely followed wrestling for 20 years. He's 30 now. That's the wrestler's problem. A Florida State Legislative Committee has also looked at the incidents of juicing in which wrestlers slice themselves slightly before the wrestling so that the wound will open up and bleed during the match. It's sick, said Janet Clark, the legislative aide who researched wrestling for the committee. It's a real health hazard. Titan Sports spokesman Steve Planamena said two of executives, Senior Vice President Pat Patterson and his assistant Vice President Terry Garvin, resigned recently because they felt the company was being damaged by unfair media pressure and because their respective individual lifestyles made them vulnerable. Well, 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 then why are you telling people that they're never going to work for the WWF again? <laughs> Oh, man. Contract television announcer Mel Phillips was also terminated. Contract. Uh, yeah, boy, did they clearly Occasion- work on that phrasing with Steve Flanamenta there. Yeah. Occasional laborer. Uh, McMahon also agreed this month to reinstate Tom Cole, a 21-year-old warehouse attendant who said he'd been fired two years ago when he rebuffed an advance from Patterson. That's not what he said, though. He said he was fired after he rebuffed an advance from Garvin. Cole's attorney, Alan Fuchsberg, said that man also agreed to compensate his client for a fair amount of lost pay. Cole has dropped plans to sue. Since professional wrestling is considered entertainment, there's no oversight commissioner, nor did the mainstream media pay much attention until recently. They are just strictly in the ballot box of public opinion. So far, Planamenta maintained the voters are still there. But uh, Megan Rosenfeld uh, did not do the proper research on this little piece, did she? No, because I, I, it, she's talking. She's talking to Titan. How does she not know that Garvin, who's the one who they definitely are not going to bring back at this point, I got to think Vince has already decided he's pretty sure that he's not bringing Garvin back, even if he wants to eventually bring Pat back. How do they not make sure that she knows that it's Garvin and not Patterson? Yeah, and if I was Patterson, I'd be fucking pissed. <laughs> Which isn't to say that Tom did not also accuse Patterson of stuff. <clears throat> I mean, if anything, you could argue he accused Patterson of worse stuff because he accused Patterson of touching. 
Yeah, but it's in the context of how this would work. No, I agree. No, I agree. Like that's still weird, though. Um, just and respective individual lifestyles. I wonder what Terry's wife thought of that line too, <laughs> being in a national newspaper. Yeah. Ex-wrestlers alleged boy molested at Ag Hall by Tim Blanger for the Allentown Morning Call. An allegation that a professional wrestling employee had sex with a boy in Allentown about a decade ago has been made by two former wrestlers on two separate nationally television televised talk shows. The talk shows, Phil Donahue and Larry King Live, examined the several allegations by former professional wrestlers and World Wrestling Federation employees about the professional wrestling organization. Donahue's show was originally broadcast March 16th in the New York City area, but was first televised in this area on Monday, so a week late, according to the show's producer, Ed Gavin. And there's another uh, factual error because his name is Ed Glavin. Well, there you go. The King show was broadcast on March 13th. Transcripts of both programs were supplied to the morning call by the respective show's producers. Former professional wrestler Bruno Sammartino made references to the alleged Allentown incident on Larry King's program. Former professional wrestler Superstar Billy Graham who wrestled on the name Superstar Billy Graham made similar charges on the Donahue show. The allegations involved an incident that allegedly occurred in the parking lot outside Allentown's Agriculture Hall on the Allentown Fairgrounds. Sammartino and Graham said on the respective programs that a man employed by the WF was allegedly caught in a sexual act with a young boy in a car parked in the fairgrounds parking lot. At the time, the employee of the WF was part of a green crew that would assemble the wrestling ring before a match and disassemble it once the matches were finished. Several calls to WF's headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut, and to the former employee's home scene comment were not returned. Neither Graham nor San Martino saw the actual incident. Graham, in a telephone interview, said he was sitting in the makeshift dressing room inside Ag Hall awaiting a wrestling match when two security guards escorted the employee into the dressing room. I was sitting, sitting practically two feet from Vincent Mann Sr. and his son, Vincent Mann Jr. When security guards brought him, the employee, in, Graham said. The McMahons were the father and son team that ran the WF organization at the time. McMahon Sr. has died since then, and his son is the owner of the WF now. I saw the guards hand the man over to the McMahons. The guards told the McMahons about the situation in the parking lot, and the McMahons said, we'll take care of it. The security guards left, and the employee made his exit in the opposite direction. Graham said nothing further was said. San Martino, a former wrestling champion at the time of the alleged incident, was color announcer for the WF's wrestling broadcast. Recall hearing about the incident later. Okay, that's a very interesting thing there. Because wasn't this alleged to have – this doesn't match. Bruno was never the announcer when Superstar Billy Graham wrestled well, on Well, we're going we're gonna to get to that. They actually go into this in the article. Oh, okay. Surprisingly. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. So, so recall here about the incident later. Everybody seemed to know about the incident. San Martino said an interview confirming his statements on Larry King Live. The man took the position that since the man wasn't a steady employee, he was a gopher, that what he did was his business. For several years, they have taken wrestling matches at Culture Hall and at a site in Hamburg, Burns County, for later broadcasts. As Professor Russell's audience became larger, they have moved to bigger arenas in 1984. Jim McHugh! Joseph P. McHugh, a Whitehall Township resident and longtime local boxing and wrestling announcer, who worked for the WF during his days at Air Culture Hall, described the man named by two ex-wrestlers as an employee for the WF. McHugh still announces wrestling matches for the WWF. Huh? Really? I, I'm assuming no. this is talking about his ICW work. Gotta be. Uh, the man has since been fired from his position at WF, according to Graham and San Martino. 
On Larry King Live, Vince McMahon Jr. said the man in question has never been an employee of WWF. But when the question of the man's employment status was raised on the Donahue show three days later, McMahon made no such claim. Well, he said he was not an employee, but he worked with us almost every day. <laughs> yeah. Both San Martino and Graham recalled the incident, but disagreed on the time. Graham, 48, said the incident occurred between 1982 and 1983. San Martino, 56, thought the incident occurred between 1978 and 1981. I could be wrong about the date, San Martino said. On the Larry King program, according to both San Martino and transcripts supplied by the program's producers, San Martino said the incident occurred in either Allentown or Hamburg. In an interview Monday, San Martino said that he was certain the incident occurred in Allentown. Neither San Martino nor Graham reported the incident to police. I assume the McMahons will take control of the situation and either fire the employee or suspend him, Graham said. I felt it wasn't necessary for me personally to be involved with a police report. I did not discover him. I didn't see the act. I wasn't involved and it wasn't up to me. I just assumed the WF would take proper steps to see that never happened again. Graham said he saw the employee at the next taping. It was business as usual, Graham said. Okay. First of all, you know what? <laughs> Especially as a local paper, I mean, a, a decent-sized local paper, I mean— Kudos for the Allentown Morning Call for doing the due diligence and following up on this local story that's coming out of the coverage, you know? Yes, yeah. And for trying to clarify the timeline stuff, too. Um, it's an See, interesting yeah. thing. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, shit like this. Like I talked about in the last show. That, well, you know, it, it, you, if you claim shit... I mean, and, and and any little thing that is looked at and seen as, you know, wrong, which this is a huge mistake here that both these guys are saying that, you know, that are, are saying it happened when they're there, but not clear on the timeline and the timeline never would have worked that they both were there at the same time. Well, here's the thing, though. There are a few potential explanations for that. Bruno could just be remembering the timeline wrong because he heard about it after the fact. And not on the night of anyway. It could have Bruno, also happened more than once. It could have more than once, but Bruno, it's a big difference in timeline, though. Because Bruno is saying 78 to 81, which, I mean, you're putting a four-year gap there. He's saying, but, well, he's an announcer, is what yeah. he recalled it being, basically. But Graham's 82, 83, and Pat's the announcer. I mean, of so, the two, Bruno's going to be the more credible one. But they're Even if also, Graham is the one claiming to be there. Yeah, but they're saying the same story, though. And we should note, by the way, like, whatever you want to say about Graham and his credibility, all he's retracted over the years was the stuff he said about Patterson, about witnessing Patterson grow up a ring boy. He did not retract this. Um, and, again, and again, I'm not saying this didn't happen, nothing happened, but it's still, it, it's stuff like this in the court of public opinion, when they read this and find out that, okay, there's there's some issues here. It's going to make them question, if, you know, well, is this actually true? Yeah. I mean, I do find it kind of telling, though, that given that we're in the Steve Planamenta era and with the coal settlement, he's being a lot more talky that they were not able to get any kind of comment from Titan. Yeah. So there is that. Um, I don't know. It's... I, I think this happened, whether or not it's an issue of that it happened more than once, and that's why there's the confusion over the date, or what? I don't know, but... Uh, well, again, I'm not going to be definite like you. I think it possibly happened. I, mean, I could see it happening. Well, I'm remember, not gonna say though, happened. as we talked about it on part one, though, 
you and I, I think, agree that Bruno Sammartino would not lie under oath, right? I don't think he would lie, but he might not tell the truth. No, either. but under – well, you... <laughs> there's a difference. And, but here's, here's, the, here's what I mean by that. It could be something he believes is the truth, but it's not truth. Sure, but what he was saying was that the gist of what we have from his deposition in the Moshna case is – what he says here that look it was a it was something that everyone was talking about at the time yeah, exactly it's something that he had heard that he believed was true he thinks it's truth but it, but it's po- it's very possibly not the truth so he's not sure. lying he's just not telling the truth because if it didn't happen it would be factual inaccurate he would be misinformed but not lying right it's, yes he's yeah exactly um so but that's where you gotta be careful though I mean, when you when you go out and you say this happened, but you don't know for sure, you better be, you know. Well, that's another thing that we should shit. note, though. I would say the big fault with Bruno and all this is that he was not clear enough on um, on Larry King that he wasn't there when that happened. You, you bet. I mean, that word allegedly is a big word that can be used to help cover your ass. <laughs> mm. So, you know. Yes. If you don't so, know if you don't know something to be true, you better not be out there saying like it's a matter of fact that it's true because you don't know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Bruno should not have been as declarative as he was on Larry King. If yes. Graham actually saw what he saw in terms of security hauling Phillips in, then obviously yes, because he saw that. But Bruno was way too strong about it on Larry King for someone who was not actually there. Yes, but anyway. Yes, speaking right. of Steve Planamenta, this is going to get a bit uh, thorny as now. Yeah, here we go. All right, so let's go to Mike Mooneyham in the Charleston Post-Courier. Continuing controversy over Shadow's ring action for WWF. An agreement was reached with Tom Cole, whereby he got what he wanted from the beginning, and that is work here, Planamenta said. Tom feels he was discriminated against, and he stands by a story that he was discriminated against, and we gave him what he wanted. What the we fuck gave- does that mean? We gave him his job back. He wasn't looking for a million-dollar settlement. He wasn't looking for media attention. Unfortunately, he was manipulated. He was coerced, and he was used by certain media members for their own purposes, that being getting the exclusive story, when unfortunately nobody out there was taking a young man's feelings into consideration. Okay, we have to stop here. I am pulling (laughs) up the unfiled Tom Cole complaint. The word discrimination appears exactly once. Um... In when they, as far as the first cause of action, which is uh, pursuant to New York's executive law for legal sexual harassment, and it says uh, plaintiff repeats and realleges each and every allegation contained herein through this blah, 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 blah. And then it says the foregoing acts of defendants constitute unlawful sexual harassment and discrimination against plaintiff in violation of New York executive uh, law 296. So this is Steve Planamenta and whoever else at Titan going out of their way to find the wording in Tom's unfiled complaint that they can use that will sound the least thorny when commenting to a newspaper. Well, right? here's the thing, though. No, here, well, here's the thing. What's he being discriminated against? I mean, if you're going to say he's being discriminated... Why was he discriminated? What 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 happened that he was discriminated for? Right. Not, yeah. not 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 you know 
not doing sexual favors for Terry Garvin? Well, that makes you look bad, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. What, why was he discriminated? Right. You know, I mean, let, let's hear about it, Steve. Why was he discriminated? What did he, what was it he, he didn't do? That see, that's where who, you know, if it needs to be called out by whoever is talking to Steve, like, wait a minute, what's he being discriminated against? Why? It's not the color of his skin. <laughs> no. It's not, it's not anything else like that. It's that he refused sexual advances from Terry Garvin. Specific to the firing. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, he, but Steve Lemon won't come out and say that because then you can't, I mean, then we're fucked. <laughs> because oh, now you're admitting that this happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, Plat, <clears throat> if that had been me as Mooneyham, oh, I would have went to town on this. Oh, oh, so how, did, so how did they discriminate? How, what, what type of discrimination, Steve? Yes. Where's the follow-ups on that? I mean, Steve Lattimento again opened the door right there for some, you know, hard-ass questions that would have made him sweat worse than uh, what's his name on uh, brought on a network, uh, the movie. Oh uh, God, I'm drawing the blank too. I don't know why. Or not now. We're broadcast news. Jeff. Uh, oh fuck. Who was on a broadcast news that sweat so much? I can't remember. <laughs> Hold on, movie Marcus sweating. News sweaty guy. Oh, Albert Brooks. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Albert Brooks was sweating like a motherfucker on broadcast news. Um, yeah. Or Martin Short on that uh, on SNL on the skit on the sixty minutes thing about cigarettes. I mean, well, and playing Nathan Thurm in general. Yeah. So bad missed opportunity there by Steve, my best Steve, by Mike Mooneyham there on that one. Yes. All right. Phil like a New York Post in a recent scathing column, Blasting McMahon. Never will you encounter a human being more cold-blooded, more devoid of humor and propriety than Vincent McMahon, America's foremost TV babysitter, Mushnick wrote. In your wildest, most twisted dreams, you won't meet up with a likes of McMahon, a miscreant so practiced in the art of deception, the half-truth, and the false face lie as to make the artful Dodger appear clumsy. A George Steinbrenner or Don King pale by comparison. Indeed, Hannibal Lecter is the only fictional character that comes close. Must extort your immediate response from WF headquarters. Oh, boy. The article was bad to the point of being good, Planamenta said. I think people have finally come to realize what Phil Mushnick's agenda is. It's a personal attack against Vince McMahon. He's made mo- no bones about the fact he hates Vince McMahon for no particular reason. Fuck you. He never had the guts to meet with Vince McMahon. John Filippelli, who's one of our executive de- television producers, has known Phil for years. John was a producer at NBC. And Mushnick had told John long before he had read anything about us that Vince was an evil person and should burn in hell. I think he just doesn't like what we do. Maybe resents Vince's success and resents defeat. No, re- resents feet no matter what he writes about. Nobody seems to give a crap. <laughs> uh... Could you imagine? I mean, could you imagine Steve Planamena working for WWE? During this week that we record this with Sasha and Naomi and all that stuff going on. You mean the most Planamenta-esque statement outside of the Benoit stuff in the <laughs> last 20 plus years? Well, that would, well, yeah, but still, if he was giving interviews about this subject, how, oh, well, how he would. <laughs> uh, and again, uh, Chris, 
shall we return uh, to that column quickly, just to give an example of perhaps why Phil would feel this way? Yeah, go ahead. Let me make sure I have the actual quote here. Uh, Meltzer, 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 Meltzer. Let me make sure I find the right quote. Uh, Meltzer, Meltzer, Meltzer. Yeah. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. There's a joke to make here about another sheet writer, but I'm not going to. I'm saying that, but okay. Uh, Why is this not here? Why am I not seeing this part? Um, oh, wait, I know what to do. Peculiar. Okay, here we go. McMahon also told King's national audience that he had, quote, no idea whatsoever, end quote, about any sexual misconduct by employees, not even a hint. Yet two weeks ago, during poor his hard out phone calls, he told West Coast-based journalist Dave Meltzer, then me, that he had let Phillips go four years ago because Phillips' relationship with kids seemed peculiar and unnatural. McMahon said he rehired Phillips, with the caveat that Phillips steer clear of kids. And yet, oh, he, hate, he hates Vince McMahon for no particular reason. No, if he does hate Vince McMahon, it's because Vince McMahon told him that he fired someone because he thought he might be a child molester, and then rehired him as long as he agree to stay away from kids. <clears throat> yeah. I know. And oh, maybe he just doesn't like what we do. Maybe he resents Vince's success. <laughs> and no, I'm not sure what FEAT was an OCR for that I missed, because otherwise everything came out okay. But uh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we still got a little bit more. Planet Man said though if we continue to address the issues as they develop. We're confident that we're doing the right thing, Planet Mena said. If anybody feels they've been wronged by us, we urge them to come forward so we can address the issues. Uh-huh. Things are becoming so convoluted and clustered in these shows. Bruno Sammartino has had an axe to grind with Vince for a long time. He's made no bones about it, but Bruno's axe to grind was what he perceived that Vince did to the wrestling business. And that's fine. It's a legitimate case to argue from his perspective. But the Grand's agenda is steroid abuse. That's all well and good. If they stick to their agendas, that's fine. Well, let's address the issues. Bruno's hopping on the bandwagon saying he saw sexual ass take place, and now you got Billy Graham saying, I saw that too. Brother, give me a break. No, he's saying, I saw that too, brother. Yeah. Give me a break. Ugh. How did this guy last so long? He's, I mean, I'm but sure Vince loved him because he did like, shit like this. That he's being confrontational, yes, but he's clearly yeah. a fucking terrible public relations guy. Yeah, but Vince, this is the type of guy Vince would love. Because he's confrontational, and he he, he's a, he talks the company line, he, you know, I mean. But here's the thing, though. He loves McDevitt because McDevitt's confrontational, but McDevitt is a freaking amazing lawyer. Well, of course. That That's the distinction I'm making. Like, yeah, obviously Vince <laughs> likes his style and the cut of his jib. Here's the other thing, though. I wish he had a LinkedIn or something so I would know exactly how long he had been doing PR. I guess if I just searched newspapers.com for his name, I would, you know, get an idea of when he started doing PR for them. But Steve Planamento was just a guy who was a fan who rose up through the ranks and became their PR guy. Yeah. He's not, and I don't mean this as a negative in any way because I do genuinely like him. He's not unlike Adam Hopkins now. 
Adam Hopkins mainly and for most of his adult life has worked for the for WWE. He's in PR, but he is not the main PR person like Planamenta was. You know, you have other, you know, previously, you know, you're Brian Flynn. I think Matt Altman's still there and technically is either considered adjacent to or above him. You know, guys like that. The people who are the more experienced outside PR professionals would be the ones handling stuff like this. You know, Adam handles interview bookings and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and look, and I obviously he has a lot of experience now. I'm sure he would be more than competent if he had to assume a more senior role in their communications department, as Adam did. But, like, it's insane that this Steve Planamenta is the guy, is what I'm saying. Like, let's put it this way. Like, if Mike Weber was still there, he wouldn't be spouting off like this. No. But again, Vince, Vince probably loved this. Yeah. Because this guy's a fighter like he was. Uh, you know, he fucking compared up me to, to Hannibal Lecter. God. He's standing up to these people. Yeah. Um. Okay. <clears throat> At least searchingnewspapers.com, the first reference to Steve Planamenta as a media coordinator for the World Wrestling Federation comes in the March 23rd, 1988 Albuquerque Journal in a WrestleMania high particle, which includes the box out quote, we don't even bother to respond to critics who say it's phony. We respond to our fans. We're here for their enjoyment. Yeah. So I'd love to know exactly what his background was, but you know, as far as, I mean, basically what he is, he, he is a white house press secretary who is one of those confrontational ones that, you know, is going to come after the reporters and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, that's what he is. Yeah. So, and the people that are fans of that per- political political party are going to defend them, and the ones that are are not fans are going to come out and rip them up. You know. Mm-hmm. So that's what he is. What a friggin' maroon, though. <laughs> yeah. All right, so next we go to the Prosa Torch. Next are from Titan Scandals as we presented clearly without clear and simple presentation. Or Dials Be Turned by Eric Kroll. Is it just me, or should the Titan Gate affair be split into two distinct stories? A distinction should be made between the Titan front office scandal and the Hulk Hogan scandal. Both stories have and will continue to receive a ton of mainstream press over the next few weeks, possibly endangering WrestleMania itself. However, the two scandals are quite unrelated. On one hand, Hogan's story deals with lying to children who allegedly taken steroids illegally for years. It's more of a tale of false image than a major criminal activity. Hogan will not go down due to legal activity. He's lying on the Arsenio Hall show that would do him in. Hogan did I admit when he gave him the chance to cup clean that he misled millions of impressionable children. Parents are not going to care so much that he's committed criminal activities, but they have helped foster a false image to their children by buying into the Titan merchandising juggernaut. On the other hand, this front office scandal involving a Pat Bendover Patterson, Terry School of Self-Defense Garvin, and Mel Footsie Phillips, <clears throat> yeah, is related to illegal employment practices and does not touch upon the major performers which children look up to. Promotion based on homosexual actions obviously violates some Equal Opportunity Employment Commission guidelines. In this time of heightened awareness and about sexual harassment in the workplace, investigations should surely be launched. However, the scandal does not really affect the children's audience as much. Parents don't have to do as much explaining to their young ones. 
the big reason we should all step back and realize these, these are two distinct stories is simple. All the scandal which is currently unfolding is too much for the mainstream media to handle. Readers of the various underground newsletters and wrestling insiders have heard for years about the scum which rules the WF. However, the mainstream press has not. I'm sure most of them find it hard to believe that all this debauchery has taken place. If the scandals were divided evenly, the press could digest details and have two powerful stories. However, given recent newsroom cutbacks due to the recession, the mainstream tradition of guffawing at pro wrestling and limited nature of the editor's appetites for stories on wrestling, this is probably a pipe dream. Eric Kroll with the Cab Illinois has been contributing to Is It Just Me Monthly since February 6, 1992 for Russell Torch. Kroll is the lead editor of and an opinion columnist for the Northern Star. You know where Kroll lost me here? These nicknames he puts yep. in. For these so that takes away any type of uh, validity to his whole column. Yeah, because you're saying they should be taking it, they should be separating the stories, which is, I mean, everything else he it's says true. here is correct. Yes. But part of that is to take everything more seriously, and then you do that. Bend over, school of self-defense, well, the Terry, Sel- yeah. Terry Sel- School of Self-Defense Garvin I don't think is that big a deal because of the context. But the other two, yeah. Not good. That that goes to my point from the first show about how it's, it's about them to make it fun. You know? It, it, you, you crack jokes on this stuff. You know? I mean, these, these they're... It's it's funny. Like the, the audience at Donahue laughing at it. I mean, it's it's funny. Yeah. And look, I I'd have to you know look back, but because obviously you know there, I didn't include the like Observer summary of the Union Tribune article or anything last time, but uh, it probably also didn't help that when it comes to the actual abuse allegations with Phillips, that Tom Cole. Tom Cole's own words are not used at this point. It was described by Jeff Savage, and it wouldn't shock me if we're already hearing the narrative by this point from Titan in terms of the reporters, both in in wrestling and in mainstream media, are already hearing the narrative that, oh, that was that wasn't true. That that was something that maybe well, I don't know if they split Lee Cole off from Tom yet, but that they're trying to say that Tom didn't really say that because it wasn't a direct quote and blah, 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 when it was really just a kind of – we talked about it on the first one, like a characterization of what he said that was substantively true. Um, so, yeah, like people are just thinking, oh, feet with Phillips too. And, and they and, don't and, realize that it's and, much and more homosexual. serious. Than well, yes, and, and, hom- and homosexual. Because, like I said, the first show, if it was me- if that was young girls. Oh shit! You know. Yeah. So. Anyway, well. <sighs> All right, readers' pages in the Observer. Yes. Your performance on Phil Donahue was excellent. This is today. You were fair, impartial, and underplayed. I had some of the show in one line. Mister Man did a great job in lying about everything. My credibility scale melts 100%. My man, 0%. Superstar, 51%. Bruno, 6%. Barrio, 95%. Murray Hodgson, 60%. The Bruiser Brody reference was a good indication how pro wrestlers just don't snitch. My favorite line was when you told Vince that Stutter was illegal in Florida, where Hogan was living all that time, when Vince said they were legal. Sign, Jim Thompson, Detroit News. You know, given the weight and other people 
were not necessarily happy with Dave's performance on uh, Donahue. Isn't it interesting that Jim Thompson, of all people, is like, yes, Dave, I'm very happy with how you did not bring up the whole child molestation mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, that's not what he's saying here, but still, it's 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 ML Curley, well, Jim Thompson. He's a when... child, child molester. Yes, exactly. He makes Mel Phillips look like fucking, you know, an angel. Well, okay, in fairness, and that's not the right word to use, but I wasn't sure the right way to start that sentence. Not in fairness to Mel Phillips or to Jim Thompson, but to, for the sake of accuracy, I guess is the best way to put this. The reason we know the degree to which Thompson was so prolific is that he had a PDA, you know, like, basically, for you younger folks, a... People used to have dedicated digital devices that were basically the contacts app on your phone that had like 3,000 boys' names and addresses and phone numbers in it. Yeah. That's the reason we know the scope, the full scope with him. With Phillips, we don't really. I'm sure it's worse than we even realize in terms of numbers. But it's hard to tell in part because everyone we know about is from a fairly concentrated geographical area. So we don't know. Is it because he was more comfortable there? Is it just that with the media coverage and stuff, that's who came forward? We don't really know. You know, from the FBI stuff, we know, I think, that they found, I think, 10 victims. Which is, you know, about double, I think, the number that came public or filed legal action. But, I mean, look, with someone like this, if they're a serial predator, there's always more we don't know about. Yeah. But... I had to include that, because Jesus Christ. Well, dude. I mean, I know. I mean, good Lord. One of the most famous wrestling child molesters is uh, doing this. So, uh, good God. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, also from the letters, the fact that it takes taking so long for these allegations to surface is not nearly as unusual as Mr. McMahon would have us to believe. No doubt Barry Orton and others were terrified to come forward. While certainly the fear of losing their jobs is a factor in this, I think there's a lot more to it than that. If you study sexual harassment in general you'll find that the victims are mortified following their experiences. No doubt they're embarrassed and are afraid that no one will believe them. Often they just want to put the incident in the past and forget it ever happened. And considering that at the time the alleged incident, some of these guys are teenagers, it would have been terribly unusual if they did have the courage to come forward. Signed Michelle Johnson of Watertown, New York. And she's absolutely right. Yes, and good on her for writing that letter and Dave for running it. Yeah. Because that is a thing. I mean, there's a lot of people that have been sexually harassed that are scared to come forward with it because they're afraid of people not believing them or blaming back, them, back, about blaming them, backlash or whatever, how, you know, would affect them in their personal, professional lives. So, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough issue. All right, let's move on to the week of March the 30th, Torch, April 2nd, Charleston Post Courier, April the 5th, Pro Wrestling Spotlight Weekly, April the 6th, and Wrestling Observer April the 6th. And we begin with Pro Wrestling Spotlight Weekly. Excerpts from the Midgets Stand Tall by Vince Russo. We haven't seen the Midgets in some five years. Why? Midget wrestling never lost its magic. Why are my children given the opportunity to see these extraordinary rare athletes? This is a question I wanted to answer. I just want to, want to know why. If true, what are you about to read? My friends, it's a very sad story. A story that can only make this writer shake his head in disbelief. The Karate Kid was blossoming as a wrestler and soon found himself in the World Wrestling Federation working under Lord Little Brook. 
He only worked for them for one or two occasions for an incident occurred that would change Chris Duke's life and the future of all major wrestlers. We were doing a show somewhere on the East Coast, Duke said. I was in a dressing room as Pat Patterson entered. It is to be noted that Patterson was the booker at the time. And real quick, by the way, it's Dube. Russo just gets his name wrong the whole time. <laughs> okay. That's what I thought. Um, Pat was shaking everybody's hand. I was the last one. I heard about the man before. I was kidded by the boys. They were saying, Pat's going to like you, and watch out. He's going to flip for you. Everyone knew what he stood for. So when he came up to shake my hand, I was real nervous. One of the reasons I was nervous was because this man had been my idol. He came up to shake my hand, put his finger in the middle of my palm. He then rubbed my palm, basically put a pass on me. I just let go of his hand. I was real nervous. This happened a couple of times. Whenever he shook my hand, he would do that. I'm not that way, and it bothered me. Pat was messing with him in the dressing room and playing around with him, said Little Brooke. Shit, man, if a bra's coming on to you in a bar, you don't have to be stupid to find out she's coming on to you. The kid was a nervous wreck. I called Pat the one side and said, Pat, lay off the kid. The kid's a fucking nervous wreck. Patterson said, oh, Roger, I'm not making any sexual advances to him. I just think he's so cute. I'll just like to play with him. I said, come on, Pat. We've known each other too long for this. He doesn't like to play your games. Patterson seemed like he was really hurt. Well, naturally, if a broad turned me down, I'd be hurt too. <laughs> I'm seeing little. I'm just hearing Little Brooks say this in his voice. Broad, love it. <clears throat> After Pat realized I wasn't going to go that way, they harassed me. Added Dube. That night, before I took my EKG, I drank a big cup of Coke, a big cup of coffee. While the doctor examined me, he asked if I'd been drinking coffee or soda in the dressing room. I explained to him I had a cup of each. He said it's probably the reason why my EKG was different. It was up and down. He didn't add if I pulled him, if he pulled my test out to the commission, they wouldn't let me wrestle. I told him I also had a heart murmur, and then a regular heartbeat was normal for me. The doctor listened to my story, and that night I was allowed to wrestle. Following that incident, Pat Patterson started a rumor that I was using cocaine. He told Little Brook, your midget's on cocaine. <laughs> that line just makes me laugh. Your midget's on cocaine. A cocaine-fueled midget. A couple of days later, they wouldn't let me wrestle. They said I was on drugs. I was only allowed to stand on the apron during the match. I was not allowed to be tagged during, in, into the ring. I think at this point, it's important to add that a drug test was never administered to the Karate Kid. The story goes on. Pat Patterson told me the Karate Kid that couldn't work tonight could come into Little Brook. Do you know if he's on cocaine or not? Patterson asked me. I thought it was a joke, remarked Little Brook. I said, come on, Pat. I thought it was a riff for the night before. I said, you got to be kidding me. He's not on cocaine. Well, the doctor thinks so, Patterson answered. You aren't serious, are you, Pat? Answered Little Brook. Yes, replied Patterson. The doctor thinks he's on cocaine with no tests or nothing. Bullshit, Pat, fired Little Brook. <laughs> Little Brook then told Patterson, let me tell you something. I got four children. If I fought for a damn second that that boy was on drugs, especially cocaine, you think I'll lie him in my home around my children? They said I couldn't work again unless I put myself in the hospital, said Duke, Doobie. I went back home and had tests taken. I stayed in the hospital for three days. My doctor said I was perfectly fit to wrestle. I met all the test results to Vincent, man, along with a letter in which I mentioned Pat Patterson tried to put the make on me. I refused, and he said I was on drugs. He made me take all these tests, which I passed. And now you guys don't use us anymore. After letter, they put this a couple more times. That was just a way of keeping things hush-hush. Up until this happened, they were using us steadily about 10 times a month. And real quick, uh, Chris, want to tell everyone what's uh, particularly loaded about that comment from uh, Littlebrook about how he wouldn't allow uh, Karate Kid in his home around his kids if he was on drugs? Um, I'm not getting where you're going. 
Uh, Karate Kid doesn't know this at the time. My impression is Little Brook did. Maybe he didn't. Uh, Chris Dubes' son. Yeah. Which exactly? Is, yeah. I, I, my impression. There was an article where they go over it, but um, Chris wouldn't have known at the time. Little Brook, I think, would have. Yeah. So that's just interesting on top of everything else. But anyway, continue. Yeah. Um, Little Little Brook added, this is how mean these bastards can be. And how you can knock a little guy out of a living because he won't play your dirty damn games. I don't believe this is bullshit. This is a very vicious business. When you think that one damn perverted son of a bitch can control so many people's lives, it's unbelievable. And what also is unbelievable is that the man in power lets it happen. There are many names that you swear for WF that aren't there no more, added Dube. If you stop thinking about it, they don't play the game. They get let go, Littlebrook continued. Pat Patterson served many people. I'm not just talking about jobbers. I'm talking about damn good professional wrestlers that had the talent, ability, and every damn thing if you're not that little click. If you don't blend in, they don't give a shit how good you are. If the man's got the pencil, the booker, he's the man who says yes or no. It's just that damn simple. I'll tell you how bad it is for us guys. Dude had a damn good job. This kid's one of the best in the business. I've had him everywhere. I've had him all over the world. He's one of the best in the damn business. He's young, got a hell of a body, still trains in the gym every day. He has to go to a damn job selling things over the phone because he can't even get booked on account of the, this bullshit that's going on in the business. Little Brook ended by saying, I expect to get some phone calls when they read this, but I don't give a damn. What I'm telling you is the truth. And if they don't like it, they all kiss my ass, every damn one of them. <laughs> okay. Um, we should know, too, if you didn't pick up on it earlier... This is Russo doing a Where Are They Now article about trying to figure out why we are not seeing any, you know, quote-unquote midget wrestlers anymore and walking into this. And look, while Russo's writing here is typically terrible, uh, do, I mean, Karate Kid and Little Brook come off incredibly credible here. Oh, Little Brook's, I mean, this is fantastic. I mean, Littlebrook is amazing here. Because, um, I mean, he's at that point in his life and career, he don't give a shit, <laughs> you know? I mean, he, he, he go, he's going to say what he thinks. And if he thinks it's true, it's true. So, and they stopped booking them, his crew, period, shortly after that. Yeah. You know, and then mysteriously, the Bushwhackers show up and kind of take their spot in a way. Yeah. So, you know, they, I don't know if they acknowledged this at the time, but there was some, I think it was, an, it was a paper in Missouri, did an article about do several years back where, you know, WWE denied it, but it, I, I've always found this one pretty credible, you know, like it, Whatever Patterson's actual intentions were or weren't, it seems pretty clear what he was doing, and he shouldn't have done that. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Good for Little Brook, though. I mean, but the thing is, uh, mate, do you think he should have exposed the, the relationship? I don't. Again, we don't. He's kayfabing his son about it. That's so. what. That, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, there's that too. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let me see if I can find the wait, Karate Kid Chris Dube Pat Patterson. Doobie doobie doobie. Uh, where is the? Okay, here's the follow up article, which I think links it. 
Um, hold on. Uh, talking about the, them denying it. Okay, it's not here. I'll I'll try to find it. Oh wait, there's a tag. Da, 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 da. Let's see. Wait, this was okay. So this is the article that's the feature on him. Okay, no, this is not the actual article. This is a teaser. Okay, so this might not... This stuff might not be... Okay, here we go. It was a half-pint brawler story. Let's see. Little Brook. Uh, okay, the uh, the half-pint brawlers and Little Brook's friends and council plus only do as Little Brook's son. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where does it say... Okay, I'm not sure if I can easily find the part where they explain how he found out um okay oh there's part of an injury it's it, do you have any records that show he's your father yeah i got the paperwork but it's all boxed up somewhere i don't know where to find it how about family members how do i feel about your search um so yeah it does it, it i don't think it, i don't think this has how he found out i think that was separate i guess and i'm thinking of a different article or something uh-huh all right, so let's go back to the Observer for a cover story here. Expect more media stories on a variety of different scandals involving Doyle for the next few weeks. As a press time, it appeared that Gerardo Rivera's Now It Can Be Told show will be airing this coming Friday. Since that date has changed several times, one can never be sure. There have been many maneuverings over the past week in regards to this story. The main one is that Tom Cole's attorney, Alan Fuchsberg, gained a restraining order against the show there the interview they did with Cole prior to Cole returning to work full-time with the WWF. Apparently, Cole and the show signed a contract. This interview would air after the filing of the lawsuit. Since Cole apparently promised the show that his filing would be days away, and the show was scheduled to be several weeks away at the time of the contract signing. The CBS Evening News with Dan Rather had a four-and-a-half-minute segment planned for Friday as well. The 2020 piece, which at first was thought to have had potential devastating implications, and now, if everything else is broken, surely will seem exceedingly mild, is scheduled to run sometime in April, and we should have a date in next week's issue. Several of the media sources have done preliminary work on the story, ranging from the most unrespected to the most respected television news shows. But those stories could be anywhere from weeks to months away if they are even followed up upon. The Montel Williams show, which is considering a panel discussion type show, similar to Donahue, decided to get doing the show because they felt Donahue had already covered the subject. Oh, but God forbid. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, heaven forbid more than one show could cover it. Oh, no. <laughs> Fuck you. What the hell? Um. Okay. So here we have March 4th um, letter to Tom Cole of Utica, New York from Brooks Golsky, producer. Now it can be told. Dear Mr. Cole, this letter, when signed by you, confirms your agreement to grant the syndicated television news program. Now it can be told the exclusive television rights to your videotape and or audiotape interview relating to any topic, including information regarding a lawsuit, the quote unquote lawsuit which you intend to file and the allegations stated therein. In exchange for these exclusive television rights, now it can be told, agrees not to broadcast my interview with you until immediately after the lawsuit is filed, and then added handwritten, Tom Cole's face will not appear without permission. Yours truly, Brooke Skolsky, now it can be told, agreed to, signed by Thomas Cole. So here's something I never noticed till now, Chris. Broadcast my interview with you. As we'll get to when they show a clip with Tom's face blurred when we cover the next week, when the show airs, the one that we're going to use was the re-interview that Craig Rivera did. Geraldo's brother. Yes. So, and I don't think, 
I don't know if Lee Cole ever realized this when we talked about this. The claim I think that Tom and Lee had both made over the years was that uh, Skolsky told them, or someone at the show told them, you know, um, we're trying to make Craig Rivera into something, so we're going to redo it with him. Now I'm wondering if it's simply that they got skittish and, or, well, actually it's possible they are, I don't know when they shot the second interview, though. It's possible that they either hadn't shot it yet or did shoot it, but that it says my interview has to be a deliberate move on their part, right? Yeah. That's sketchy, but not surprising, being that the Coles have always said that Skolsky basically threatened to camp out on their lawn unless they unless Tom gave the interview. <laughs> what a mess. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I don't know, how much do we even get into with the restraining order? Because, look, it's obvious why they won. You know, why yeah. he got the restraining order, because still it's like the spirit of it at a minimum is clearly violated if they run the Craig Rivera interview. So, you know, there's there's not much to add. And then, you know, the the only real substance to it, which we'll probably get into more when we talk about the episode itself, is that in his supporting affidavit, um, Tom says, you know, the interviews contain graphic descriptions of sexual abuse I sustained between the ages of 13 and 19, most of it between the ages of 13 and 16. This abuse has left me emotionally scarred. Actually, yeah, let me just read this whole section since um, they stop at that part on the show. Publicly airing what I went through when it's not necessary since I was able to avoid filing a lawsuit will seriously damage me further. There is no substitute for my pride and privacy, which was a strong factor in leading me to settle my case. And uh, settling my case also permitted me to return to work at the World Wrestling Federation. The environment there is fragile for me. And the story coming up would destroy my ability to return to a normal existence there. That's an interesting line, and I'm surprised they didn't mention it on the show, actually. Yeah. But, you know, look. They made a promise to him. He and his brother were s smart enough to make sure it was in writing. And, you know, whatever you think about Geraldo and his people, good or bad, whatever you think about... WWF, good or bad, about Cole's lawyer here, good or bad, or even about the Coles. Like, this was the right decision. The thing is, is that I'm going to get back to this whole thing, like the Montel thing. Sure. You know, Larry, we didn't talk about the Larry King thing a while ago either, about how, you know, that Larry had mentioned on the show about doing a follow up, and it's like, ah, we got other things to talk about now. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. it's like, it, it, it's, 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 it's weird. I mean, I, I, I think it's because it's wrestling. Yeah. It, it's got to be what it is. It's the stigma of wrestling. Like, well, we did one show about it. And it makes kind of makes you wonder. I wonder what the ratings for that show was. I wonder I wonder if the ratings for that show was, was lower. It was a late edition, though. You can't really factor in the ratings that much. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was something that they saw that was like, oh, this, this isn't interesting to our viewers. Mm. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I've been interested in Donahue's ratings too, compared to other Donahue episodes. Just to just to see what people saw when that when they turn the show on and see that it's, it's wrestling related. Oh fuck, I ain't watching that shit. So I don't know. All right, the major breaking developments over the past week were three different column mentions by Phil Mushnick of the New York Post on Wednesday, Friday, and Monday, respectively. 
in what appeared to have been a reaction to negative publicity in the post. It was a full-page ad in the rival Sunday New York Daily News with a photo of a wrestler surrounded by handicapped children. They believe the wrestler was Jim Duggan. When a large headline says, thanks, WF, for several, seven years of love and kindness, attributed to Dominic De La Roca, KM Community Mayors New York. The photo cut line stated, each year in New York, the World Wrestling Federation hosts special benefit in conjunction with the Community Mayors of New York. Over 126,000 handicapped children have been entertained by top WF superstars at these events. <clears throat> this, in a business world, is known as calling in your markers. Again, rather than honestly face the issues, is a form of gamesmanship. It also puts in a new light a lot of the charitable work done by WF over the years. <clears throat> All this charitable work over the years supposedly done without publicity, public purposes in mind, is not being used specifically to attend to rebuild the company's sagging public image. Ding, 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 ding. And obviously this reads even more interestingly 30 years later when it's explicitly part of the company's, you know, PR model. Um, yeah, like they had been doing a lot of the Make-A-Wish and Special Olympics stuff already and probably more. And, you know, the special event with the community mayors and who knows what else. Like, you know, to their credit in that time, they never saw an ounce of publicity for any of that until this point. But this is when that changes. Yeah. And it's about to get a lot more obnoxious, it. too. Yeah, you never heard about it before. Absolutely. In addition, a company sponsored a symposium in New York on Tuesday on analog steroids with Dr. Mara Di Pasquale, the Canadian physician mentioned here in the past several weeks. All the major media was invited, and contrary to what's been reported elsewhere, at least three members of the rest of the media, myself being one of them, were invited, although the vast majority were neither invited nor alerted. I didn't attend, but did have two lengthy interviews with this Di Pasquale the next day. Thus far, I only mentioned beside much in his columns a short in Wednesday's USA Today, which really came under heavy criticism for running the short when it had not all scandalous stories regarding WF up until this point. In addition, the, shot, the short directly contradicted another story regarding doping drugs in the same sports section on the same day in the same newspaper. In a story entitled Experts, IOC Not Ready for Blood Testing, it referred to certain drugs such as EPO, a hormone used to increase red blood cells, HGH, human growth hormone, and HCG a drug which isn't a steroid derived from pregnant women's urine to stimulate by its production of testosterone while on steroids is having no tests in existence to detect those substances. Okay. Um, Fantastic. Was EPO ever used by bodybuilders? I mean, I, I heard of it being used by people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean... Just so they could work out more, basically? Yeah, it... Yeah, yeah, it's been in the yeah. I mean, it's now more than ever, Bix. I'm just doing doing a little googling right now as we're doing this. Mm -hmm. Like, there's an article about it being the new rage of bodybuilding. But it's but unlike other stuff, it is not to support muscle growth or anything or the side effects of steroids. That's from 2018. The new rage in bodybuilding, EPO. But is is it for anything other than just increasing their exercise capacity? Is what I'm asking. <clears throat> I don't know. Um, let me just pull up this bodybuilding a com article real quick. Um, uh, that's what I see. saw. Yeah. Blood building, sports supplements, and bodybuilding deliver more ex- oxygen to exercising muscles. Okay, so it's 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 what you'd expect. Then it's 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 they're using the EPO the same reason everyone else would use EPO. But it's not explicitly like a muscle muscle building drug or anything like that. It's just another thing that will let them work out more. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. On Wednesday, Mushnicker didn't attend. Wrote the Twisted Men, the World Wrestling Federation, no no limits. With many of his stars, it was owner Vince McMahon named in a federal trial last year as recipients of steroids, and with ex-WWFers coming out of the woodwork to tell all the steroid abuse encouraged and being rewarded by WWF. And with the introduction of McMahon's made for television World Bodybuilding Federation, McMahon yesterday conducted a steroid symposium for naive, unsuspecting, and credibility-free members of the media. The press release invite slash invite to the symposium contained all the spend dollar baloney that those familiar with the WS practice evils have come to expect. The main presenter read the release will be Dr. Dar- Dr. Mauro Di Pasquale, one of the world's most foremost experts on steroids. Last week's Village Voice identified the Canadian doctor as celebrated by steroid abusers throughout North America as an expert in beating drug tests. Di Pasquale's periodicals read like tip sheets for steroid junkies. Indeed, their clear target readership is neither physicians nor legitimate steroid patients. Instead, they're aimed at athletes. <clears throat> in the same press release, the following question is asked. What research is being done to show that therapeutic treatment of steroids and muscle degenerative diseases like multiple sclerosis? Oh, so that's it? That steroids use was merely an experiment to aid in the research of muscle disease? One of the world's treatment of multiple sclerosis have to do with steroid abuse by pro wrestlers and bodybuilders. The answer is, not a thing. The same answer to the question, how much of what WS says is true? The WDF and WBF are desperate to maintain the outrageous physiques of their stars under a cloak of legitimacy. Just another McMahon con. And the targets of these cons, as usual, is America's TV-trained children and adolescents. Meanwhile, more damaging info on the WS ongoing drug and sex scandal is about to be revealed early next week on Channel 4's Now It Could Be Told. McMahon says producer Brooke Skolsky has been desperately trying to use legal maneuverings to prevent that show from airing. <clears throat> so much that's going after Dr. Mauro Di Pasquale, Bix. Pretty hard here. Yes, he is. Um, I don't think he's entirely wrong, is he? No, no. But the thing is, Dr. Mara Di Pasquale, you know, has this background and of of being involved in these other sports deals that you know people can look at that as him being a true expert. You know, and like we said earlier, it does kind of seem like that's what he was used for. Yeah. Now, yeah. granted, we do know something else though, which is that. From the one set of test results we do have, which are warriors from this period, he was very uh, lax in areas that were somewhat questionable. There was no test during Warriors Return where he doesn't test positive for an anabolic steroid of some kind. Yeah. So there is that. Whether or not that would have been different with anyone else, though, who knows? No. And I'm right. trying. I'm trying to see if I can find any of the letters, um, because I don't think I have them isolated. But there are some that were filed in the uh, in the Geraldo lawsuit. But I'll I'll see if I can find them since I, I don't think I ever isolated any of them individually. So I would have to scroll through the uh, two thousand plus pages I have here. On Friday, Mushnick uh, came back with Vincent Mann, whose scandal-scope soaked wrestling, World Wrestling Federation will babysit a million or more American children this weekend. Appeared two weeks ago on Larry King's CNN show to refute growing cha- charges that WF is lousy with drug and sex abuse and sexual harassment. <clears throat> King asked McMahon the following, You're saying there's no steroid use in WF? Answer McMahon, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. But 11 days later, this past Tuesday, at a symposium, public relations con, he held on steroid usage. 
The men said the WS initial test showed slightly less than 50% of his wrestlers tested positive for steroids, but that his latest testing showed approximately 15% of his wrestlers tested positive. If you're scoring at home, the man said two weeks ago on National TV that no steroids in WF was 0%, but this week, McMahon said those testing positive for steroids at 15%. So the number was about 50% before McMahon's appearance on King, 0% on the night he appeared on King, and now it's 15%. Did this guy have a little trouble with the truth? Man, man may think of himself as Pinocchio in a cartoon world, but he has a real-life problem. The problem goes by the name of McMahon Vince. He's forever stuck with his outrageous lies because if he ever decides to tell the truth and it's doubtful he's capable, it's way too late. Well, I mean, he's on the money on all this, you know, calling Vince out for all these stories. Yes, although, as we discussed earlier, he is getting <coughs> some of the percentages and stuff relayed wrong. Yeah. So there is that, but... But he that, said there was zero usage, though. Yes, there was that. So, all right. Um, Mushik's final tidbit of the week was on Monday, saying, "Where there's fire, there's more fire." In July, well before Vince McMahon's WF began to take big time heat for allegations of sexual misconduct and rampant drug abuse, McMahon became the object of a lawsuit. That suit was filed by Jim Stewart, McMahon's longtime limo driver, bodyguard, and confidant. Stewart's suit, among other things, was alleged that he was fired in retaliation for his refusal to maintain a posture of conscious avoidance regarding illegal, immoral, and unconscionable conduct he had witnessed. The suit filed in Connecticut is pending. Well, here we go. Jim Stewart makes his debut in this whole deal here. Uh, and uh, this will be picking up very, very soon. Yeah, so... The Jim Stewart lawsuit is kind of wild. Because he talks about being made to witness crimes and stuff, and as we'll get into more later, he says this before Rita Chatterton goes public. I mean, you know, months and months before. And his deposition is even wilder, because remember, he's the one who filed this lawsuit. He basically says in the deposition, and it gets cut short as a result, pretty much, I am not giving any fucking details unless that grand jury gives me immunity. Yeah. Like, he is scared shitless. Mm -hmm. And he probably was given immunity, but then he mysteriously disappears and no shows the steroid trial and is never heard from again. And dies in, I think, 1998. Yeah. So I did find, so far, a letter from McDevitt that is a few pages long to Charles Sennett of Now It Can Be Told. So I'm not necessarily going to read this, but yeah, there's a... Letter, long letter where, like, he claims, for example, the day that uh, Rita Marie Chatterton made her claim, uh, Titan Sports received a phone call from a person who said he was with a television show that had just done tapings of Rita Marie Chatterton. He stated that, quote, we have been doing a story on the WWF, end quote, and that Rita Marie Chatterton's allegations were going to go on national TV pretty soon. The caller then offered to sell the tapes to Titan. To our knowledge, no other show was taping anything with Rita Marie Chatterton. At that time, the call to Titan was the first indication that she had done so. That is clear that a call seeking to extort money was made by someone familiar with the events taking place with Rita Marie Chatterton. <coughs> but that's that's claiming that that's just someone who knew, though. You have no proof that they were affiliated with her or the show. All, all someone needs to do to make that call is to know that it happened. And there are obviously other people who knew that it happened. So it, this, this is longer than a lot of McDevitt letters I've seen, including the ones I've gotten myself. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. How long is this one? This one is, yeah, five pages. Yeah. All right. Uh, 
Dave's talks about, I don't have the details of the symposium, but they talk a bit with this Deep Pasquale about steroids. Deep Pasquale has been known as one of the experts in North America beating steroid tests and unveiled a series of theories to upgrade steroid testing. His theories include measuring many different levels in the body as a way to detect and determine that foreign substances are being ingested or injected. The concepts appear to be theoretical and rather than proven and have not been used in trial testing by any other athletic organization. <clears throat> Deepa Squad said that May 1st, all the wrestling bodybuilders working for Titan Sports had better be free of steroids, growth hormones, clabutrol, cocaine, marijuana, and other drugs, or they would be caught and suspended. It's the only way for drug testing, which he has been opposed to for years, to work as legitimately balanced the playing field, i.e. allowing those who don't use steroids to not be penalized competitively for choosing that path, is to turn to place into a Gestapo state. <clears throat> he talked about testing with absolutely no warning at any time. Whether in the gym, in the restaurant, in the motel, home, arena, where all tests currently take place for wrestlers. Because some drugs have such short life in the body, suppose there's a new popular steroid, they believe from Greece, that has become popular U.S. athletes training for the Summer Olympics because it can only be detected for eight hours after usage. Even the knowledge that testing can only be done at the arena, even if it can't be done any time, allows guys to, some time, to time some use of steroids and slip through the cracks of the test. WF wrestlers received warning last week that marijuana is now on the banned substances list they can be suspended for, which Dave sure doesn't sit well for a lot of guys, since many use the drug as a relaxing tool to help get to sleep with all the pain and discomfort from the physical abuse of the ring. Deep Pasquale said he was going to discuss with a man ways to ease the travel schedule for wrestlers to allow them to maintain a decent physique without steroids, and also sending them food on the road rather than have them eat restaurant food. He also talked of encouraging the wrestlers to avoid alcohol and pot because they serve to lower the testosterone level which Dave Schur's advice that most wrestlers will take to heart. <laughs> Deep Pasquale said that while there are still some wrestlers obviously on steroids as a result from the last steroid test, he gave the figure 50% who failed, the same figure McMahon released several weeks ago to myself and the Los Angeles Times, and again the figure at the symposium, showed, you, showed, and you could tell by looking at something he claimed all the bodybuilders under contract were clean and have been for the past four weeks. That's a statement everyone Dave spoken with in strengths, turning in circles, suspenses as impossibility. Including one person who told Dave point blank he knew that as a fact wasn't true in regard to one of the bodybuilders. He felt none of the wrestlers would try to beat his test because he believed the wrestlers don't have the sophistication in regards to use of steroids. He also felt some of the bodybuilders would try and beat the test and would fail and be suspended. He said the pro bodybuilders have incredible sophistication in regards to steroid usage and their knowledge of steroids is better than 99% of the doctors. Pasquale is not anti-steroids and, in fact, said they were as safe as birth control pills, which are actually conscious at the steroids. That's a view that a lot of bodybuilders like, body like to hear and embrace, which has made him a popular doctor in muscle circles and a regular columnist in Muscle Mag International. Virtually every doctor and even some steroid gurus they've spoken with and disagree with that viewpoint. Some have said the initial birth control pills were no safer than steroids. But the improvements have been made in birth control pills while steroid technology has stood still in comparison, and there's no comparison to safety of the two today. Even if Deep Pasquale is correct, he admits that in practical use, they aren't as safe because women don't take 20 to 100 times the recommended daily doses of birth control pills like many athletes do of steroids. He also believes every dose of steroids are needed for performance enhancement, and that moderate doses lead to tremendous improvements in athletic prowess with minimal side effects. But that'd be impossible to legislate use of moderate doses without people using extreme doses to give more of an advantage, which will lead to health problems. He also emphatically said the health problems of former athletes like Steve Corson, Lyle Alzado, and Superstar Billy Graham were not steroid-related, and in fact would entertain the notion even with Grant's 20 years of heavy use with little time cycling off. 
Indeed, he felt that there is a chance the onset of Graham's problems may have been delayed by his heavy use of steroids, since steroids could help in the treatment of arthritis. Yes, Dave knows Graham doesn't have arthritis, even though he has joint problems from a, vac a vascular necrosis. When Dave challenged his claim that steroid testing balances the playing field, when a company still encourages steroid use to get hired by his choice of recent new employees, DePasquale said that when the guy's got steroids, it evens everything out, and said whatever gains in strength and size are made on steroids are lost when the person gets off steroids. Something that has been proven in many studies not to be the case at all. Okay, let's stop for a second, because there is a lot, and I don't want to lose sight of everything. Um... <sighs> D. Pascal has some legitimate points here, but then he says the arthritis thing, which is completely unrelated. One is inflammation, the other is the death of bone. Yeah. Like, that's just ridiculous. Um, But it is fair to mention when we're talking about Graham and the degree to which he was affected and, you know, how, as we said on the first show and on the Graham show, that everyone kind of expected the necrosis to happen to more people who were heavy steroid users and it didn't. He wasn't the only one, but he never cycled off. Yeah. Again, not the only one, but still was probably on more consistently than most. So that's, it's, it's worth mentioning. Now I almost forgot to jump in with this. How much do you think Vince flipped the fuck out when he saw the observer and saw that De Pascali was saying he was going to tell him that they should start sending food to wrestlers on the road so they can eat cleaner and not have to rely as much on steroids. <laughs> Who's cooking this goddamn food? Now, this is something that if you wanted to do, it would be much, much easier in 2022 with all of the different, you know, athlete healthy meal companies and stuff around the country. But this is Vince freaking out over in, you know, what expenses he can be expected to cover an employee versus independent contractor and all that, clearly, I would think. Because nothing like this happens. Yeah. So, let, do you have anything else to add from what we've had so far before we move on or not really? Oh, uh, we got more to go. Okay. <laughs> no, but from what you've read so far from from uh, David no. Pascali. Okay. no. On the other hand, he also lets some of the claims regarding current WF testing procedure, which, which a man has built many times is unbeatable, <clears throat> the best test of all sports. He said the current test is nothing but the same test the IOC uses. He said it isn't a bad test, but he has, uh, has all the same flaws that he's pointed out for years in his publications. A theory an athlete who fails the IOC test is then suspended for a lengthy period of time, depending upon the strictness of the rules of the country's amateur sports governing body, during two to four years. In wrestling, the theoretical suspensions are much shorter, six weeks of first offense. However, the problem with all of this are the call the contradictions once again that have come forward regarding the current testing enforcement. Before the testing began, a man said at least to Dave, the first steroid test, which took place on November 13th in New Haven, would be simply to see how widespread the problem is and there would be no penalties involved. However, anyone failing the second test or any test thereafter would be penalized. On Entertainment on November 18th, which was taped at the first test, McMahon said that anyone, no matter how big of a star they were, if they failed the test, which certainly appeared to mean the first test, but perhaps this quote was taken out of context for the show, and even subsequent text, test, would be gone. Later, after the 50% by his own figures failed the first test, he amended his previous statement that anyone whose levels of steroids didn't drop would be suspended. He definitely had meetings with at least several wrestlers, if not every wrestler, who failed the first test and told them that their levels had to decrease in subsequent testing. 
and the wrestlers, at least a few of them, parroted the same line that the levels had to continue to drop, even though three wrestlers told Dave in December that many of the guys were banding together for their right to continue to use steroids regarding I mean, figuring that man couldn't suspend 20 or 40 guys at once. At the Royal Rumble, steroid use appeared to be pretty darn significant. But a few weeks later, there did seem to be a change in a lot of the wrestlers. So either guys backed down or quit using certain drugs and thus couldn't maintain their physical peak and thus looked off. The problem is, according to Deep Pasquale, the technology isn't there to detect levels of steroids with any accuracy, only the fact that there are steroids. The only session would be testosterone, which is judged by levels, which needs to be tampered with by shooting epitestosterone up to given uh, give a false level. Okay, Dave, to be clear, is wrong there. For the testosterone to epitestosterone ratio, that would be correct, but for total testosterone, it would not. Um, he, you, know, <clears throat> you can manipulate it in other ways, like, you know, as he's talked about, you know, the gimmick to get um, a testosterone prescription would be to stop doing steroids, like, and take a birth control pill to throw your levels of everything out of whack and then go to a regular doctor and complain of feeling sluggish and stuff. And, oh, God, you have low testosterone. But I believe as written here is inaccurate. Yeah. All right. However, it is impossible to get off testosterone. Uh, instead, the levels constantly decrease because several weeks after getting off testosterone, the body's own production kicks in and the level will shoot to limits that would test a positive in the test. Known the trade is either the rebound or a bounce back effect, and it's generally what catches the unsuspecting athletes who do fail drug tests. You know, they believe they've gotten off testosterone in more than enough time to clear their system. Well, well okay, wait, 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 wait. <sighs> Dave is clearly wrong here because that would mean. That the threshold would for the test, failing a test, would be strictly based on total testosterone levels and would be low enough that the bounce back of natural production would break it. That, that's clearly not a thing that would happen. Yeah. <laughs> so anyone using a testosterone, which they suspect would have been most of the WF wrestlers at some point, would, because they actually got the drug at some point, it's test regular, which had been this year, gone through a bounce back phase and thus their levels would increase and they'd be suspended. No, they wouldn't. Since there should be even one suspension for steroid policy violation of WF, none of this adds up. Okay, who is giving Dave this information? <laughs> Steve Planamena, I guess. <laughs> no, about about testosterone, though. I don't know. That's not how that works. But uh, what I want to talk about here is the Royal Rowan 92. You know, everybody, you know, the main thing everybody talks about in that match is, of course, you know, Flair and, you know, Bobby Heenan and all that stuff. And, and Hogan and Sid. Look at the guys in that match. That match, I mean, it, it stands out a lot. Looking at some of those guys, how roided up they were. That one in particular. Because it's, it's 1992 the, and you don't expect it necessarily. The, and Survivor Series 91 is another one. Yeah. I mean, look at those shows and just look at how jacked up some of those guys are on those on those shows. Survivor Series 91 would have been just right after that first test, too. So, yeah, it's pronounced. I mean, it's hard to talk about all this shit when you had the fucking warlord prancing around looking like he looked. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, my man claimed he was looking for in the current test results of something his new doctor said our present technology can't even accurately detect for most steroids. For those that can, at least a false detection at some point. In fact, when discussing the current procedure, Deepa Squally laughed repeatedly about the public statements about them being unbeatable and better tests than the NFL IOC because they don't hold water. 
Ashley DePasquale also said he wasn't familiar at all with the kind of testing the NFL does. McMahon used DePasquale's theories on his never-been-done-before testing procedures and that like they were being done at the present, when in fact they won't be done until May. And even then, they are theoretical rather than proven. <clears throat> McMahon's defense is saying that, even though his claim of 15% of the wrestlers failing the most recent steroid test for Larry King show, and his claim that none of the wrestlers were on steroids on Larry King, which appears to be a contradiction, was because 15% that failed were due to prior use of steroids, causing a positive test result. This is possible because some steroids can be detected for six months. He later said that Dr. Anthony Daly, who is at the current program, told him nobody had primary metabolites, which he claimed would denote the current use, but had metabolites showing use in the past. DePasquale said there was no way to determine how recent steroids used that show up in the test are, only that there are steroid metabolites found in the urine. He laughed at the statement that all the 15% were due to prior usage. So, Daly is still there through the end of April, and DePasquale is still burying him to Dave. <laughs> That's amazing. It is wrestling. Yeah. Even with doctors involved. Yeah, and we still got more, Dave. So, we got yet, yet another credibility problem. Everything found in the test was supposedly based on, and most claims of the veracity and unbeatable nature of current tests have turned out to be untrue. And now, nearly five months after the testing started, and nearly nine months after the first announcement of steroid testing, and McMahon going USA Network talking about WS Symbol, assuring all our families of drug free sports entertainment, we find out, well, that somebody called Wolf once again. But now we got a new doctor, a new expert, and new magic unbeatable test. And we're supposedly, even though no other sport has been able to devise an unbeatable test, you mean kind of test for certain drugs, deep asquality things he can detect. And Dave's not even trying to say that this doctor isn't the real deal, nor this is test isn't what he says it is, or that it is. But if they anything right now in regards to steroids and WS face value, and the WS face value, given the company's track record. And well, you know the saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Now, in McMahon's defense, if you look at the wrestlers, there's no doubt steroid use in WF has decreased since November. Well, like I said, look at the Royal Rumble. My feeling here is that the rest well, of themselves... Well, we're most... months past the Rumble now. Yeah. My feeling here is that the rest of themselves, for the most part, who probably didn't have the technical knowledge of what the test can and can't show, to what my man said at face value. They weaned themselves either off the drugs, since they were warned if they didn't, they'd be suspended, or that does appear to be the case for some cases, or at least decreased the dosages because Dave believes most believed levels could not could be detected. Dave has also believed many knew about testosterone bounce back because it's not a secret in steroid periodicals about the effect, and many wrestlers keep up on the latest drug literature. This means if those wrestlers believe in man and were using testosterone, a drug in which levels can be detected, it meant that they would decrease their doses but always stay on a low dose because going completely off would at some point trigger the increase of the levels, which would mean a suspension. No, it wouldn't. And it, it, Now, he does have a good point in here, though, which is that if Vince is telling them they can detect levels, which it appears was not the case, and I think we uh, we would agree long-term, it seems that's not the case, of specific steroids in any kind of consistent, like, up-and-down-over-time way, but if Vince is telling them that, then why wouldn't they think they can just wean themselves off? Yeah. They're not at the sophistication... Uh, they're not used to being tested and having to figure this out. So that is a good point. They did kind of get hung out to dry in that sense. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Given that's the case, my man's statement on Larry King is even more ludicrous than it sounded at face value. But you can say there was some positive out of the program. If it caused wrestlers to decrease their steroid doses to what would be tabbed as safer amounts. Given the prior out-of-control state and organization and defense itself in some circles, it's an improvement, even if deception was involved in creating the improvement. That same defense used back a decade ago when the U.S. Olympic Committee used to use the sink testing method, collecting urine samples from the athletes that say they're being tested for steroids, then pouring all the samples down the sink. And claimed it was successful because since the athletes didn't know the samples were being poured down the sink, it encouraged them to give up or decrease steroid use. <clears throat> Inevitably, when nobody tests positive, the athletes, and they generally know who is on and who is off, figure that there's some sort of con going on. The result is a lack of trust and respect for the governing body and or authority figure for perpetrating a hoax and never trusting them again. But they've guessed in this case, nothing much is lost in that regard. Taking the samples and pouring them down the sink, that's something. <laughs> Well, hey, also, uh, why, why would you use the sink for that? Why aren't you pouring <laughs> them in a toilet? Yeah. That's a little weird <clears throat> and creepy and unsanitary. Yeah. Oh, remember the independent agency McMahon said he was going to hire and investigate all these sexual harassment allegations? Well, it's been two weeks since he went on Larry King and Phil Donahue, and in that period, nobody who came forward with accusation has been contacted by the independent agency McMahon talked about on television. One would think the first people the agency, if there was legit investigation, would try to contact would be Barry Orton, Tom Hankins, and Murray Hodgson, but no dice. You'd think Shocking. so. Shocking. Shocking. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Billy Jack Haynes had segments on ABC and CBS local news broadcasting portal and called for a boycott of the WF and also on a local even magazine show and AM Northwest. Well... I mean, he's doing his thing, I guess. Yeah. Piper was on a Sacramento radio station Monday night to play Mania, and the DJ asked him about steroids. He said he tried them a few years ago, but stopped when he found out they could kill you. The person listening said he was more honest than you'd expect throughout the interview, but the way he gave that answer made him no more honest than Hogan, since Dr. George Zahardian's testimony at the trial made it clear that Piper used steroids from him regularly for many years. But that doesn't really contradict what it says Piper said. No. <laughs> okay. No, 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 it doesn't. All right, well, let's go to the Pro Wrestling Spotlight host, John Arezzi, Valing WF's Influence by Wade Keller, Torch Editor. Host of Pro Wrestling Spotlight radio show in New York for several years, John Arezzi, an editor of a newsletter by the same name, broke up with new business partner Vince Russo last week. <clears throat> Russo, Arezzi's partner in Pro Wrestling Spotlight Enterprises, talked to Steve Planament on the WF, and according to Arezzi, was invited to attend the symposium. Russo, based on his writing and his own admission, as a new follow the inside aspects of the pro wrestling business has not shown evidence of falling into the same philosophical journalistic category as Arezzi and Mushnick. After telling Arezzi he was going, Arezzi asked if he could go too. According to Arezzi, Russo gave his word that he would, only he would go. Arezzi was upset that his partner did not defend him against WF. But according to Arezzi, Russo said he should be happy at least one of them got to go and then question Arezzi's and Mushnick's objectivity. After attending this symposium and apparently spending some time with Vincent Manis T. Planamena, Russo came back to a resi with a proposal that they go to WF offices, offices and meet with McMahon because Russo said, this is our opportunity. You don't know how fun radio would be. We should lay off. Russo, according to a resi, said McMahon and Planamena wanted to discuss putting a promotion together with Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Russo adamantly told a resi, you're broke and an opportunity like this will never come along again. So Russo set up a meeting for After WrestleMania while also booking T. Pasquale for Pro Wrestling Spotlight's radio show without consulting host John Arazzi, <clears throat> and also demanded equal time on the radio show Sunday to talk about the bias of Phil Mushnick. 
<clears throat> Arez, yes, Russo, if he had seen that, they call him by Mustang. Russo Hatton hung up, read it, called Arezzi back, and according to Arezzi, screened Arezzi for feeding Mushnick lies. Arezzi called Mushnick and put him on the conference with Russo. Mushnick then explained that all the information in his column on the Dirty Steroid Symposium came back from USA Today Art Reporter since he, Mushnick, was not allowed to attend. According to Arezzi, Russo hung up in anger. Arezzi then went to Russo's office and called for a breakup of their partnership. Russo, according to Arezzi, told Arezzi he was missing a chance of a lifetime. Arezzi says since then, Russo was negotiating to take over the radio show on the 50,000-watt WEVD for what the radio station said they believe would be a W-affiliate program. Arezzi, however, found, has found a temporary financial backer to take Russo's place and has retained the radio show for at least temporarily. Arezzi told Torch Weekly Russo took WS bait and swallowed the hook. The WF has not returned any Torch Weekly's phone calls for the past several weeks. Arezzi will be starting a new newsletter since Russo said he owns the rights to the name Pro as a spotlight. And will publish Spotlight without Arezzi. Arezzi, with his own newsletter, will honor all subscriptions. Although, as of now, Russo controls the advanced subscription payments. Titans Above Action showed that if they are worried about Arezzi and Mushnet, they are not confident that their troubles are over, despite strong house show attendance. Okay. If people want to hear more about this, one of our earliest Patreon shows is about all this. We do have more stuff than we had then. Some of this may be in a future part of the series because we don't want to overlap too much. But this is a pretty good summary of what happened. Um, I guess where I'll go with this is, you know, kind of what I think was the big conclusion at the end of that show we did, you know, five, six years ago. Since Russo's never going to say it and no one else is, we're never going to know exactly what happened here, right? No. Now, do I believe what Russo said in his first book? That if he could secure the WEVD slot, WWF would pay for it? Yes. But do I think that's really the extent of it? And, you know, or their involvement with his subsequent show? No. Um... There's clearly more going on here if just because, you know, as we talk about on the on that Russo show, you know, what's one of his big complaints when he has his first solo issue of Pro Wrestling Spotlight? Phil Mushnick comparing Vince McMahon to Hannibal Lecter, which maybe not at the time, but would become a tell because, as we said before, Vince really clearly did not like that. Although it was, what was it? There was a subsequent line. There was something else in there that we realized last time probably got to him more. But still, like, we're never going to know. There's clearly more to this. We're just never going to know what it is. And, I mean, is there anything else to add to that? Or, I mean, is the rest of it pretty much just on the page here? You're muted. We did, I had the cough. We did a whole Patreon show about this subject. And, um, I mean, if you want to listen to it. I mean, you're paid, you're listening to this on Patreon. Go listen to that. Yeah. You haven't listened to it already. I mean, it's quite the show to get a glimpse of Vince Russo. So, yeah. But what a week this was, huh? My goodness. Mm-hmm. All right. Now let's go to the week of April the 6th. Three count, April the 7th. Torch, April the 9th. Observer, April 13th. But we have clips to start off with as... We go to the April 6th episode of Now It Can Be Told, where first off we'll have uh, 
Mike Clark and Mary Hodgson involved here as well. Yeah. So, so well, real quick for background, I mean, we, we you know we've talked about it a little bit earlier. This show did not last long, but it was Geraldo Rivera spinning off of his talk show with a daily uh, tabloid news show, basically. And his brother Craig was part of it, too. And yeah, just, you know, daily half-hour show, like Hard Copy, Current Affair, American Journal. What are the other ones? Um, There were a lot of... The, I guess, back then. Well, the main difference, though, was I think now it can be told was generally a single topic. I thought it was multi. I mean, the ones like I've seen affair. online. Well, no, but I'm saying now it can be told that the ones I've seen online like this and some other ones have all been single topic. But maybe I, I don't remember all of it. No, no, I don't remember much of the show. And also just the caveat, um, the version that's on YouTube is incomplete. I think it has most of the stuff we need. I was able to get another copy that had some weird audio issues that's not worth using, even though it's complete. So we'll have most of what we need here, but I also have the transcript in case we need to consult it. So, yeah, let's now we go to Mike Clark, who was a Canadian referee, and there will be some Murray Hodgson sprinkled in. I don't believe it. Referee Mike Clark worked for the WWF for three and a half years. He also learned that his job depended on his sexual availability. Either you do it or you don't. Here's your job. You want to keep your job, you do it. If you don't want to keep your job, you don't do it. Did you ever ask anyone if the reason you were not working was because you didn't perform sexual favors on Terry Garvin? Obviously, Terry Garvin or Pat Patterson or people of that nature who are, you know, second and third in command at Titan Sports are more important than a referee. So, it, you know, something happened to me. I felt it the whole time that it was due to this, that I wasn't working anymore. I really don't know what to make of it. What's shocking about this no situation is that despite his denials no on national no television, no less, McMahon uh, knew what was going on. Why would I condone this kind of activity and risk this alleged kind of revenue? Because Vince, when they fired me, I told him in my meeting, I told him straight up, Vince, your vice president came on to me at the Worcester Arena. I know this is the reason why you're firing me. He cut me off abruptly. He didn't want to talk to me. He didn't want to address the issue. He felt I was just some little peon who was just going to get kicked under the rug like everybody else who didn't do what Vince McMahon wanted them to do. If people like me and people like ev and everybody else who works in the wrestling business knows about this, the very first day I went to work full time for the WWF back in 87, my boss told me, you know about Pat Patterson and Terry Garvin. You ever have a problem, come to me. He said to me. So if he knew, and everybody else knows, Vince McMahon isn't going to know. This is a powerful man with a lot of money who cannot stand to have anybody stand up to him and take him on. We came to the WWF headquarters here in Stanford, Connecticut, to try to speak with Vince McMahon about the allegations of sexual abuse by his staff. But we were turned away by his security. I don't know. I don't know. Shortly after the scandal broke, both Terry Garvin and Pat Patterson resigned from the WWF. A few days later, Mel Phillips was suspended. According to this... Yeah. All right, so... You, might, you can tell that Mike Clark's Canadian. Yeah, and... He may be the most Canadian-sounding and Canadian-looking man I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> the hair... Yeah, he's he... got the hockey hair, yeah. Um, but you know what, though, too... Who's who would be more credible about talking about Terry Garvin than a Canadian referee based on everything we've heard? 
Yeah, and is this the only time he ever said anything? Yeah. So this is the only time you ever hear anything from Mike Clark. Yeah, there That's may odd. There may have been legal action. I'm a little unclear on that. Um, but yeah, like, and look, okay. I I forgot to pull this up. You know, it wouldn't be in the notes anyway. He claims that's not what happened. I find that very doubtful for obvious reasons based on what he describes. Jimmy Corderas, in his book, describes having difficulties with Terry Garvin, but he doesn't get specific because, he's, you know, he, I think he says because he's passed away and he can't defend himself. But what other difficulties would te with Terry Garvin would you be having as a referee losing bookings in Canada because of a dispute with Terry Garvin and... One that he talks about how when he went to Jack Tunney about it, he could tell Jack Tunney kind of already knew what he'd be coming to about, coming to him about. Right? Like, what else well, could Jack that Tunney even be? Yeah. But seriously, what else could that even be? Yeah. You know, it's whether... Look, I think we can agree that he wasn't always like this after he left originally. But Jimmy does come off in recent years like someone who wants to say in WWE's good graces, Yes. Uh, you could say that, yeah. So, yeah, like, I, that's the only thing I can think of. Like, I, you know, um, let me, you know, let me pull, okay, I found it because I had tweeted it at one point, the, the screenshots. So, I forget exactly when this is time frame wise, but so let's say, well, he started there in 87, right? So this is probably, this is somewhere in the middle of, between that and when Terry Garvin would leave. Uh, so he gives the background. We had a good report. Da, 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 da. Now I wish I could go into detail why this tension developed between him and me, but sometimes the, there are matters that are best kept private. In my mind, this is one of those instances where I believe it is best not to go into specifics. One of the reasons why I choose not to give details is because Terry passed away years ago, and therefore it would do no good to make an accusation that no one can defend. Also, I'm trying to keep a positive tone. Okay, maybe not the entire book, but for the most part, I'm trying to stay encouraging. Um, let me go back. Wait, so he said, yeah, he said a problem had developed with Terry Garvin, is all he said. And, uh, okay, I'm skipping ahead, skipping some of the non-essential parts. Uh I find myself. I found myself being booked far less than I than before. No longer was I booked for every TV taping. No longer was I booked for any house shows that were not drivable. In a nutshell, if there are any events that would require me to fly to the event, I was not booked. Although I was still in charge of the Toronto Ring, the one that was stored in New Brunswick was a different matter. Found myself being phased out of my responsibilities for that ring, and I feared my job was in jeopardy. The man who had originally hired me noticed something was changing, and not for the better. Jack Tony called me into his office in downtown Toronto one day to question me about why my duties had diminished so drastically. He closed the door and sat down behind his rather large desk. He then leaned forward and straight out asked what had happened, telling me not to lie to him. It was a very intimidating sight to see him lean forward and look me in the eyes when I spoke. I didn't want to lie to Jack, but at the same time, I didn't want to divulge what had transpired between Terry and me. Again, Jack asked what had happened, this time sounding sterner. I explained to Jack that, with all due respect, it was a matter that I didn't want to discuss and hopefully it would all work itself out. When I looked at Jack's face and his reaction to what I had just told him, there was this sense that I, he had an idea of what I was referring to. It was almost as if he already knew the circumstances surrounding my fall from grace. He told me he understood why I was reluctant to talk about it and that he 
would not press the issue any further. He also reassured me that as long as he as he was in command of the Canadian office, I had nothing to worry about as far as working any Canadian dates. I thank Jack for his understanding and his vote of confidence in me, and you get the idea. Um, to me, that just dovetails with the Mike Clark stuff, doesn't it? Yeah. So, to me, Mike Clark comes off very credible here. Um, this version, I believe, is missing the the clip where he explains the name, uh, the nickname, the cream team though. Would you okay. like to explain who the cream team was? That was the ring boys. Well, not the ring boys. No, 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 no. It was the nickname for wrestlers and referees who were considered oh, Cat yeah. or Terry's boys. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah. Yeah. The, the Terry Garvin School of Self-Defense guys, yes. Yeah. Um, ring of Vice. Let me, I'm trying to find where the hell I have this PDF. Okay, there we go. C-R-E-A-M, as I look for this. Okay, here we go. So, going to read from the transcript real quick that thankfully I have. Because, like I said, the sound on the other version I have, not good. Okay, so Craig Rivera, uh, what is your knowledge of the upper management uh, of WWF using their power for sexual favors? Uh, well, excuse me, that was a Barry Orton thing. And then it skips to Mike Clark. Uh, former WWF referee Mike Clark says Garvin also approached him in a hotel room. He said, if you want to come to the television tapings, I'll bring you to the next television tapings. And I'll book you across every event in Canada. I said, geez, that would be great. And then he said to me, he says, well, how would you like to lie on the bed and have me perform oral sex on you? And I'll give you $500. And then Craig Rivera voices over. Clark turned Garvin down, but he says there were other approaches. Clark continues. He said that you needed a green card to come to the United States to work. And the only way that was feasible is if you became a member of what they called the cream team. Cream team? What's that supposed to be? Well, this is what they call the, the ring crew, the people who set up the rings and the referees throughout the United States that are doing sexual favors for certain bosses in the World Wrestling Federation. The bosses on top of this cream team business were Terry Garvin and Pat Patterson. They were the main two, the main two culprits with this cream team, the whole issue of hiring youngsters due to getting sexual favors. And then Rivera says Clark also named Mel Phillips, calling him the sickest of the three. And then they go into Bruno telling the Allentown story, and you get the idea. So I believe that is the end of Clark for the most part in the episode, or at least as far as specific details. Like there's a little bit more that comes later, but nothing super relevant, but, you know, just kind of more along the lines of what he'd like to see happen and that kind of thing. So, yeah, Terry, so basically Terry Garvin, he, he wants to pay you to blow you. <laughs> well, you 500 bucks. I mean, we've heard this before. We've heard these stories. I mean, it seems like the Jim Barnett stories are always that. And I think we, at least I have it. I think you've been involved in some of these discussions with certain friends of ours off air. The impression is if it's a guy they consider straight and we know Terry Garvin liked going after guys who at least identified as straight, that he considered that a way where he'd be able to for them to be more pliable. Oh, it's, you know, it's not gay if blah, blah, blah kind of thing. Um, oh, there is one more Clark thing later on that I should add. Um, it's people like me and people like 
and everybody else who works in the wrestling business who knows about this. The very first day I went to work full-time for the WWF back in 1987, my boss told me, you know about Pat Patterson, Terry Garvin. You ever have a problem, come to me, he said to me. So if he knew and everybody else knows, Vince McMahon isn't going to know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Trying to think of anything else as far as that. I don't think there is. I'll bring this up here because it ties into, you know, what I just read. Do you think there is a plausible explanation for Terry Garvin's school of self-defense that is, quote-unquote, just homophobia? Or do you think it's pretty obviously a specific reference to all this? I mean, it's a, it's a reference to the cream team. Yes, I agree. And it's just, this is what it is. It's a, it's a joke. Because these guys were noted for being Terry Garvin's boys. And it's Gorilla and whoever else making jokes on commentary about it. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it, a lot of the Terry Garvin School of Self-Defense jokes is Gorilla and Lord Alfred Hayes mm -hmm. on commentary, which Lord Alfred Hayes, we all know about. He had some, he had some things going on with him as well. Yep. So it's it's all part of this big joke. You know, yeah. they find it funny. So, I mean, would like the crowd at Donahue finds it funny. I yeah. mean, they find it funny. And, you know, so. Yeah. And as far as Murray Hodgson, because we had a little bit of him in there, he comes off more obviously phony here than he did on Donahue, right? He. The setting. He came up, yeah. He came off more scripted. Yes. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't, I wouldn't say sincere, um, which, it, you know, he was, the thing is, he was, um, on Donahue, he was rehearsed, but he, he did it in a way where, I mean, he's, he was just going, it was like stream of consciousness here, here he, he, he's, he looked more scripted. Yes. And it sounds more like he just has pat lines. Oh. Yeah. You know, my, my, oh, your vice president came on to me. Yeah. Now so, I'll say uh, less in fairness to him, but just as far as the different environments, we'll see now. You know, as we were about to get into Rita Chatterton, whatever you think of how she comes off here, good or bad, when we get to the Geraldo clip later, where she gets a lot more time, and there's not editing and stuff, I think she comes off. Not to say she's not credible here, but she comes off more credible there. So I'm I'm kind of curious, you know, once we get there, how you view the two different interviews. But yeah, that's what we're getting into now. Rita Chatterton, um, just going to give one last quick warning here. She does actually describe, you know, the sexual assault at, that she alleges at Vince's hands here. So if you do not want to hear that specific thing, you know, skip ahead, uh, I guess we'll play this mostly straight through, right? So, based the way I put my timestamp here, that would be... So, about two minutes after the clip starts. So, here we go. Vince McMahon may not have been talking to us, but plenty of other people were. The next thing I know, Vince unzipped his pants. This woman claims McMahon told her sex was part of her job. It was worth a half a million dollars a year. Her story when we continue our investigation in a moment. His pants. And he took my hand and he kept 
putting my hand on his on his penis. He started telling me that uh, he knew I didn't have a job. I had left Frito-Lay because of him. He knew that I had a daughter and that he could either make me or break me. The choice was mine. And he made me have oral sex with And he started to get really excited. And I pulled away. And he got really angry and said that it was worth a half a million dollars a year. And when I said no, he said that I'd better satisfy him. And he started pulling my pants off. And he pulled me on top of him. And he satisfied himself through intercourse. Afterwards, Rita Marie said she worked for the WWF only three or four more times. And the single mother of a teenage daughter says she kept silent about McMahon's advances for almost six years. I held off for a long time because of my parents. Both of my parents were very ill. My mother died a year ago. My father died two weeks ago. Between not having to worry about my parents' health and with other people coming forward. God, I just hope somebody listens. Rita says she is trying to reach an out-of-court compensation settlement with McMahon, perhaps inspired by the success of another W. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, the format definitely, like, this is not a reflection on her. The format definitely just does not help. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it feels at best prying and you know what i mean like um and just it makes the tone weird uh and i again this is not a reflection on her and we'll get into this more wing into the Geraldo stuff when we get in you know the following week it makes the show come off disingenuous that it i mean certainly this ends up being the belief of the wwf side it it comes off like they're not saying the word rape because they think that's what will get them sued. Yeah, it wasn't mentioned at all there. I mean, and it, 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 but Craig it Rivera says it, it is, but Craig Rivera also says advances after two. You know, like yeah, they're framing this as sexual harassment strictly when obviously she is well, alleging uh, a crime. I mean, she said he forced or, forced oral sex and then penetration. Yeah, so I mean, if, like, that doesn't, if that doesn't say rape, I don't know what does. Yeah, and as we'll get to when we get to the following week, like that. But they're but they're scared to death of 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 a lawsuit, absolutely. Which they got anyway. Um, which they got anyway, and we're going to get them out of what? Yes, although... I mean, if you're going if you're going to put her if you're going to put her on the air, and you know, have her say this, you better be ready for yes. that because I mean, that's what's going to. I mean that. That's what's going to happen. I mean, if somebody alleges somebody of rape, they're going to, I mean, more often than not, the, the person that's alleged is going to come out with some type of legal action. Yeah, I mean, that's to be expected. We should note, though, when Vince sues, and I think it's technically Vince and Linda, you know, a year later, you know, filed the same week as the Mushnick and Post lawsuit, it is not a defamation lawsuit. 
Vesu Geraldo, his production company, his producer, uh, his distributor, which I think was Tribune. They sue Rita Chatterton. They sue David Schultz for his alleged involvement in all this. But they don't sue for defamation. They they allege a civil conspiracy, which I guess is a thing, but doesn't really... It makes you wonder when you're suing someone else for something similar and you're saying they defamed you. I'm not a lawyer, but it it, 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 it still comes off conspicuous that it wasn't a defamation case, right? Just as a layman. I mean, when you, yeah, wouldn't you say slander? You well, know? Which, defamation, yeah. So But still slander. I mean, at the very least. I mean, I'm a reporter and I always forget which is libel and which is slander. So it's, one's written, one's spoken. But defamation covers them both. So I just stick with saying defamation. But, um... Do you should we do you want to reserve comments on her story until we get to the Geraldo stuff in the next segment when we do the following week or do you want to talk about it a little here? I mean, I, I we could I guess we could wait, but I mean, still, I mean, if you're watching this, I mean, that's a pretty powerful yeah. moment there, you know. I mean, it, she's very emotional and you know, she comes across as very believable. In this, absolutely, you can you can understand that. Yeah, there, there's a there's a great chance this happened. So, yeah, yeah, there's there's nothing that comes off as fake on this now. Yeah, and I don't think me. I really need to dive into the missing parts from the transcript here because she just she gives an overall more detailed version on Geraldo the following week. So I think we can just save yeah, that so for we'll, later. Yeah. All right. So the last clip we have here is kind of how they close the show and wrap up. Um, by getting into what we were about to hear, which is Tom Cole and why his interview is not in this episode. Rita says she is trying to reach an out-of-court compensation settlement with McMahon, perhaps inspired by the success of another WWF employee, Tom Cole. Cole was the ring boy who sparked the whole sex scandal when he threatened to sue the WWF for sexual harassment. Vince McMahon found out about this scandal before it had an opportunity to get to court. What he did do was rehire Cole with the promotion and back pay rumored to be in the neighborhood of $70,000. That surprised me because in a conversation I had with Cole, he told me he would never work with the WWF again. I can't show you that exclusive interview with Cole because we were threatened with legal action by Cole's attorneys. They pointed out that we agreed to air the interview after his suit was filed. As we told you, it never was and never will be. That threat of legal action was the start of what has become a giant wrestling match between now it can be told and the World Wrestling Federation. Geraldo, you know what I'm talking about. I sure do, Craig. Here are just some of dozens of pages of legal documents, allegations, threats, and bluster sent our way in an attempt to scare us off and prevent this investigation from airing. I'll tell you much more about the power and the fury of the World Wrestling Federation when we return in a moment. Okay, real quick. Um, I forget sometimes... To their credit, they do admit that they told him they wouldn't – or that they agreed that it wouldn't air until after he filed the lawsuit. It, say what you will about Geraldo, and, and he and his people definitely did some things in sleazy ways in putting this together as we discussed a little bit earlier. They were honest about why it wasn't airing. Yeah. 
Um, the other thing before we get to the close of the show here, uh, there are some other photos too and stuff, but good God, is it disconcerting how young Tom Cole looks in the photos from when he was doing the ring boy stuff. Yeah. Big head of hair though. Yeah. But, <laughs> so anyway, here is the last minute of the show where Hualto goes over, you know, what was said in Tom's affidavit and all that. Their concern. Allegations of teenage sexual abuse certainly can't help business when so much of the audience is comprised of children. Ironically, although they did prevent us from running the Thomas Cole interview, the affidavit filed for that effect by Thomas Cole and his lawyers provides perhaps the best evidence of precisely the kind of abuse this young man experienced. I'll quote from it. The interviews contain graphic descriptions of sexual abuse I sustained between the ages of 13 and 19. Most of it between the ages of 13 and 16. This abuse has left me emotionally scarred, end quote. There is also no doubt that this investigation has scarred the already controversial reputation of the WWF. And there is no lawyer on this planet that can stop me from saying that. That's it for now. I'm Geraldo Rivera. Okay, guys, why don't you give us a show? He's at a wrestling school for the whole thing. <laughs> and yeah, it ends with two of the wrestlers uh, having a match over the credits. Yeah. I forget which wrestling school. I, I heard which wrestling school it was recently, but I forget which. It's I think it's one in New England somewhere. Um, you know, look, there's more to this. Some of it's rehashing stuff we've gone over earlier with Hodgson and Barry Orton and Bruno and Graham. So we don't really need to go over it. But what do you recall if you had seen this before? Uh, I'm, I don't remember ever seeing it now. It's weird because they're... <sighs> It comes off kind of sleazy, and we know there was some actual sleaziness in how they did it and all that, but in many ways, this is also easily the best piece of TV journalism about the scandals. Well, Dave says it was the most brutal. He said that now it can be told feature on WF and the sex scandals far and away, the most brutal major media feature on the subject thus far. While the show's overall accuracy and journalistic standards are actually better than every show that has covered the subject... There are two factors that will lead to this being not particularly damaging by itself. First off, the show is only in a limited number of markets. Second, the show's reputation isn't the best, and it's considered tabloid fare even when serious news is broached. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's what a lot of people looked at this as. I mean, it's tabloid television. It's yeah. just a different... It's not It's not Geraldo's show, but that's what it was. And that's what all those shows were, were really considered back in that time period. Yes. And one thing I will say, though... <laughs> Obviously, he's lost the plot more and more over the years, but we need to remember, though, like, he turns into a daytime talk show host who sometimes carries serious issues and stuff. Geraldo Rivera was a very legitimate investigative TV news reporter in New York originally. Well, he made his hay with ABC doing, you know, a lot of that stuff, too. I mean, yeah, I mean, Geraldo's Geraldo. I mean, he's a guy who he's, you know boisterous and he's got a huge ego but the, the guy has done a lot of serious work over in his lifetime yes and for many 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 years it, you know it's some the way he, you know he's handled himself over years and just some of the stuff he's done that kind of overshadows that but yeah i mean he's a very strong reporter 
Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know how big the legacy of this is outside of the New York area. Um, and you can actually stream it. I know Geraldo's website has one point. It's actually also on the, oh, the 50th anniversary just came last month. That's why the whole thing is on the WABC you know, website, abc7ny.com. Um, his legacy that really ended up driving his career was his multi-part investigation of Willowbrook State School here in New York, which was a state-run facility um, for uh, people who we would now classify as having intellectual disabilities. And it is traumatizing to watch. Um, if you've never heard of it, I would say at least read up on it a little bit. But it... I mean, he... It is probably the single most famous piece of TV news journalism or TV journalism, I guess, in the New York market, maybe ever, you know? So, yeah. like, that was legit. Um, but, you know, he's a Raldo. So, all right, go back to Dave, I guess. Yeah, the show brought forth two new names in the set scandal, both former referees, Michael Clark and Rita Chatterton who refereed 1985-86 as Rita Marie. Chatterton's story painted a horrible portrait of Vincent Mann, claiming that Vince promised her the world and talked of a cover on Time Magazine and $500,000 income in exchange for sexual favors. Chatterton spoke of an encounter in McMahon's limousine on July 16, 1986, in which she claimed in a tearful television interview that McMahon physically, for for, physically forced sexual intercourse on her. So they didn't say rape. Chatterton claimed by refusing to acquiesce to McMahon's well, he desires. Effectively did. Yeah, but not to use the word. Yeah. Uh, refusing to acquiesce to McMahon's desires that her bookings as a referee ceased. She said the reason it took her nearly six years to come forward was because her parents weren't in the best of health. It didn't want to put them through what assuredly would be a stressful legal fight since her name would be run through the mud. Both her parents have now passed away. Her father passed away just a few weeks ago. And the combination of that and everyone else coming forward is why she claims she came forward with these charges. She admits to telling others in the wrestling business about them in 1986. One of the people she told, one of the industry's biggest names, told us Friday night about a conversation with Chatterton right after the, the alleged incident, which corroborates some but contradicts other aspects of the story. The statute of limitations expired in this case, both as far as a legal and, or a civil tort, for the uh, alleged act's concern. However, her attorney, Robert Wolf, of New York, is pursuing litigation on the case based on his ability to prove that this wasn't an isolated incident, but a constant pattern within the company. Chatterton passed a lie detector test about two weeks ago in regards to the story she told on Now It Can Be Told, according to Wolf. Her story was fully corroborated on the record by Joe Stewart, who was the driver to limo on Monday. That's Jim Stewart. Stewart who was That's Dave making a mistake. Yes. Stewart, who has a lawsuit against that man in the complaint, alleges that more illegal acts have to take place in McMahon's limousines, said he was driving the limo the night the alleged incident took place. Vince McMahon and WF refused to respond to, respond to appear on now and to address the charges on the show brought out and have been able to be reached for comments as the show aired due to WrestleMania. Clark, who appeared on the show along with Murray Hodson, Bruno Sammartino, and Barry Orton, Told a story about how he claimed he was let go as a referee by WF as a re refusing a homosexual advance for Terry Garvin. The WF is just filth, lies, and cheaters. They'll step on anyone's toes to get what they want. Clark, who worked for the WF for three and a half years, claimed that Garvin asked him if he could perform oral sex on him. 
In exchange, Garvin said he'd get him put this referee through uh, Canada, get him a green card so he could work in the United States, and also give him 500 bucks. Clark said that when he refused, his career at WF was over. Clark claimed it was the crew referees and Rain Boys who were doing sexual favors for manager headed by Garvin and Pat Patterson that was known as the Cream Team. Clark called Mel Phillips the sickest of the three. Garvin and Patterson resigned in the wake of the scandal, and Phillips was suspended shortly thereafter. Another XWF wrestler confirmed the Cream Team name and said it first started as a joke. A takeoff of the Dream Team, the tag team of Greg Valentine and Bruce Beefcake, who were the tag champions when the moniker came out. But soon everyone realized it was something that wasn't funny. Clark, who came off as extremely believable in the piece, said he knew a few wrestlers who got their jobs through sexual favors. The show also made it seem clear that McMahon was aware of all this. Hodgson spoke of his meeting with McMahon, which credit to his fired. When he said he brought up the exchange of Patterson at the Worcester Centrum, and McMahon brushed him off. He fed off some little peon who was going to kicked under the rub because they didn't do what Vince McMahon wanted him to do. Clark followed by saying that he w- was warned by Patterson and Garvin the very first day he was in the wrestling business. Said, Everyone in the wrestling business knew about them, so there was no way McMahon couldn't have. The show was banned because of a court injunction from an interview with Tom Cole, the ring boy who was back working with WF after selling his agreements a few weeks ago. However, they quoted from Cole's affidavit as far as the injunction banning the interview. The interviews contain graphic descriptions of sexual abuse he received at the between the ages of 13 and 19, most between 13 and 16, which has left him emotionally scarred. The program was meant to be a go for the juggler investigation, and clearly it was exactly that. However, with such an abundance of material on the subject, the, the report was hurt credibility-wise in a few parts because of the use of speculative charges, particularly insu- insinuation during the show that Patterson and Garvin were still working for the company. Both San Martino and Hodgson said basically that if they were to guess, they believed both were still working with WF. While Dave can't dispute that point, it was speculation of the type that neither knew about and really didn't leave hard to piece. The show also gave the ridiculous $1.7 billion figure for WF's gross annual revenue. And now it takes in more money than the National Football League and said Vince McMahon single-handedly took wrestling from smoke-filled arenas to family rooms. In addition, Barry Orton's story was edited to make it seem like the story of Garvin hitting on him was something recent when it was actually 1978 and before either Orton or Garvin worked with WWF. While Orton's story is valid, in fairness, it needs to be put in its proper context. Again, it's when you do shit like this is when it makes all of your reporting come into question. Like we said in the first show, you know, with all that, that the $1.7 billion and all that stuff, Making more, bringing in more money to the National Football League. I mean, good God! I, I hear that and see that, and I'm like, wait a minute. If I'm just somebody, some you know, some scrub that's just wa- hearing about this for the first time, and then seeing and hearing hearing this stuff, knowing that is untrue, what am I to believe that the rest of the story is true? You know? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I love how now it can be told. <coughs> Excuse me. When they showed Vince, <coughs> I don't know. I'm coughing all of a sudden. When they showed Vince on Donahue, um, something must have gotten stuck in my throat. Um, they showed the "Why would I risk this kind of alleged revenue?" clip. Yeah. So, <laughs> overall, it is fairly well done. And then also, it there is the stuff we didn't play to where, um. Hodgson talks about hearing of animals being abused and stuff, which, you know what, though? We've heard enough stories about how some of the wrestlers who had animals treated them. That's not that outlandish. Yeah. 
So, you know, this ends up dragging out with the lawsuit and stuff a year later, some, but I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, here's the thing that really sticks with me about all this of certainly among national media and really of any media with any big footprint. This is the, you know, look, Tom's settlement obviously changed things. It really comes off like Geraldo was the only one that had any interest in actually trying to cover the Ring Boy stuff. Yes. And he does deserve credit for that. He loses points for how his producer, Brzezkowski, <laughs> hounded Tom to try to get him to do the interview, among other things. But yeah. he's clearly – he was clear – he and his producers and, you know, and his brother and all that, they were clearly among the people who actually saw what the real story was here. Yeah. Um, as far as Garvin and Patterson still working there, everyone's always sworn that Patterson wasn't still working there. There are people who think maybe he was still being paid, but it doesn't look, it doesn't seem like he was actually doing anything. And I've seen people point out in more recent years too, if you watch the TV week to week after Patterson and Garvin leave, it is very obvious in the booking how much Patterson has missed. Yeah. <laughs> there's much I mean, less direction. Yeah, like there's much less cohesion. It, you know, I, I mean, Bruce, so I guess Bruce is in the mix, but Bruce has not been doing this nearly as long as Pat. So. <sighs> Bruce ain't there at the time. Oh, no, you're right. Old. At this point, he's not there. Yeah, so it's just Vince and is JJ still booking? Yeah, JJ's still booking. JJ's but, there. Yeah, JJ is still on the creative team, but yeah, Bruce will go back till um, summer. Yeah, and also the, story, the Dusty was trying to get him in WCW. Yeah, when Watts was there. Yeah, no, you're right. I had a brain fart there. Um, and JJ, I mean JJ's not the big picture guy. You know, with Dusty, he was the detail guy. And it seems like Pat was maybe more of a big picture guy to a degree. Yeah. So you can see how things might have started to go off the rails a little bit. So I think it's possible he was paid, but I do think at this point everyone told the truth that he wasn't actually working there. Yeah, he was. I mean, yeah, he's gone. Yeah. Garvin, it seems like, was completely gone from the beginning. yeah. Um, Phillips, you know, if he was technically suspended, who the hell knows, but before long, he's completely gone too. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, now we have more on Murray. Um, yeah. Dave's thoughts on Hodgson said, uh, Hodgson, a former disc jockey based out of Detroit was hired to do event centers in the worldwide Bennett Federation events, basically taking over Sean Mooney's duties after a year long talent search by WF has claimed many times he was fired for not doing sexual favors for Pat Patterson, and has a lawsuit against Titan out in this regard. That man claimed that Hodgson was fired because he couldn't make the transition from radio television. But if Hodgson hasn't proven anything else thus far, he has proven the ridiculous of that ridiculousness of that statement, although that doesn't necessarily confirm the Patterson incident as a reason for the termination. He displayed a sectional television presence and camera savvy, even beyond that of McMahon or Don- on Donahue, and followed up with an even stronger presence on this show. Hodgson, who was used as a focal point in time to gather most of the charges, even talked of allegations of animals being abused and killed, and the steroid used to contradict the WS self-proclaimed family entertainment image. 
The latter two charges were never delved into for the remainder of the program. Animals being abused and killed. Oh boy. Yeah, now you now now you know you're starting to go a little over the edge. If Hodgson just stuck to his main things, that'd be different. But now you're starting to delve into something like that. <laughs> Good lord! It comes off as rhetoric coming from him. Because it's just too much. Yeah. Um. But Dave, Dave, you know, I mean. He thought, he thought he came off very convincing on this, you know, even though we come, thought he came off as uh, faker you know, than he did before. Fake. But it seems like Dave, yeah. Dave didn't think he came off as convincing on Donahue, though. That's so, yeah, he's the complete opposite. Yeah, I don't know what I make of that. But yeah, I don't even. Anyway, we've got another. Uh, we got something else that aired this week, though. Yeah, from the CBS Evening News on April the sixth. So let's go to that clip. Yes, and. This may have – it's not super hard-hitting as Dave gets into. This may have the single most batched Vince quote of the entire Titan Gate. So. Well, the baseball season doesn't open until next week. College basketball's Final Four is not till tomorrow, and the hockey players are on strike. So there's time to catch up on professional wrestling. That always strange world of hoaxsters and hoaxsters has been hit now with some real scandals. Bob Fall reports tonight's Eye on America. This is to sport what Jim and Tammy Baker are to religion, what Ripper is to wine. Very distant relatives. The winner, determined by the promoter beforehand, never lays a hand on the bum, only the spit is real. And yet this hideous combination of sideshow, acrobatics, and good guy versus evil has been boffo box office. Now, though, the business has been rocked by unprecedented charges of sleaze, even sexual depravity, from ex-wrestlers appearing on late-night radio shows. It is definitely sexual harassment any way you slice it. To the holiest of holies, national daytime television. Now come forward a number of people to say, because I wouldn't have sex with another guy in the game, I couldn't get promoted. I wouldn't sleep with the vice president of operations, so they fired me. You saw Ring Boys, did you, being sexually harassed? Yes, I, I've seen Ring Boys uh, being sexually harassed. Weird, you say? You want weird? Take what happened to midget wrestler, the Karate Kid. Propositioned, he says, by a prominent wrestling executive, then blackballed because he said no. The main reason, though, you didn't work was because you wouldn't go to bed with him. I believe that's the main reason. No criminal indictments have been brought, no lawsuits filed, but the charges are no small potatoes because the cash cow of professional wrestling claims to sell more merchandise than even the National Football League. That's not all that's at stake. Even the that was interesting phrasing, wasn't it? It's that claims. No, but also sell more merchandise. Yeah. Not grosses more revenue. It goes back to the original which... claim, which was licensing revenue brought in by WWF products. Which, here's what I'll say about that. Yeah. At that point in time, they probably did. Because the NFL, in the, even into the early 90s, was not a merchandise juggernaut like it is now. Because they, they didn't have, like, they never had a singular 
company doing their jerseys. Right. They didn't have. I mean, they they there was a lot of stuff going on even into the mid to late nineties. I mean, they didn't have a singular company. Different teams would have different companies make their jerseys. It was really weird. Um, and then uh, eventually, as the nineties ended. Then everything went to something else. But I mean, back in the late '90s, you could, if you went to like a fucking mall, you would you could buy NFL jerseys made by Nike, Puma, uh, Reebok, um, Starter, Russell Athletic. I mean, there were different different teams had different contracts, hmm. and then it became one big umbrella going into the early. 2000s but yeah i mean i could definitely see the wf doing more merchandise than nfl in 1991 i can see that yes that number is probably still bullshit but yeah the broader claim in that context has some potential legitimacy to it yeah i mean you know we've thought about it Based on, you know, the trade publication playthings for the toy industry for 1990, where those WWF figures were only out the second half of the year, those Hasbro WWF figures came in at number three on their best-selling toys chart for the year. Yeah. You know, and like we said, huge licensing push around that time in general. So, let's go back to CBS Evening News. The game's biggest name has been tarnished. I'm glad you've been listening to Hulk Hogan for the last five years yelling and screaming about training, saying your prayers, and eating your vitamins. But what Hulk Hogan preaches is apparently not what he practices. He took steroids like he drank water. One-time wrestler Dave Schultz used to be the Hulkster's best friend. Did you personally observe Hogan at any point taking steroids? Sure. I injected Hogan with steroids many times. Many times. Many, many times. A dozen Hundreds times. of times. Hundreds. Hundreds. Hulkamania is the largest arms in the world. Hulk Hogan would not talk with CBS News, but the man who has made millions marketing Hogan has gone on the offensive. Some of these allegations are absolutely absurd that have been raised. McMahon insists it's all just a conspiracy to wreck his business. Oh, there's Linda. And it just seems as though uh, they're all ganging up on us uh, all at one time. These are people with axes to grind? Yes. They would like to see you fail. No question. There's no sign the charges have done any harm. Although Hogan's star may be waning, one major manufacturer just ordered more wrestling toys. WrestleMania will be sold out. And even critics need promoters. <laughs> All right. So as he's talking about that, they just had a picture, a, a video of WCW's Galoob commercial in that. Yes. We're talking about WWF. WCW, everybody! <laughs> in a manner speaking, yeah. <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> original fan mania is deep enough. Pause it again. Yeah. Poor WCW. This is a hit piece on WWF. <laughs> well, it's not a hit piece, but still, yes, I got your point. Uh, still. But still, they, had, they they get their video put in there. <laughs> they had already showed one of the WWF Hasbro commercials. <laughs> yes. Oh, so, so WCW. All right. Ride out the storm. This is not going to... Oh, Tatanka, he would never be linked to anything like this. 
Trek. Well, this yeah. was fun. It was oh, interesting no. about this no. is he's not even really like a, on the roster roster yet. He is, but he's not. He's not. He's not. Well, they, no, they, he's they on can't. Mania. He's on Mania, and this is right around Mania. So that's right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, no. you're right. But I mean, he but they did the vignettes in January, there. and here, yeah, From you're right. Who feel discarded? Who might have been? Who fallen on leaner times? There is a crescendo of opinion. Congress ought to investigate. Yes, Congress. Where checks have been hitting the canvas harder than Andre the Giant. No, wrestling or whatever this is has survived scandals before, and there is no reason to believe this one too won't be. Was that Angelo Mosca Jr.? I think so. Because this is this is all star wrestling stuff right here from Canada. Yeah, they're just mining whatever B roll they have from old WWF stuff here, which yeah. is very obvious. Ground out by all the fans who couldn't care less. This is Bob Fall in St. Joseph's, Missouri, for Eye on America. That's part of our world tonight. Dan Rather, for the CBS Evening News. Don't forget 60 Minutes on Sunday. I'll see you Monday. Okay. Where's the frequency, Kenneth? So, obviously, the big thing here is just how insane Vince comes off. <laughs> and Linda's sitting there beside him. Yeah, it's a conspiracy. Uh, which we should note, he would say it years later. I'm sure there's an observer with it. Maybe he also said it on audio. I'm not looking up where it's from right now. Dave Meltzer would explain that during his conversations with Vince as the scandals were breaking, Vince made him swear that once it came out that Ted Turner was behind all of this, he would report it. <laughs> That sounds like a paranoid Vince, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I've, I think I've said before, a lot of the Ted Turner shit with Vince is just bullshit and projection and public bluster. I don't think that was. No. Um, Vince Vince had a complex about Ted Turner because mm -hmm. Vin, Ted Turner's who Vince wanted to be. Yes. Well, and also so. because – well, there's no – we don't know that he had the complex about Turner before Turner brought out Crockett though because, you know, as we've gone over, the whole story – like even the version I think we thought like the official WWF version of why they left TBS in 85 was not even what we thought the real version was or it, much less Vince's version of Ted wanting to buy him out. So – I, I, you know, Meltzer's talked about how Vince felt like they cheated. I, I put Crockett out of business fair and square. How dare Ted Turner buy them out and keep the company going? So, yeah. just with insanity, though. Now, okay, as far as the other stuff, it's too brief a segment to pack in all the stuff they wanted to pack in. They don't really explain most of the allegations. You know, Little Brook and Karate Kid barely get to talk. Um, they don't really address the ring boy stuff at all. Schultz, I will say, for someone in this set who in this setting can come off just as blustery and in character a lot of the time, he does not hear. He comes off a lot more sedate or however you want to put it. And I'm, I'm well, he, he wasn't on there much, so it's kind he of wasn't, but still, he he doesn't appear to be on the way he is well, in their interview. We don't know what the full interview was, but yeah, sure, of course, um, because they didn't give him that much. I mean, that wasn't a long segment, so no, um, it was, was the it was the end of the evening news segment. Yes, and 
Now let's get to what Dave thought. Even with minor flaws, the Nelkin be told piece was worlds better than the piece on CBS Even News with Dan Rather aired that same day. The CBS piece round down some of the major charges and basically rehashed stories that have been reported elsewhere. It was basically a case of lazy journalism with little investigating and just going with a few surface stories. The investigation was lighthearted, but still very damaging. Concentrating on the charge that midget wrestler Karate Kid was blackballed for not acquiescing to a homosexual advance and the Hulk Hogan steroid connection. There were also major and unforgivable factual errors, such as there hadn't been one arrest nor lawsuit filed related to any of these charges to make them seem unsubstantial. In fact, there have been numerous drug arrests there for wrestlers, including the fairly high-profile drug trial of the company's most well-known pusher. In addition, two wrestlers have been busted for drugs just in the previous nine weeks. There have also been three lawsuits filed that relate to the topics talked about. And most unforgivably, two of the lawsuits were filed by Hodgson and superstar Billy Graham, both of whom appeared in the piece. They also said WrestleMania is going to sell out when there was no secret within the industry that show was being heavily papered because the advance didn't indicate they could come close to filling the building. Pro Wrestling itself took its lumps in the piece, being called a hideous combination of sideshow, acrobatics, and good guy versus evil. Even though all these charges with the accession of steroids, which cuts across wrestling and many other sports, were limited to the WWF, the piece never di- differentiated between WWF and the rest of wrestling, and the whole industry was indicted to a highbrow audience. But no matter how serious the charge, the story was always kept tongue-in-cheek. Hogan came off the worst of anyone, when they were saying that what Hogan preached is apparently not what he practiced. This was followed by David Schultz saying that Hogan took steroids like he drank water and mentioned injecting him hundreds of times. Hogan, as with every article on the subject, refused to be interviewed to respond to the piece. McMahon appeared, however, and called all the allegations absurd and tried to call it a conspiracy. What was absurd was for CBS, even with the time restraints of a four-and-a-half-minute piece, they ended the newscast and was plugged throughout the day Thursday and throughout the newscast on Friday for CBS to air a blanket statement regarding so many different charges. Clearly, the evidence is more than overwhelming concerning the drug charges. There's an awful lot of cooperation that sex abuse and harassment in some form had taken place. How prevalent it was is this question. Although Titan and public admitted to it, from all accounts, the Tom Cole story appears to have a lot of validity. The pardon upon the jury is out on a few of the other cases. All these charges have to be taken individually, not collectively. It wouldn't surprise David all to find out some of the stories may lack credibility. But we've now had 11 or 12 different people come forward. Four or five who admitted abuse as ring boys, three wrestlers regarding harassment, one announcer, two referees, and another who claims that witness at least one of the encounters. CBS did echo what it called the crescendo of opinions that Congress ought to investigate the industry, but again in a tongue-in-cheek manner. While airing so many charges on such a weather-viewed and so-called credible news program was quite damaging to the entire industry as a whole. More sponsors are now steering clear of wrestling in general because of the bad publicity, Unfortunately, because there are many innocent parties being victimized because this piece painted the entire industry with one brush, when most of these charges related to just one company in the industry. However, in many ways, the segment tried to trivialize them by downplaying their importance because fans couldn't care less. Dave somehow thinks that the NFL or NHL had a similar situation and their stadium stayed full, which they would, that the CBS even News wouldn't do the story tongue-in-cheek and trivialize it because live attendance won't suffer. Yeah? Yeah? Um, I'll say Dave's this right. Though. Go ahead. I mean, Dave's right. I mean, to be on the CBS Evening News in 1992. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That 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 was not that was that was very lazy. So yes, but it was also it's impactful for it to be on the CBS Evening News. But most of the more serious stuff didn't really come up that much. Yeah, but yeah, it's just. When it's on something serious like that, it needs to be handled that way. Mm-hmm. 
And say what you will about Geraldo, he treated it all deadly serious. Yeah. Yes. Um, real quick before we move on to the what the Torch has to say about Geraldo and some of the other shows. Um because Dave says it, and you know, some of the others say this a few times throughout all this, taking them individually. I mean, that is true in terms of weighing each individual person's allocations. But we're also talking about people who were coordinating in patterns and stuff, too. And I feel like Dave is kind of missing the forest from the trees on that here 30 years ago. Yeah. So, yes. Now let's go to Wade. Looking ahead, Geraldo Rivera is expected to dedicate one of his talk shows to the Titan Sports Theory scandals in the near future. A representative for Larry King Live told the Torch Weekly that King himself has shown interest in doing another story and they're keeping a very close eye on further developments. And Monta Williams was expected to do a show this week, canceled reportedly because Donahue covered the issue already. Other stories and features could be running in the coming weeks, including 2020, which may run their feature on steroids within the next three weeks. It appears that my man and Titan Sports have a lot more to answer to, and this story is not going to disappear or quickly fade away. By next week's issue, there should be additional background available on new allegations made against the WF and Vincent Mann. All right, let's go to three count. Excerpt from WF hit with more sex charges by Alice Marvez, three count editor. WF came under fire on New York television on March 31st at a news conference assembled by three-count reader Dory DeQuattro. Two of the people who spoke were Murray Hodgson and Jim Wilson, a former National Wrestling Alliance wrestler who claims to have been blackballed from the sport in 1974 after refusing sexual advances from current World Championship Wrestling employee Jim Barnett. Alice hopes to have a column from DeQuattro in the next week's issue of Three Count. Okay. Oh, boy. I do not end up including the column with her inter- or the column by her interview with uh, De- Dor DeQuattro and his wife because it's dense and rambling and it really doesn't get much to what's actually going on here. So to actually explain what is going on here, I am going to go now to Chalkhold, Jim Wilson's book, and read the section about this. Uh, a week or so after KLAV's radio broadcast, this is another interview he did during the scandals, uh, the leader of a group of reform-minded wrestling fans in New York City called me. The guy on the other end of the phone was soft-spoken Dor DeQuattro, a professional musician whose band performed every Monday night at a Manhattan restaurant. Dor said that in the days since Vince McMahon appeared on the Larry King and Donahue shows, he and other New York wrestling fans had uh, worried that the mainstream media were not getting the truth about pro wrestling's misconduct and labor problems. Dor had, insem- excuse me, had organized an ad hoc group of wrestling fans named Committee to Clean Up Wrestling to do something about it, and they had decided to hold a press conference in New York City to educate reporters about the facts of life in pro wrestling. Dor thought I had something to contribute and invited me to join a group of other past and present wrestling figures to tell our stories. I was happy to help and flew to New York in late March 1992 for the Committee to Clean Up Wrestling's press conference behind a maze of microphones and TV cameras from CBS, WPIX, WINS, excuse me, WPLJ, and several New York radio stations. Well, the last two were radio stations, but whatever. I told my story again and said the recent homosexual allegations were part of a longer history of such contact in, excuse me, such conduct inside the business. I also told the press conference about heterosexual harassment of women wrestlers and cited a sworn affidavit by woman wrestler Linda Chandler, who had complained years earlier about the demand for sexual favors by then NWA world champion Harley Race and other male wrestlers. At the time of the New York press conference, I didn't know yet about the more recent allegations, excuse me, more recent experiences of Rita Marie, Rita Chatterton, Missy Hyatt, or 
China. He's jumbling the timeline here. He says China and others, although I could have guessed. I again recited my view that wrestling's industry labor pro- wrestling industry's labor problems constituted a freedom issue, that wrestlers had no civil or human rights, that the current steroid and other drug problems amounted to genocide of a generation of wrestlers, that wrestlers needed a union to protect themselves, and Congress should investigate the wrestling industry to illuminate its abuses. I ended my presentation with a punchline I'd been using for about 20 years. Professional wrestlers are sacrificing their bodies for an industry that's the only form of sports entertainment without a labor association or union. Afterward, a couple of New York sports writers, young enough to be my sons, wanted to know how long ago I was an All-American at the University of Georgia. I told them it was a long time ago. After I stepped aside, Murray Hodgson talked about his sexual harassment lawsuit, and when one reporter asked why he was going public, Murray replied, Somebody has got to come forward. The mainstream media have never taken wrestling for real. After Hodgson spoke, wrestling journalist John Arezzi talked about how McMahon's WWF had put the thumb on his radio show on WGBB in Babylon, New York. Sounding defeated and resigned, Arezzi spoke softly. Vince McMahon not only tries to buy people off, people who are alleging certain sexual practices involving employees or former employees, but he has no regard for the legitimate wrestling media in this country. Vince tries to not only fix the game in the ring, but outside the ring as well, he said. The press conference ended with this announcement by Dora DeQuattro. If the WWF doesn't clean up its act, this group threatens to organize a massive boycott of its merchandise operation and all of its major sponsors. But in the months to follow, no boycotts of WWF merchandise or TV sponsors were organized by the committee to clean up wrestling or anybody else. Not yet. Why this is, seems to only really be covered in three count, and even then we don't really get a third-party perspective, and this is, seems to be the only real, like, sober accounting of what happened, I have no idea. But what do you make of this? Because I don't think you were really familiar with this whole committee to clean no. up wrestling thing until I told you about it when I was putting the notes together. Yeah, that's first I heard of. <sighs> I mean... I mean it... Good on them for getting the media attention, at least. Yeah, but it sounds like what we uh, what we have in today's climate, where you have you have this this bluster of we're going to do this, that, and the other, and then it never happens. Yeah, (laughs) and here they actually tried to organize a group and everything. Um, Yeah, this is. I mean, this is back in you know. A lot of stuff's done today because of social media and everything's spur of the moment and we're in the now. And then, yeah, something else has happened now. You know, time is – something else has taken over the new cycle. Something else has happened. You know, if it's not immediate, then if, if nothing's done immediate, then it's just going to get forgotten about in a lot of ways. So that's now. I mean, this is even back then where people – retain you know stuff longer and it doesn't happen so well because there's less information you're getting in a given amount of time and blah 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 so yeah Yeah. and well i will say also credit to them for putting the actual real story here at the forefront yeah yeah now we go to the back to the observer though for uh an interesting roddy piper radio interview Transcription of Roddy Piper's comments regarding the negative publicity from WF, WF has suffered on KSAC Radio in Sacramento on March 30th. Do I get to be Ted Green and you'll be Piper? Yeah, so we'll do it like that. Okay. I want to talk to you about all the controversy that seems to be dropping on the head of Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation. What is going on with charges of steroids with Hulk Hogan and sexual abuse? What in the world is happening to your sport? 
This is the way I feel about that, Ted. I'm not doing Piper's voice. You know that there are all these allegations against McMahon. It's a steroid thing. Well, first of all, I was part of the steroid thing. Let me tell you, folks. Let me clear it up. Yes, I did it. When did I do it? With a doctor when it was legal. Why did I do it? To improve myself. Is it good? No, kids. You'll die if you do it, but you got to try it. Some people can't seem to let that thing go. I don't know why. Ted, let me ask you something. If I was to give you this cup of coffee and the doctor said it was okay and make you the best sports announcer in town, would you drink it? Roddy, I hate coffee. You hate coffee? Well, what would you drink if I made you a million bucks? Would I be better than Al Michaels? You're already better than Al Michaels. I'll take it with Sweet and Low. Of course you would. Well, wait a second. Coffee's not the same thing as steroids. Come on. No, it's not the same thing, but I'll tell you. You need to drink your little cup of coffee to get up in the morning, whatever you're doing. What I'm saying is, with the steroid thing, is they're talking about something that happened a year and a half ago that was legal under a doctor's care. How much are you guys going to beat this into the ground? By the way, a year and a half ago, it hasn't even been a year since the trial. <laughs> the trial was late June, early July. We're at the beginning of eight. This is March 30th. What? Wrestlers and timelines, Bix. Yeah, time. I know, I know. I just want to ask you some straight questions, like how many of the guys take steroids? What percentage of the wrestlers is it? Nobody's taking steroids now. We're being tested. The last eight days, probably two times. Two times every eight days, nine days. It's a surprise test all the time, so nobody's taking steroids now. The ones that were taking it, they got whatever they were at when they had their first test. As long as they keep coming down, they're okay. If not, they're fired. It's simple. We found out steroids kill you. Don't take them. It's finished. You don't need them to be a great wrestler. Twice every eight or nine days. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the other? Wait, what was the other thing I was focusing in on? There was oh, nobody's taking them now. Oh, and also saying yeah, if you if you test positive, you're fired. That's not the rule. No. So anyway, Roddy, what about the charges of sexual abuse in the World Wrestling Federation? This stuff is going out on Donahue, Oprah, Geraldo. Brother, I know what you're saying. Donahue, right? Had all these accusations. On the panel, there was Vince McMahon, there was superstar Billy Graham, who used to break legs for the mob, Barry Orton, who's an ex-con, and Billy Jack Haynes, I believe, was there. Billy, J Billy Jack Haynes, I believe, was there, who was an ex-con, and some guy who said he phoned McMahon in 1985, and there was a guy on there who had a pretty good demeanor who said he was an announcer, right? He got flown in four times, and the people kind of popped for him. Remember that? And then Vince said something like, let's bring up some of the past. And Donahue said, no, no, no. We're talking about this issue. You know what that pass was? What's that, Roddy? That guy's gay. You're kidding. That brings a whole new light to it, doesn't it, Ted? Not only that, Vince never auditioned this guy. He looked at the Bruce Pritchard, and then once Vince saw him, he said, He's lousy. Get him out of here. And that's the truth. But the public just wants to hammer on us. But you know what? I've been in seven fights in seven days, and they're all sold out. Okay, do we want to see what Roddy Piper's schedule was going into this? Well, he's talking about Hodgson being gay here. Which, we'll have more on that later, too. Um, but the Piper's the first one to say that publicly. Which, let's be clear, though. The only reason that becomes relevant is, um, is that he ends up lying about it under oath. Otherwise, know, it's not relevant. Piper. I know, but Piper's the first guy to, to say that, though, yes. publicly. And he won't be the last one, as we'll get into soon. Um, yeah. But again, it's like, 
obviously, it, you know, Dave will get into it here too, but it's rel- it, the only reason it's relevant is credibility in terms of him saying he's not gay, but it doesn't actually matter. It, it, what matters is that Murray Hodgson was a con man who made this up. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay, as I pull up wrestling data, because that's the easiest to just go by Piper's dates here. Um, so this was the 30th, right, it said? Yeah. So he had Garden. Okay, one of these is wrong because I don't. This doesn't appear to be an actual double shot. It hasn't been in both the Garden and Oshawa, Ontario, on the twenty third. I'm assuming one of those twenty fourth. Shut up. Twenty uh, fifth Moncton. <laughs> Oshawa. <laughs> Oshawa. Oshawa. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Salt Lake 20. Okay, he is working pretty much every day through the 28th, at least. Um, so, but still, I don't think they were all sold out. I'm not checking that right now. Um, before we get into Dave's thoughts, what do you make of this? Uh, I mean, it's Piper. But, I mean, the Hodgson's thing, the Hodgson's stuff's the most interesting stuff in the whole thing. Because, you know, because they're going on the offensive with that, yes. Well, it's him to him saying that, and then you know, and so that that's definitely the most interesting thing. Yes, I'll say this: just because of who it is and who are friends here and all that, I actually do buy that the Bruce Pritchard thing is what actually happened. Yes, that Bruce auditioned him, Vince saw him, didn't like him, and fired him after he had been on for a couple of weeks. And there were already other issues, apparently, that he couldn't remember the names of the cities and stuff when he was doing event centers, which is weird because you think he'd have a prompter or paper or something in front of him. But yeah. that actually sounds fairly credible, mixed yeah. in with all this. But uh, let's yeah. go to Dave. So another one's credibility totally by the dust. Almost every point Piper made here has turned out to be false, some which could have been honest mistakes, and a few of which were outright lies. Steroids were not legal in many cases when wrestlers were using them. Possession did become a federal crime until early 1991, but use of wrestling didn't drop one iota when that law changed. While Piper did get his steroids from a doctor, Zaharian, in the trial he made, Zaharian offered him no medical advice on them. In addition, Piper admitted in the Zaharian trial having steroid packages mailed to him in California in 1990, where possession of steroids was very much illegal as it was in 1988 in 13 states, including Florida, where many of those biggest stars lived and received steroid packages from Zaharian. It's a major pet peeve when wrestlers claim they never knew about the side effects when they used steroids because the side effects were well-known in the late 60s and early 70s. Every bodybuilder Dave knew in the late 70s knew about the potential side effects. That we didn't know were they were dangerous when we used them stuff is crap. Everyone knew. The guys in the 60s used all the, that used all knew about the bodybuilders and powerlifters with kidney and liver problems and bad steroid reactions. They just didn't choose to accept them or listen because the results were so addictive. And now we got an even more ridiculous extreme by saying if you use them, they'll kill you. Donnie was almost as bad, saying he doesn't blame anyone for using steroids before we knew the horrible things they did. We need 95% of the side effects from the steroids that we know, know now 20 years ago. And while they can be horrible with either bad luck or major abuse, as a general rule, horrible is an applicable word. And saying they'll kill you is even less responsible than saying, we didn't know. 
Piper's claim that the wrestlers are tested for steroids twice every eight or nine days, and he'd been tested twice in the previous nine days was also false. According to Dr. Anthony Daly, who has a WS steroid testing program, there have been five WS steroid tests, the first one November 13, 1991. They are spread four to six weeks apart. He said the most recent test he has results from was in late February, and in that test, 20 of the group's 50-plus wrestlers were tested. According to Graham, he was never a leg breaker for the mob. Haynes, who wasn't even on the show, did spend time in jail, although that was about 15 years ago. So did Orton, which is no secret, so those statements were true. When Hodge was reached Monday show at the film on the Geraldo Rivera show that airs this coming Thursday, he appeared shocked at the statement he was gay. He said he almost wished he was. Just the man's cries of homophobia back in his face. Even if it were true, it has no relevance, nor does it be anything in any kind of different light. In addition, it was a man, not Pritchard, who auditioned him, and also negotiated with him and signed him to a two-year deal. He was hired to work for the company, using the television name Mark Jennings, well after Pritchard was fired. Oh, yeah. And Roddy's previous seven house show matches, not one of the arenas was sold out. Okay, so I had actually forgot Dave wrote that, so clearly the Bruce thing is not true. <laughs> now, do we think do we think Roddy was told this? Possible. Yes. Um, but Dave's pretty dead it's on Roddy, with all of this. So. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's Roddy, Roddy Piper. Piper. Yeah, so you can't always apply logic to his thought process. No. No, he may just be like, oh, I, I know I know Bruce Richard. He, Bruce Richard, probably auditioned. Blah, blah, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't think there's much to add because Dave kind of nailed everything here, right? Uh, yeah, but this is the first time we had the Murray Hansha thing saying, I wish I was gay just to prove, you know. Yeah. Okay, Murray. Uh, well, at least he came to terms with that eventually. So, so Or so it seems right. at least, yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, excerpts from today's WrestleMania 8 could be Hogan's WF finale by Mike Mooneyham of the Charleston Post-Courier. y'all real quick. New York Post columnist Phil Mushnick, who in a recent article entitled Sex Life and WF, compared Vincent Manifredly to Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter. Disputed comments made by WF Post with Steve Planeman in last week's column. Planeman said Mushnick had a personal vendetta against McMahon. He's made no bones about the fact that he hates Vincent Man for no particular reason. Planeman said in the column, he's never had the guts to meet with Vincent Man. John Filippelli, who's one of our executive te- television producers, has known Phil for years. Much like I told John Law before he had read anything about us, that Vince was an evil person and should burn in hell. John Filippelli is an old friend, and clearly this has more done more than strain our relationship. It's virtually destroyed it, Mushnick said Thursday night. This story has grown far beyond my relationship with John Filippelli. It's far more insidious than my relationship with John Filippelli. John called me shortly after I started writing about the steroid trial and how the media had abandoned such a big story. John says, just for you nuts, Vince is a good guy. Lay off of him. I told him anyone who says that trial has nothing to do with the WF should go straight to hell. He basically agreed with me. He said he, I didn't know the half of it, but at that point I was just starting to. I didn't hear another word about it until Vince McMahon got on the Larry King show and said, Phil Mushnick despised me so much he, he told John Filippelli I should go to hell. And he made it sound as if that was a, on the sex charges. That was clearly long before the sex charges. Tom Cole, 21, who's worked, member, as, worked as a member of the WF Ring Crew, told the San Diego Union Tribune in a recent article that he was sexually harassed or abused by several WF employees. Cole started working with WF in 1985 as a ring boy when he was 13, so the sexual harassment would continue unabated until he was fired in February 1990 after rebuffing advances by another WF official. Cole threatened a lawsuit earlier this year, but he and WF reached a settlement after meeting women man. Cole reportedly received $50,000 back pay. 
and return to his former job as a rain boy. Why would John Filippelli call me to explain Vincent Man to me for ever wrote anything at Smushning? If I hadn't been a person, why would I have a personal vendetta against him? I split with him. I wouldn't give him two minutes of my time now. There's none he says I believe. Philip Pelle, a veteran NBC sports producer, signed as a senior producer at WF Broadcast in October 1990. He had been nominated for 23 Emmy Awards and was coordinating producer for four World Series, three all- baseball all-star games, several Super Bowl pregame shows, and NBC Sports World. Philip Pelle's hiring placed him over former senior producer Bruce Pritchard. Pritchard, who was eventually fired by Titan Sports in May 1991 after only four years in the top WF production posts. I can't believe John's doing what he's doing, Mushnick said. John keeps telling me to put myself in his place. But wait a second. That's what they said in Nazi Germany. Nobody has to do anything here. And inside of the story, also took a session to plan the men's claims that Cole was manipulated by the media. Tom Cole called Phil Mushnick last July, said the source. He called him every day for months. Phil Mushnick didn't find him. He called Phil last July after Phil did a steroid story. He thought about, there might be a guy willing to go head to head with WWF. He called him almost every day for months and wanted Phil to write a story. It wasn't until they got two other kids to come forward that Phil agreed. Phil wanted that exclusive, but he was still beaten by a week for the story. Whatever Tom Cole said about being manipulated by the media, my feeling is that if Tom Cole won this job back, he manipulated the media. If you're not looking for media attention, you don't call a reporter almost every day for eight months, and you don't go to the New York Post. Okay. First things first, who do you think this insider close to the story is? Uh, if Phil know. wasn't quoted earlier, I'd think it was Phil. Possible, yeah. But I, it, it doesn't make sense to me that there's no reason, especially with how Phil Mushnick is fairly open with his quotes and stuff. I don't see any reason why it would be him. Even you know, it's like, you know, because obviously you can give stuff on the record and on background, but it, I don't see a reason why both why it would be him. So, someone else at the post. Jeff Savage, maybe, you know, with his, doing his article, like, I, I find it a little interesting that they don't mention why it, it ended up going to Jeff Savage or discussing that. Um, but, I mean, look, I know more about this than most. As far as I can tell, this source is giving the truth here. So, you know, look, because Phil, Phil had really done nothing other than be the first to report that the Ring Boy stuff was coming. By the time Vince is on Larry King, I mean, granted, Vince has talked to him on the phone when Vince is on Larry King, but those phone calls ended well. Like, after those calls, Phil was swayed at the moment and probably why he didn't run with what Vince told him right away, because he, he felt like Vince seemed like he wanted to genuinely clean everything up. So this is just really just them realize, you know, especially early on that Vince went on the offensive with him. This was realizing, like, I guess his role in everything and just trying to deciding he's the one who's responsible for all this and trying to discredit him or whatever. Yeah. 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 I don't think there's much else to say beyond that. But by the way, I mean, especially since this is the type of thing that really should be covered in the newsletters, too. Great work by Mike Mooneyam on this story. Yeah. You know, this is some of his very best work. Yeah. So. And John Filippelli. I'm. And and John Filippelli is, is an interesting deal here, you know. Um, John Filippelli mentioned in part one, too, as whose couch uh, Murray stayed on after he got fired for a little bit. I mean, it sounds like he's begging Phil to lay off, and Phil's not going to do it. So Yeah. Here's something I'm wondering, too. 
did did Murray have his story when he was living with John Filippelli? Had he told John that story? And if so, awesome. is that also weighing on John Filippelli here at all? Which I mean, he's a credentialed enough sports producer by this point that he could have, you know, written his ticket anywhere if he wanted to leave WWF. So I, I'm intrigued by him being this kind of a tribalist about his uh, job there at the time. But you know, it it's interesting how he's roped into this, regardless. You know, and that it ruined much next friendship with him which maybe got repaired after i don't know but close out this week and, though oh go ahead and oh. when when does Filippelli leave Ooh, you want me to see if it's on 92 it is in 92 yeah because that's when bruce comes back no but bruce doesn't take over that job oh no but, but you're right gone. but it's but right but Filippelli was involved in getting rid of him so bruce doesn't come back until Filippelli's gone regardless right um his linkedin does not go back that far so I don't know, yeah. but you're, you're right. That was part of the catalyst for Bruce coming back. Was that Filippelli was? Oh, actually, no, no, no. You know what? I'm remembering differently now. I think he was put in a different job because Filippelli was still there. I so think Filippelli left night too. Though I don't think he's there. I forget the exact he's not there timing though. Because the reason why I, uh, I ask is because how much does this weigh into him in, in his time there? Mm. All this stuff going on, you know? Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, let's uh, close out this week, though, as we go to the readers' pages in the Observer. Your response to Mark Castle's uh, or Cassell's letter to seems to equate unwarranted sexual encounters between executives and underage male employees to sexual encounters between pro wrestlers and women under 18. There's some major differences. First, relationship between an employer and employee is inherently coercive since the employee is dependent upon the employer for a paycheck. This puts some constraints upon a person's ability to say no. A refusal may cause a person to lose a job or promotion. It's difficult to see an employee could have a sexual relationship with an employer that wasn't abusive unless the employee felt freely consented. However, since underage females are really employees of wrestlers, it's difficult for me to see this encounter as coercive. This is especially true when the female has not only freely consented, but actually sought out the encounter. This may be stupid, dangerous, or even and even illegal, but it may not be abusive depending upon the age. Clearly, a 17-year-old is not the same as a 13-year-old. Signed, Betsy Anderson of Brighton, Massachusetts. Well, that letter started well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she had a good point, at least up front, that there are comparisons to draw to that, but that is not one of them. Yeah. So, uh, another week down. One more to go on this show. So, I'm reading... Yeah. Uh -huh. About, I'm reading this. Did you see the Dave Sahadi interview with Post Wrestling from at, at, like uh, three weeks ago? Mm -mm. He talks about when he joined WWF coming from NBC in '92. Okay. And it, it, this is just this is how John Philpelli got gone. Oh, okay. I, I came. I came from NBC Sports and I joined WWE, WWE back in 1992. In 1992, you know they were down the dumps. I just wanted to bring a real sports feel to it because I always thought wrestlers were fucking tremendous athletes and they're mainly considered goofballs by people who weren't wrestling fans. I'm like, that's bullshit, man. These guys are legitimate athletes. Oh, and real you quick, this is, from, uh, this is from Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson's podcast. This is a transcript. Yeah, but it's on, 
Based on post wrestling. Yeah. Uh, do you, you want to hear a funny story? I'm in there for two weeks. John Filippelli, he's now the head of the Yes Network. Yes, he was the Kevin Dunn for two weeks. And then Kevin Dunn did a coup and he got Filippelli fired. And there were two other former NBC employees working there and he got them fired too. So I'm two weeks in and I'm working on the opening for Raw that comes up in January. Kevin calls me up and says, Sahadi, just so you know, Philip gone. John Anonymous, gone. He just went down this list of 20 people, and I thought it was like that scene in The Godfather at the end when Al Pacino was saying, like, and he said to me, he goes, if it was up to me, your fucking ass would be put out of here too, because I hate you, NBC guys. But guess what? You're working on this opening for Raw. Vince wants to give you a chance, so you better be fucking good because your career's riding on it. So, dude, I walk in about a week later. It's opening, and the room is Vince McMahon, Kevin Dunn, Kerwin Silfies, director and or number one there, Kevin Quinn, Bruce Pritchard's in there, Pat Patterson's in there, because passed back by then. And there's like 10 people there, and I get the thing loaded, and Vince says, play it! And I know this is already. I'm giving you the impersonation. So Vince sees it, it airs, 25 seconds, and when it's over, he does this. Looking down, he spent one minute, didn't say a word. Nobody else said anything. He walks back to the coffee machine, pours a cup, one pack of sweet and low, boom, another pack of sweet and low, boom, yeah, Silence in the room, and I'm like, I'm fucking fucked, man. I'm not going to be here next Monday. This is it. He didn't like it. So he goes, all right, pal, play it again. And the other plays again. Then Vince looks up, starts looking down again. There's like four minutes of silence. And I'm in the corner I'm like, all right, well, you know, I guess I'll sign my forms right now for my termination release. And he goes, I don't know. What do you guys think? And Bruce Pritchard goes, I like it, Vince. It's really different. We haven't done anything like that before. And someone else is like, I love the music. I love this, you know? And all of a sudden, once Vince asked people's opinion because it was so different, they were doing things that that were a lot of pink and yellow, kind of like, you know, color palettes or whatever. And I was bringing in like black and white and red. So, yes, Kevin Dunn got John Philip Pelley fired. How about that? That is the least shocking thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) So, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's kind of how you'd expect that to go, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Also, why are there so many people in wrestling named Kevin Quinn? <laughs> this guy, the wrestler, the referee. Why, why are there so I'm many ki- Why are there so many Irish dudes named Kevin who have the same name in wrestling? There are three or four Kevin Sullivans. I don't know. Anyway, that's it for this week, though. So let's move on. All right, let's go to the week of April 13th, three count April 14th, torch April 16th, observe April 20th. But first, we begin with Geraldo from his April 13th show. And uh, we have Rita Chatterton on here and Murray Hodgson on here as well. So let's go to the clip. Yes, and same disclaimer from last segment applies here. I think it'll be about eight minutes or so that you can skip ahead if you don't want to hear description of everything. Um, and also, we should know, too, like, I mean, I have my unlisted YouTube video of this. This is not something that was ever really circulating among tape traders. I had never seen it till recently. So this is going to be new to just about everyone, right? You've never seen this before? Yeah. So, oh, let me make sure to turn the screen share back on, too. But, yeah, here we go. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the program. The sex scandals that are making the headlines these days do not involve politicians or the clergy for a change. Right now, the tawdry brush is tarring the world of professional sports. So from baseball to boxing, hoops to hockey, the news on the sports pages has never been this hot. Meet Rita. 
Rita was allegedly forced to have sex with perhaps the most powerful man in the world of professional wrestling, and she'll tell us all about it. Joining Rita is Murray Hodgson. Murray was an announcer in that same World Wrestling Federation until, like Rita, he also encountered alleged sexual harassment at the hands of WWF officials. Now, Rita, you were one of the first referees, female referees, in the WWF. I am the first and still only uh, in the country, to the best of my knowledge. So you got between these two uh, hulks and kept them apart and kept the game going. Yeah. Yeah. As the first woman to break into that previously all-male uh, area, you certainly stood the chance of making it very, very big. Becoming a celebrity in a, in a business, because wrestling obviously is more business than sport, in a business where the celebrities really do generate substantial income. What were the promises made to you by WWF officials? Uh, the first day in that I had met Vince McMahon, the first day in his office. Vince McMahon is Vince the McMahon is the owner of owner. the WWF. Okay. There he is, a familiar is, face to anyone with a TV. Yeah, Vince McMahon, what Vince says goes. That's the way it is. Nice dimple, Vince. Uh, I was offered a half million dollar a year contract. Uh, I was told that I was going to be so big, uh, my name would be a household item. Everyone would know who I was. His exact words were, how are you going to feel the first time you walk, down, walk past a newsstand and see your face on the cover of Time magazine? I mean, he just blew it up to be so unbelievable, you know? But I knew it was possible because I was a novelty. I was the only female. There came a time when you and Vince McMahon were allegedly, I stress allegedly because he denies that you were allegedly in a limousine. Tell us what happened. Uh, after a period of time, Vince and all his promises, I was getting less and less work. I tried to call the Federation, try calling Vince to find out why, and I could never get through to him. I knew the only way that I could really get to Vince was to go to Poughkeepsie, which at the time is where they, f they filmed all the, tele uh, I'm sorry, all the television matches. Poughkeepsie in upstate New York? In upstate New York, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I went to Poughkeepsie. I seen Vince in the hall. I had asked him if I could speak with him. He told me at that point that he was really busy. But after the matches, to follow him to a restaurant, there's a, a Greek diner a few miles up the road. Uh, and I did. I got to the diner. Um, Vince was there, his limo driver, four or five cameramen, other people, and myself were sitting at a big round table. Um, they were talking what they were going to put on the show that week, what they were going to cut, a lot of technical things that I really didn't know anything about. When it seemed as though they were done talking, I brought up my career with Vince and asked you know, what was going to happen here. And Vince just kind of looked at me, put his finger up to his mouth and kind of did a, in a hush hush. So of course I did. I mean, Vince is, he's it. He makes you or breaks you. Uh, a few minutes later, I went into the ladies room. When I came out into the corridor of the ladies room, Vince was standing there, told me that he definitely wanted to talk to me about my career said that he definitely neglected doing something with me at this point and that he wanted me to follow him because he didn't want to talk there at the diner. There were quite a few people from the Federation there. It made sense. I can understand that. We left there. I followed Vince over to a Denny's uh, in a parking lot. I got out of my car, walked to the front of the car, 
Vince's driver got out and opened the door, and I thought Vince was going to get out. But instead, Vince said to me, no, Rita, come in here. He says, we just sat in a diner for a couple hours. I really don't want coffee. He says, we'll just sit and talk here. We're sitting in a parking lot. I mean, it, I didn't think much of it. I got in a limo with him. We got into the limo. Vince started talking about magazines, uh, T-shirts, wrestling dolls. We don't have, a, don't have a, fee, uh, a referee doll at this point. A female would be great. On and on and on. Again, starts talking about a half a million dollar a year contract. Next thing I know, Vince McMahon is unzipping his pants. I was pretty shocked at that point. I, you know, I mean, we're talking profession here, and, and suddenly he wants more than just profession. Vince continued to, you know, if you want a half a million dollar contract, you're going to have to satisfy me, and this is the way things have to go. Vince grabbed my hand, kept trying to put my hand on him. Um, I was scared. My wrist, at the end, my wrist was all purple, black and, black and blue. Things just didn't, he just, God, he just didn't stop. This man just didn't stop, you know. A half a million dollar a year contract. How's your daughter going to go to college? Of course, she doesn't have to go to college. You know, now, I left a $30,000 a year job on Vince McMahon's That was someone word. changing the channel. He knew that. What is your allegation, Rita? State it. My allegation right now is sexual harassment. I was forced into oral sex with Vince McMahon when I couldn't complete his desires, he got really angry, started ripping to off my, my jeans, pulled me on top of him and told me again, if I wanted a half a million dollar a year contract, I had to satisfy him. He could make me or break me. And if I didn't satisfy him, I was blackballed. That was it. I was done. When Vince was all said and done, Vince just sat back and said, at one point when I first met Vince, let me back up here just a little bit. The very first time I met Vince, I was told that if I had any sexual relationships with anyone in the Federation, I was done. My career was done. I was engaged. I had no problem with that. When Vince was said and done, Vince looked at me and said, do you remember what I told you about having sexual relationships with anyone? Well, you just did. And he just sat back and had this big smile and this big grin and just started laughing at me. We'll get much deeper into Rita's allegations and talk with Murray about uh, his uh, harassment. Briefly, Murray, uh, why don't you just say what one World Wrestling Federation official said when he saw you for the first time after you had been Hired. Boss. He approached me. Yes. What's so bad about this is you have Rita, you know, with this this heartfelt, you know, genuine thing here. You know, everything sounding, you know, like I mean, it's like it's so everything is so legit. And then you go to Murray Haas. Thankfully, Murray barely you know, talks during this. And the other thing, though, as we'll get into more from what Dave says, but because we're not going to watch all this. <sighs> Basically, everything else after the two of them on the show is like affairs and stuff. I mean, there's other stuff. The the Jose Canseco thing is, you know, trying to pour <laughs> sex out of someone and stuff. But it's yeah, I remember that. But but, but here's the thing: if I'm Murray Hodgson though, yeah, and I'm sitting here listening to this, you know, and knowing what I'm saying is 
not the truth, basically. I mean, <laughs> well, you know what though. And That's let's see be. what he says here. Yeah. He looks so much more shaken than he does on the other shows. Yeah, because he's with other people, you know, other men and and, and, and wrestlers who are bullshit artists. And then Rita's totally not that. So, yeah, this is a totally different environment for him right now. So, yeah, I definitely want to hear how Murray comes off here and how he handles himself in this compared to what he, what he's done so far. Yeah, and then also jump and we'll play, you know, the other times they chime in, which isn't much. But The TV taping, he asked me what I taste like. I was somewhat offended by it and knew exactly what he wanted. He looks and sounds at this point like he is regretting everything he's done. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is not what he was on uh, Larry King. This might need to be the show image you. for this show. This is like his entire plan flashing before his eyes. <laughs> yeah. Like, because you can tell he believes Rita. Yes. And it is fucking with him. Yes. And told him that he had the wrong guy. And he candidly told me I wanted to keep my job. That was the way it was going to be. I turned him down. Two weeks later, I was fired. We'll hear more on Murray's allegations. Let me just finish introducing you. Okay. Yeah, you, that is a different Murray Hodgson than we've seen everywhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um. Okay. So as far as Rita, as I, because I actually forgot to set time. Is that Sal Marciana? Where? That you just showed. Oh, I was looking through the. As I was checking. No, you go the go the other in. way. Go the other way. There's Rita talking. Yeah, that is Sal Marciano. What the fuck's he out there for? <laughs> I, I don't know. Okay, so I'm not saying she didn't come off credible on Now It Can Be Told, but getting all the time and stuff here, I'm not saying I didn't believe her story before, but the first time I saw this, I was like, this seems, this, this just feels a lot more solid than the now it can be told the version one, just the presentation and everything the one thing that is a factual error was on now it can be told the date that she gave was if you're going with july 18th that's also the one that's in penthouse and that's clearly wrong no it was uh, um yeah july 16th okay well, neither of those, though, were Poughkeepsie taping. The Poughkeepsie tapings were the 9th and the 30th. Yeah, so that's, that's the only thing. But, but who I... knows? Do we have any direct quotes from her giving the date, or is it always other people giving the date? I don't know. We didn't have it in the clip we had, but yeah. anyway. Um, so, I mean, do you want to go to the next clip of Rita first, or do you want to talk more about this? I mean, let's go to the clip. Right, so here, I don't remember exactly how descriptive she is. So if you want to skip this, give it about uh, two minutes or so, I guess. Or wait, uh, yeah, about two minutes. Um, is this an audience question here? Yeah, okay. Let's play it. Am I gonna have to refresh this? It's YouTube. It's not the award-winning WWE network. <laughs> remember when YouTube always used to do this? Yeah. Let me try again. That didn't mean a long time. It used to do it all the time. Okay, yeah, so they come back from a break. and Okay, we have a question for somewhere else, and then we have this one that appears to be for Rita. Now, okay. uh, have you... Okay, she can. <laughs> I'd just like to ask a question of this woman who's been said that she's been... Ra 
three baseball players in Florida. Why does she wait a whole year for this to come out? What, you know, that's, that's the question that's okay, so been there was bothering me throughout case this here whole that I thing. About. I think that Rita is probably the most relevant person to answer that. Rita, of course, the woman who has claimed that Vince McMahon uh, forced her, uh, number one, to uh, perform oral sex and then raped her in the backseat of his limousine. There's a rape. Happen? Uh, this happened July 15, 1986. Okay, so she so says that. here you have a situation where six years has passed since the alleged encounter. That, of course, is Mr. McMahon's strongest defense, Rita. If it really happened, why did you wait? Well, I, you know... Wait, did she say 85 or 86? 86. Okay, so that's different. Then I'd have to check. No, I can't answer her question as far as the Mets and what happened there. No, but I there. want you to speak but for yourself on me, the question of delay. What happened with me is at that time, you people don't understand wrestling. Nobody talks, for one. No one talks. It's a complete hush-hush world. I did go to see an attorney. I was told at that time that basically this was going to come down to my word against his because I had no proof. I had to weigh that. At the time, my mother was on oxygen 24 hours a day. My dad had a bad heart. And I didn't think either one of my parents could have been put through it, especially at that time where no one was opening up. Everything was so quiet. One of the things that we found, Rita, and this is to you and Murray, is that the World Wrestling Federation, like any big business, when confronted with an, uh, an allegation or a scandal, does have the capacity to, uh, to put it uh, maybe harshly, buy off uh, potential complainants. Were you ever offered a cash settlement? Uh, I wasn't offered a cash settlement, no. Murray, were you? Blatantly, yeah. He tried to buy me off so I wouldn't come forward and tell her the allegations. He feared repercussions. And how much were you offered? I don't want to discuss that. They don't want to discuss it. I heard it was $160,000. Well, that's what he claims, but... Uh... Tiffany, what's... Okay. Um, yeah, okay, so... Uh, yeah, I misread it. Yeah, the penthouse thing does say July 86. That says the 16th, but we know there are a couple other factual errors in that article. Anyway, um, July 15th, 86, there absolutely was a Poughkeepsie tape. Yeah. Um... You know, so July 16th would be during the night, which would be in during in early morning hours, which yeah, so it would could have been be technically at, yeah, it could technically be the 16th. Yeah, 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 um, absolutely. And also, 86 makes so, more sense because that's when she would have been starved out of her bookings and hadn't been around in a while for the most part. Yeah, she would make these rare appearances where she just show up. Yeah, she just like show up here and there for taping, and she wasn't really being pointed out as much anymore um but yeah i mean let me just skip ahead now to the next time. so we'll notice Man. though that we're believe we are muting oh, some what morgana morgana's up there oh god <laughs> yeah. but we're getting morgana more in bandit we 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 have them muting the word <laughs> rape but not when Geraldo says it um yeah. we'll have more on that when we get to the observer, all right, here's Rita as we come back from one of the last, probably the next to last break, or I guess maybe the last break. You got the buildup as to your very ill parents uh, as one of the reasons why you waited six years to uh, go public on your charge of uh, sexual harassment. And indeed, uh, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the essence of the charge, but specifically. Oh, and if people want to skip this, give it, uh, I guess, like about 90 seconds, because again, I don't remember exactly what's here. Was it your parents? Is that why you waited? 
That was part of the reason, yes. My parents are both dead now. My, my dad passed away a month ago. No one would believe me if I came through with this seven years ago. If I tried talking about it, no one would have believed me. And that's the way it is because no one would have talked. And what about you, Murray? Why did you keep your mouth shut if it wasn't for the 160 grand? Uh, well, I came forward immediately when I was fired. I retained an attorney and uh, we had uh, consulted with Mr. McMahon about the advance immediately. He'd just been denying everything. I didn't wait one minute. I had a two-year contract with the company and inside of uh, two months, because I wouldn't sleep with the vice president, they threw me out on the street. We wasted no time in going after him. Is homosexuality, do you allege, uh, rampant in the WWF? Well, I don't want to necessarily say homosexuality. Let's just say that sexual harassment is indeed just tearing through the internal corrosion of the World Wrestling Federation. And nobody's ever wanted to say anything. It gets right down to the fact where there was uh, alleged child sex abuse. Yeah, and the problem was, Mr. McMahon is so powerful, he has so much money, he stopped that lawsuit before it had an opportunity to get to court. Don't they allege that you're trying to blackmail them into giving them a larger, into giving you a larger settlement? Why would I need to blackmail somebody when I have a legitimate two-year contract? They flew me in back and forth five and different times from Detroit. Vince McMahon held a national talent search looking for one guy. Are you employed now? No. Uh, I'm working part-time. Elizabeth, does Dominique Wilkins have any other children uh, from women? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's oh, the, the Dominique Wilkins thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was a story here back then. I noticed <laughs> something very interesting, and I'm curious if you picked up on this, too. Murray pauses for a second, going from his spiel, where he, he again, it's like this half-hearted version all of a sudden of his rehearsed spiel we keep hearing. And then he starts talking about the Ring Boy stuff, and he sounds so much more genuine. Yeah. He is shook. Yeah. By sitting next to her as she's talking about this. And it is fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Um. So overall, I think there might be one more, because she has not used the word rape yet, right? Even bleeped. No, she hasn't. It was the audience member and... And Her Geraldo. But Geraldo didn't get bleeped. No. Uh, again, I may be missing something scrubbing through this, but I think we got all the real well, stuff, at least from what you can see, right? Oh, well, there's Murray. Yeah. Should I play the last Murray clip then, I guess? I guess. Might as well. Probably short. Uh, all right. Lessons as to why... We'll go back a little bit then. I guess he started talking while he was not on camera. Uh... Excuse me? Don't you have tremendous competition for each and every player? I have no competition. No, I've, I've seen the type of people. I mean, they hang out in the bars. They hang out after the games. They're in the motel. Um, they're very high profile. I've seen girls practically do anything well, to get to them. Could this be the existential essence as to why sexual harassment is starting Darwinian to get crazier? Darwinian theory, existentialism. Uh, <laughs> Boy, that's a pretty... <laughs> I think it's important to note that as more and more people succumb to their employer's sexual wishes, it makes them feel more, more, more powerful and that they feel they're so strong that they can have sex with anybody and don't dare try to stop us. Jasmine, what's the name of the club? He is trying so badly to salvage what he thinks he can get out of this. Yeah. Holy shit. Is there any other way to read that? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <sighs> okay, look. As a show, putting Murray and Rita with these other people who are mainly talking about infidelities and stuff is such a mistake. Yeah, yeah, it, it's... it. 
let me read what Dave says about who all was on here. Yeah, and, and then we'll talk you, more you, about you, Rita and stuff. Because yeah. it's got fucking Morgana's on here, for God's sakes. Rita Chatterton and Murray Hodgson appear on Monday's Geraldo show, which was anything but a very good show overall. Somewhere. Oops, sorry about that. Go ahead. It turned into a sideshow with Morgana Roberts, the fame kissing band in a baseball fame, trying to do comedy in a situation that wasn't a lot more sad than funny, retorting with things like women should keep their legs crossed, or insinuating that if they went, went on a 45-minute drive to a ball player's house, that they were asking to be raped. Jesus Christ. It was a zoo with a woman who had a child by basketball star Dominique Wilkins. Being thrown in the same boat with Chatterton, Hodgson, a penthouse playmate who was scheduled for a cover sheet with Jose Canseco and claimed she wouldn't sleep with him. Although all he allegedly asked was for her to come over to his hotel room at midnight to play dominoes. And he got so mad he flew out of town without doing the shoot. Confirmed by a penthouse magazine editor, yet another guest, a reported NHL groupie who got the most negative attention from the larger middle-aged housewife crowd since she was making it clear she sat with many different married men and had no regrets about it, a news magazine writer who said groupies were the ultimate feminist, and Sal Marciano, a New York radio sportscaster. <laughs> I knew Sal was up there. Yeah, literally- Sal one of the original. he's one of the original ESPN guys, too, yeah. Yeah, so basically, other than the penthouse model and the penthouse editor where whether you want to call it sexual harassment or trying to coerce sex or whatever it still fits in here other than that these should have if at, at best these should have been two separate shows yeah morgana for god's sakes good lord yeah um all right you want to get into what dave wrote before we talk more about rita and murray yeah, Chatterton went into more detail of her alleged account of a visit man in the early morning hours of July 16, 1986. There we go. Geraldo said on the air the encounter was alleged, alleged because McMahon denied it ever happened. As the press time, Titan has returning phone calls to us. And another reporter talked with Steve Planamena told us WF wasn't going to comment on Chatterton's charge on advice from lawyers. The show went on satellite at 6.30 a.m. Thursday night Eastern time. At noon Friday, the Geraldo folks sent a fax to all the stations broadcasting the show to please edit the word rape out, which was used in three circumstances for legal reasons, which accounted for the audio edits for those who saw the show. Well, except for Geraldo. Hodgson, who said almost nothing the entire show, reiterated the same points as already made on other shows. At one point, Hodgson brought up a man buying off another lawsuit in reference to the Tom Cole case and said a man, man intended to buy him off so he wouldn't go on public with his charges. Geraldo asked the amount. Hodgson wouldn't say. Then Geraldo said he heard it was $160,000, which is the same amount McMahon claimed on Donahue that Hodgson's lawyers were asking for Hodgson would go on Donahue, which Hodgson vehemently denied on the show. And Hodgson shook his head in a fashion one would assume to mean a no. But in the show, it appeared both Hodgson and Chatterton were embarrassed to be there since Morgana's appearance turned any serious issues into trivial and comedic issues. Well, De- Hodgson's embarrassed to be there because of Rita being there. <laughs> yeah, because he's mortified that he is doing this next to someone who he clearly believes actually was sexually assaulted. Yeah, but yeah, Geraldo was quite the show back in the day. And uh, I will say this, that crowd definitely was different than Donahue's crowd. They were, t- I mean... Maybe it's because it's a woman talking, you know, who knows, maybe because it's a woman specifically talking about an assault. Yeah, definitely a big difference there. Um, so. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, so as far as, I wish, and I should probably just make the YouTube video, you know, 
fully public. I wish more people had seen this because this feels like by far the best accounting of what Rita Chatterton had to say. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it can be told thing. It's edited. It's got the music. It's come. It's not as detailed. You know, I mean, she's she has her, you know, we saw now it can be told she has her day planner. She remembers when this happened. You know, she has a story that has details, but not, you know, and it, it that are clearly just about what she remembers. It doesn't nothing like extraneous as far as no. the Greek restaurant and everything like she comes off very credible here. Yeah, she absolutely does. Um, I, I, I. And yeah, I never saw any tape traders or anything with this, ever. I had never seen this until recently. And it's kind of a shame because this this is just a much overall better version of what she's trying to say here. Um, again, though, like, what the, what the fuck is this thing thinking that somehow bleeping the word rape is going to save you from a defamation lawsuit? What is that? <laughs> really? I don't know. No, seriously. Is there any... Uh, I don't know. That is so bizarre. Um, when, when they filed the lawsuit, there is, um, they said there's a point where she does use the word rape and it's muted, but I, at least going through it, I couldn't find it. Um, um, and again, he uses as harassment. It's like, the, I don't understand why he thinks this is going to help him. I really don't. You're airing the allegation anyway. She makes it very clear. She says forced. Uh, I don't know. It's just weird. And it almost almost feels like, from his perspective, not Rita's, obviously, it almost feels like it kind of undermines things a little, doesn't it? Yeah. It comes off as like, not. I don't know if sleazy is the right word, even though the show is sleazy. Um, just kind of like... Uh, I, I, I might just say kabuki-ish to borrow a word from Bruce Pritchard. Like, it come, there's something off about it. It doesn't feel right. And that's also unfair to Rita Chatterton that you're doing that then. Because it kind of feels like it undermines her story a little bit through no fault of her own. Yeah. But, you know, look, this is, it's a, a, you know... Most of the more important or bigger name TV things, you know, already were out there pretty readily. This was not for whatever reason. So we do still have more, though, um, going to three count. Yeah, Alex Marvez had his uh, thoughts on this. Excerpts from Day of Slammed on Geraldo Bales Marvez, three count editor. Charrington cannot file a lawsuit against Mr. Man on allegations of rape because the statute of limitations has expired, according to Charrington's attorney, Robert Wolf. However, Chatterton is still contemplating litigation in a class action suit by searching for other former WF employees who claim to sustain a sexually related crime at the hands of McMahon. WF uh, spokesman Steve Planamendo would not return numerous phone calls. Wolf told Three Count that his client had passed polygraph tests and she alleged a pattern of criminal conduct existed in WF. And the Now Can Be Told feature on Pro Wrestling last Friday was the highest rated show in the history of the series in the New York market. Which, by the way, since I did double check these dates in newspapers and stuff, Dave saying like Friday for that, which I believe was a satellite date. That must be Tanae or someone giving him the day it went up on satellite and him using that as the day it aired, right? Yeah. Yes. Now. Oh God, God, this makes me miss satellite dishes. Oh, yes. In, in the worst way. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff there like are this. people who still have stuff. It's just much more obscure now. But 
it's not like it used to be anyway, though. You, you know, it's not like it's like, oh, here's this here. I can watch every episode of G.I. Joe that's going out for the week or whatever. You know, it's not like it used to be. So yeah. anyway, um, I hope you didn't scroll down all the way. So this surprises you at least a little bit. We now go to Howard Stern on David Letterman for a moment and Letterman's intro for him. That's all we need to hear. Listen closely. Uh, our first guest is a, uh, now let's get this straight. This man is, of course, a very, very big radio star, has a very popular, very successful television program. During his last appearance on this show, he announced to America that he was never coming back. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, apparently he has reconsidered. Please meet in Greek, former World Wrestling Federation ring boy, Howard Stern. <laughs> I love they're playing Mississippi Queen Mountain there because Leslie West was a the guitarist of Mountain was always was a guest on Howard's show and, and was a, a butt of many jokes uh, with Howard and Robin. I think supposedly maybe Robin had a sexual encounter with Leslie West at one point yeah. in time. That's hilarious. Yes, and uh, we go to Dave. On the Howard on the David Letterman show on Friday night, when Howard Stern was his guest, Letterman joked that Stern's first job was a rainbow for WWF. Wonder if anyone outside New York understood that joke. So how closely is Dave following this, or his writers, or whatever that he knew that he made that crack? I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> obviously that is not a joke you would make thirty years later. No, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> um. Rick Flair was on the WRC Sports Sports Show with George, Shawn Michael, George Michael, uh, George Michael, George Michael Sport Machine on March 31st. I've never been involved with steroids or any illegal drugs. Got the suspicion that will be the last time you read that quote. Well, if that's a true statement, it should and will be the last time you read it here. And if not, then whatever standards of honesty on what is reported to be a television news or talk show that Hulk Hogan's being held up to should be also be held up to Flair. This isn't meant as a presumptuous statement, but once again, the problem is the steroids. Because very few top wrestlers ever tried them, but in having the guts to honestly deal with the issue. Well, of course they're going to deny it. You know? Yeah. Deny, deny, deny. Speaking of which, in close, please find a letter from Dr. Anthony Daly, the WS drug advisor to Vince McMahon, dated March 23rd. And including a notebook for the Titan Steroid Symposium held the next day in New York. Dear Vince, I thought I would give you an update on our drug testing program for the WWF. First of all, from the very beginning, the athletes have been very cooperative and have been very receptive to the concept of testing. Even in our initial meeting in Massachusetts, where we outlined the program and attempted to educate them about steroids, I've been very impressed with their willingness to go through the program and with both their cooperativeness and their insight. Our initial anabolic steroid test indicated approximately a 50% usage by the wrestlers. In all these succeeding tests to date, there have been no indication that any of the wrestlers have continued to use anabolic steroids. Our recent tests, which were within the last two weeks, there were 15% positive, but even this figure is misleading in the sense that these were not new positives. As I informed the athletes, and as you well know, the anabolic steroids can remain in their system from six to nine months after the initial doses is given. <clears throat> we do have a way, however, by measuring the ratio of metabolites in the urine to determine whether there is ongoing use of anabolic steroids or whether the athlete has in fact stopped using them. 
None of the recent three policies indicate ongoing use, but in fact indicate they ha they have stopped, and the oil-based anabolic steroid continues to appear in their urine, although in decreasing amounts all the time. I think, therefore, that you should feel a great deal of pride in your achievements in this program, and the rest of themselves should take a great deal of pride in the results that we have obtained. Clearly, they have accepted the program and have accepted the fact that they will no longer use anabolic steroids. My congratulations to you and all the World Wrestling Federation people. Incidentally, Vince, I have noticed several articles in the paper appearing about Hulk Hogan. And as a aside, he has been tested four times for anabolic steroids and has never shown a positive, even on the very initial test. No indication of anyone continuing to use anabolic steroids since the first test, which was on November 13th. Dr. Daly reiterated that statement in a phone conversation last week. Dr. Mauro Di Pasquale, who has a new steroid pro testing program in the WWF, which starts in two weeks, specifically contradicted that point and a few other points in his, this letter. Specifically, the inability of the testing being done to determine whether the steroid testing positive for was due to current or past usage and the inability of the test to detect amounts of steroids with any accuracy. An attempt to break the gridlock of medical opinion with Dr. John Lombardo, who has the NFL drug testing, resulted in Lombardo's secretary saying that doctor didn't have the time to answer what amounted to two simple yes or no questions. Dave contacted a doctor who's an expert at beating the test and also successful competitive bodybuilding on a regional level. He works with local national caliber and Olympic athletes, mainly in the weight events like lifters, shot putters, discus throwers, hammer throwers, etc. And not one of his patients has failed the test yet. He's very familiar with the politics of top-level bodybuilding, track, and powerlifting, all of which steroid tests in some fashion. He's not at all familiar with the politics of pro wrestling, but does watch it. As for the possibility, there has been no use at all since November 13th. He said, of course not. You know that's bullshit. The possibility that doesn't exist. He also said that in some sports and in many other businesses, <clears throat> that the doctors are bought and paid for. <clears throat> Excuse me, but said that they all know that that's just about impossible to prove. He obviously had no knowledge of that being the case here, other than he felt Di Pasquale was really on the ball in most of his writings on the subject. And Di Pasquale's newsletter and books have consistently and repeatedly stressed steroid testing as a negative. Had never heard of daily. He did say the NFL is pretty clean as compared with other sports like bodybuilding and track. He said he didn't know whether the test could detect if use was current or in the past or if it could accurately detect levels of steroids in the urine to determine such. <laughs> oh, these wacky doctors, Bix. Um, I mean, should anybody be surprised that these doctors are bought and paid for? I'm not. No. <laughs> they work for the... This is they, who they work for. They're gonna tell them. They're gonna tell them what they want. What they want to hear more often than not. Yeah, and it's also they want to keep their job. And we're seeing more that De Pascali seems like he's actually coming into this pretty sincere, at least on yeah, the he's surface. Into it. Yeah, he's coming into it that way. Um, especially about reducing levels and being able to detect that and stuff. But we also know that with the Ultimate Warrior stuff in '92. That's the rationale that was used for never giving him a positive steroid test for the most part. Yeah. So, and that's all under De Pascali. But he's he's a full employee by then. He's he's been on the job for a while. Uh, well, well, let me see when he's a, he's he's a fresh he's a fresh faced new guy here. Let me double check when are when are those drug tests? Thankfully, I have all the all the warrior stuff. Uh, separated out into chronological and individual files. Let's see. Doo -doo 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 -doo. 
Okay, drug tests. Okay, the first one is May 4th that Warrior got. And I should have, I think I have DePascal is uh, an excerpt from his deposition around here too, but okay. First test um, included four different steroids of steroid, uh, excuse me, uh, metabolite. Okay, oh, it's, they were all specifically uh, nandrolone related. Um, and then also a TE ratio consistent with the use of testosterone. Uh, second test is July, no, uh, excuse me, June 7th. And that has more consistent nandrolone use um, and more testosterone. It just keeps going like this. There's also a positive for methyl testosterone, which I remember DePascali said he excused because Warrior was thinking he got it from a contaminated supplement. And that was the only time that specific steroid ever showed up. Let me see. Do I have okay Moro? Okay, this is maybe longer than I remember. I don't remember if I quoted it in the Fighting Spirit article. Um, let me just search for the word level in here, though. Uh, okay, maybe... Okay, so here we go. Let's see. Uh, so he talks about the specific, the concentration. This is very dense. I don't want to read all of it. Uh, Oh, he concluded, based on looking at the deeper results, that Warrior had an unusual allelo epitestosterone level, which would give him a high ratio. So that's part of it, at least. Um, I mean, I'll say this much. I mean, how much of this is going from memory? How much is just him interpreting the results or what? Because this is what year? Which Warrior lawsuit is this originally from? Uh, the date on here is, okay, this is from 99, so this is from the 96 lawsuit, so, I don't know. I don't, I don't buy everything he's saying, but it's, it's hard to say, because he, he's calling all the previous stuff bullshit, but, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to pin down, I feel like, where he stood with all this. Hmm. So, yeah, but still, I mean... He's this is early in his run, so I mean he's fresh faced. Once he gets there, a while he just you know he starts towing the company line. Well, he hasn't even officially started yet. Well, you're right there too. So he's really fresh. So and yeah, like I said, Doctor Anthony Daly is you know doing what he's supposed to do. He's doing his job. What they want him to do his job. Put that way. All right, the 2020 piece on steroids and sports is scheduled to run this coming Friday, April 17th, which means it's already run before most of you will chance to read, get a chance to read this. Approximately 20% of the 15-minute piece is about pro wrestling, concentrating on the late Ed the Bull Gantner, superstar Billy Graham, and Hulk Hogan. Hogan refused to respond to the piece, although Arnold Schwarzenegger did, making a statement that he used steroids, but he won his bodybuilding contest both with and without them. And then bodybuilding, they don't make a difference, which is yet another case of being afraid to tell the truth. Dave was told by one reporter who was given a copy of the piece for it airs. It's a very good piece overall. Now, what will probably be the last television story this go around is scheduled to air this coming Tuesday night, April 21st on a current affair. The piece will probably be similar in tone to the now it can be told piece. And then it won't be pretty for the WF, but at the same time, because of the show the news airs on, it won't be that damaging. Although current affair has a much larger national audience than now it can be told. It doesn't have any more credibility with the mainstream media though. The show's interviewed Jim Stewart, 
Spitzer Man's former limo driver, Dr. D, David Schultz, Rita Chatterton, Murray Hodgson, Superstar Billy Graham, and Billy Jack Haynes. Titan refused to cooperate with this piece and also refused to allow the show to film at WrestleMania last week. We'll have more on this in just a little bit. All right, from the Reader's Page and the Observer, I have a bone to pick with you about your recent appearance on the Phil Donahue Show. In your newsletter, you criticized the WF steroid policy on a regular basis, but when you are on the show, you act like you were an employee of the WWF. You should have had a steroid policy of WCW and laid it on the table. Then you should ask Vince McMahon where his steroid policy is. I bet he would have been shocked because Vince McMahon tries to make everyone think he's got the only wrestling out there. You were nice to Vince, and you talked to him like he was your grandfather. You knew he was lying about everything and just trying to cover his ass. Is he paying you under the table? I realize you weren't there to point fingers, but there have been many wrestlers that have spoken up already about sexual harassment and steroid use. Hope you don't buy his garbage about how come these people have never spoken up before. The reason's simple. You don't rot the boat or they kick you off the boat. Where I work, the average working laborer may get abused by the executives, but if we were to attempt to blow the whistle, we'd be fired and blackballed. If Barry Orton had gone public sooner, he'd been fired and blackballed, which is pretty much where he is now. This isn't about to listen to complaints of a Barry Orton when he's talking about a big-time executive like Pat Patterson. Next time you face Vince, don't be such a wimp. Signed, Jason Jones of Milan, Illinois. Well, huh. Dave ran it. Yeah, um, he's far from the only person we've seen this in these shows so far. Well, scenes in these shows so far say uh, anything like that. You know, Wade said something similar. I think there was another letter, maybe that said something like that. Well, here's the thing. Okay, you know, if Wade had been in Dave's position, you think Wade would have been more combative? Based on how Wade was at that time, yes. Well, well, well. Here's the thing, though. Would the show's atmosphere lend it itself for that to take place? You got to remember, you know, there are a lot of guys, a lot of people up on that stage, and you got a crowd, and you got Donahue. Who Donahue's a fast, fast mover. You know, he he'll, he'll get in and, and he'll butt in, and he'll, he wants to move it along. He, I mean, that's one thing he always did. He kept that pace going. He didn't let a guest drone on quote unquote or if there's some type of conflict that was going on he would step in the middle of it and try to you know steer everything back so i don't know if dave or wade or whoever tried to be combated the vents how long it would have lasted before donahue steps in and well how are we even defining combative though that's the thing like this guy's talking about laying that WCW steroid policy on the on the table or something like that. I mean, I mean, that's I don't know how literal he's being, but it's a good point though. WCW had released the actual policy. Vince is not for his. Yeah, but here's the thing: I don't think they cared about WCW. It was about WWF. So, well, yes. If if, 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 if I mean that's nothing too. You got to think about with this show. To, I mean, to the media, WF is wrestling. There's nobody else. Oh, yeah. You know? So if you want to go in there and start talking about another wrestling company, they're definitely going to try to, you know, like, wait, it's a, this is about WWF. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. It, now, I still think, I think the criticism of Dave overall has been fair. Like, he, he was a little too conciliatory to Vince. Yeah. At least. I think you would agree with that, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure exactly what he could have done different with the opportunities he had. Besides the obvious one we mentioned in part one as far as the mail stuff and what Vince had told him two weeks earlier. I think that's the big one, right? 
Yeah. Which is not coming up here. Um, and he does go, he gets combative with Vince on some of the steroid stuff. You know, the whole thing, oh, it's not, well, steroids weren't legal in Florida, blah, blah, blah. Like, he wasn't afraid to. But they, uh, wait, Dave also had one of the big moments in the show anyway, shutting Vince down on what he told him. About, devastated, yes. Yeah, I mean, could Dave have been harder? Absolutely, it could have been harder. But, you know, like I said, where they were at, it, it might not have lended itself for that to be something that could have happened. Yeah, and we also need to mention what Dave said in his rundown in the Observer After that we talked about in part one. He he was a non-television person on a panel of mostly television people. And I'm pretty sure this is the first time he ever would have been on live television. Yes. That's obviously going to be a factor. Yeah. So, yeah. And I do want to mention, too, just before we close out this section this week, because I almost forgot uh, after we talked about the current affair preview, and I'm sure we'll get into it in a bit, but because I did want to mention it earlier when we were talking about the Rita Chatterton stuff and I forgot, we did allude to this, you know, when we covered the penthouse article on the main show last year um here i completely forgot that dave i don't know if he talked to stewart or what was saying that stewart jim stewart explicitly corroborated rita chatterton's story that might actually be besides what vince told phil and dave about mel phillips that might be the most important thing from the, the all of these scandals that gets forgotten right that Jim Stewart told at least Phil Moshnick, seemingly Jeff Savage, seemingly also Dave Meltzer, that he could corroborate everything that Rita Chatterton was accusing him of. And that his lawsuit filed months and months before anyone had any idea that Rita Chatterton would be coming forward talked about being made to witness crimes taking place in the limo. Mm-hmm. So... It's not It's not like this is your usual he said, she said, in that sense. Um, it makes Dave, you wonder why Jim, Jim Stewart isn't on more of these media appearances either. Yeah, since he does to some of them, and we'll get to that in a minute. But the other thing, too, is Dave would say – he says in some of the other coverage, I forget which – that Stewart was able to confirm everything until she stepped into the limo. But, I mean, I know I have Phil's deposition where he says that Stewart confirmed the substance of it. So, either way, I mean, there's more he could speak to, I'm sure, about her demeanor after, even if he wasn't in the Linda limo, if the divider was up completely and he couldn't see or hear much, you know, whatever. Like, it's not like there's no witness that can help here you know help her story yeah. so yeah it's a little weird that historically it's not treated the way it actually is yeah all right let's go to the week of april the 20th three count april 21st torch april 23rd observer april 27th let me start with the observer if the segment on a current affair that originally scheduled air on tuesday then there then expect the piece to air on april 28th it showed in numerous interviews during the week, including what here. And it didn't seem possible with scheduled interviews with Jim Stewart, Rita Chatterton, and possibly even Vince McMahon on Monday, and with Bruno Sorrentino on Tuesday, 
They had the piece ready for the originally scheduled Tuesday airing. Okay. So we may not be talking about current affair just yet <laughs> then. So there's yeah, that. Yeah, when I was reading Inter- ahead, yeah, when I was reading ahead at the end of the last segment, I I, I didn't read far enough. <laughs> so but, it's postponed. So we'll have that on next the next. Yes, show, the actual discussion. So it's good I fit in that Jim Stewart stuff at the end there of the last segment anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it gets postponed, and then you know next time we'll include that the Murray Hodgson letter to Vince asking to work on this WBF pay per view in the middle of the lawsuit and the scandals. So strap in everybody. Yeah. So that's a tease for next month. But right. speaking of Murray Hodgson, interrelated story depositions in the Murray Hodgson lawsuit against Titan Sports are scheduled to be taken starting late this week. The Hodgson case is most interesting because, unlike the Billy Graham case and in some of the other cases, where it's pretty well understood what happened, but the question is whether or not and what is legal responsibility in the human steroids did cause Graham's personal physical damage. The Hodgson case is much different. While well, the ability for him to prove that he was fired for his claim of turning down the advance by Pat Patterson seems almost impossible given that nobody in Titan will back it up. After talking with several lawyers, if Hanshin is telling the complete truth, his chances of winning are very strong. After lengthy discussions with Hanshin and previous thoughts of Vincent Mann and Steve Plenamen on the subject of the case, we have two completely diverse stories. It isn't basically the same story that each person slants in their direction. One side's lying big time. I mean, one, side, one of these sides is on Fantasy Island. The fact that one side also has a track record of being on or near Fantasy Island and a lot of the controversial issues and sometimes even writing scripts for Fantasy Island and the other side's an unknown certainly makes it easy to believe one side over the other. But don't waste a minute here worrying about hunches, believability, and sympathy here. This will be an open and shut case and be obvious just where it opens and shuts if it ever goes to court because whichever side is telling the truth should be able to easily document it. Both McMahon and Hodgson have made many on the record statements, particularly on Larry King, Hodgson on King's radio show tonight, McMahon was on a television show, and Phil Donahue that completely contradicted the other. Phil's McMahon, who was lying on those shows, and considering what he said on King, in some cases contradicted what he said on Donahue, he'll be carved up like a Thanksgiving turkey in the courtroom. If Hodgson was, then he will be. Then he will be. While a key point to prove who is honest can be brought up because settlement discussions can be brought up if something goes to court, if Hodgson asked for $160,000 in the settlement the morning of Donahue, his credibility is in question because he specifically denied it. He did confirm he and Renee DuBose, director of Human Report Resource at Titan, talked that morning with the talks initiated, initiated by DuBose, which he constituted as trying to keep him from going on the show, but that no figure was ever discussed. He specifically stated that DuBose asked him to put down in writing a figure that day, send it to them, and they'll decide if they'll accept it or not. That almost sounds like a trick to get Hodgson to put something in writing. Hodgson's lawyer was on vacation that day. That Mimanka pulled that out later that afternoon on live television, similar to the apparent trick when Lee Cole, or the brother of Tom Cole, called up Barry Orton's sister on Sunday night after they had sold their issue and told Barry's sister they'd be okay for Barry to talk about Tom on a Donahue show, which was set up since McMahon had Cole's station in the audience for when Orton brought the name up, but Orton didn't fall for the bait. On Donahue, McMahon gave a specific figure, which is either a factual statement or an outright lie. No in-between. And wouldn't that be easily documented one way or the other? In the green room at Donahue, Hodgson was going nuts in front of not only myself and maybe two or three others about how that $160,000 figure was totally made up. And he also did have a short verbal conversation with McMahon after the show was over. One Titan employee talked with me Wednesday after Donahue aired and said McMahon was telling the truth. And he had documented evidence in his, co- in his coat. And he couldn't figure out why Vince didn't pull it out. That's hard to believe, however. 
because Hodgson ain't him alive on the show. And if he had documented evidence to prove Hodgson was a liar, it's hard to believe he never brought it up. The other and more important aspect of the case is that since this is a major issue, according to both lawyers, states both with regarding the case, McMahon stated specifically on Don Hugh that it took Hodgson six months to come forward and bring up the charge. Hodgson said he had an emotional talk with McMahon just a few days after being fired, with McMahon blowing him off, and said his lawyer sent McMahon a letter within two weeks. Obviously, he will have a copy of that letter if such a letter exists. From what Dave's told, and this is way out of Dave's range of knowledge, juries are very unsympathetic in cases like this of employers ignoring claims of this type without investigating. And if there's no letter, because there's no way the lawyer wouldn't have kept such a letter on file, that says McMahon was the one telling the truth in this instance, this case will never go to a jury anyway, even though both sides insist they want to go all the way with it. On Thursday, Planet said, we don't believe there's much to truth what he, much truth to what he's saying. He said he were trying to buy him off. Morning of Donahue, he called Renee DeBose and said, I want 160 grand, or I'm going on the Donahue show. And then he goes on the show and tries to change subject when Vince brought it up. The guy is lying through his teeth. He has no case, and he knows he has no case. We're doing everything we can to get him under oath. He's spreading all this bullshit. When we get him under oath, we'll see a different Murray Hodson, if that's even his real name. He falsified documents with us. He claimed a one-year period negotiation. We did a search, brought him in for an interview a few times. We decided we weren't going to fill the position. A year later, we started another search. His name came up again. Hodgson stated specifically he was offered a contract in 1990, and they spent a year negotiating before he ever came in. This character assassination stuff's getting funny, Hodgson said in response. <laughs> well, Dave's laying all the groundwork here for what's going to happen with uh, the possible trial here. Yeah, holy wall of text, though, on this one. There's a lot going on here. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm reading back through this. Um... How about the phone call to Barry Orton's sister? Um, Lee Cole. Give me one second. Or, uh, because that hasn't been brought up on the show yet. Give me one second. I am trying to find... I know I have this isolated... Uh, somewhere. Give me one second. Um, I had totally forgotten about this. I have somewhere from one of the exhibits in the, uh, I think the Moshnik case, into some filing, I have a transcription of what I think is a tape of what was Lee, on Lee Cole's answering machine. And it included Barry Orton calling him after he figured out what was going on. Give me one thing. Second. is, I mean, just saying Barry Orton had, had done that. If he Boy, had brought up that, Tom that, Cole. Oh, my God. I mean, I w could you just imagine Vince? Oh, that been that, that would have been like his uh, his Perry Mason moment right there when he, he you know, at the, at the end of the trial and doing, the, you know, his big play and re revealing who the killer was. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, you know, we talked about a little this a little in part one too that like i really don't understand why donahue never brings up the ring boy scandal beyond the little bit at the beginning and maybe and and the thing about what graham said he witnessed and sam martino heard about in uh in allentown like and that tom cole never comes up from his end to be clear the guests we know that the guests all realized after talking to Barry before the show not to bring up Tom Cole. But yeah. 
the name of the episode is, you know, teen boy, you know, boy sex scandal rocks wrestling or whatever. And it just doesn't really come up. Um, I don't know why I'm not finding this because I'm pretty sure I have a separate thing of it. I mean, I can dig it up through the whole thing that I has the whole case, but it would take a few minutes to find. Um, it is, it is so weird though. Like, I've never heard an explanation for that though. Okay, we know why the guest didn't. Why didn't Tom here? Yeah. Especially because the story of how things went after the show, immediately after Tom Cole walks down and points at Vince and is like, oh, this is the only guy who's telling the truth. And as soon as he realizes it's Tom Cole, Ed Glavin, the producer, looks like he's nearly having a heart attack. That's like, I mean, just imagine that was on the air. But if, if, but if, if Ed Glavin was so concerned about this, why, why doesn't Donahue say anything about Tom Cole during the show? I don't know. Okay. Okay. So this is, okay. So this wasn't, uh, the Sunday night. So this is 1222 PM New York time on the Monday of the Donahue show. Okay. Donahue was 3 PM, right? I think. For the live show, yeah. Okay. Here is the answering machine message that I am reading verbatim from that Barry Orton left Tom Cole. Okay. I mean, excuse me, left Lee Cole. Lee, this is Barry Orton. Listen, guy, it's Monday, 1222 New York time. I'm sure you know about the Donahue show and everything. And I just want to tell you, man, I haven't given your guys' names to anybody. Still haven't, even though your names are out in a few places and uh, you got to be fucking me. If you're still there, man, I just want to say that you know I'd really like to talk to you. Uh, you know, I think in light of what I've done for you, man, that perhaps you at least owe me that much. And then gives him the phone number and the room number for the hotel. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, going... Uh, again, yeah, okay. again, what if what if Barry Orton hadn't done, you know, hadn't been that perceptive of what was going to happen? Yeah, realizing that, like, I mean, he'd been talking to the Coles pretty much every day. That that's what sa- that's what saved them. That he had been in such constant contact with them. Yeah. Um, hold on, I'm scrolling back through here because I think there was an older Orton message, and I just wanted to refresh my memory as for what it was, just to see if it was anything interesting as far as the contrast. Okay, so this is the previous Thursday, Thursday, eight thirty-four p.m. Uh, oh wait, is it? Yeah, okay, it is that Thursday. Uh, Lee, this is Barry Orton calling from Las Vegas. I have some really, really, really crazy heavy shit to tell you about, and I got the results of my polygraph back that were based upon the statement that I gave your attorney and about a cleaner, more positive polygraph they've ever they've never seen. So I'd sure appreciate it. It's five thirty here now, and I'm going to be leaving. At about 7.30, so if you call me back within the next couple of hours. Man, I got some heavy stuff to talk to you about. All right, bye. What that heavy stuff is, I don't know. Because yeah. obviously it's not the polygraph. No. Yeah, all right, anything else uh, going on? Oh, yeah, right. There's other stuff here. We didn't talk about Murray, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Renee DuBose. Yes. Um, uh, uh, yeah. If he, what do we think he had in his coat? Do we think he actually had anything? Or do we think he had something that he, 
was for a lie he was waiting for Murray to tell that he did not tell. Yeah. Like it's in the middle. Was. That's what I think too. Yeah. That Vince was frustrated that the thing he knew he could get him on, he couldn't get him on without him bringing it up first. Thing is, Murray Murray was in the zone on Donahue. If he had been like he was on Geraldo, he might have opened himself up for something. <laughs> yeah. Um. I'm just trying to think in terms of the, you know, I, given Patterson's involvement in both things, even if one was not necessarily as his superior, it's kind of interesting that Barry telling him about the car trip in Amarillo with. Patterson and Garvin groping at him didn't get to him at all. But I mean, I, I, it could also be everything wearing on Murray and seeing these other allegations and realizing they're care. probably more sincere yeah. than his. It's different. I tell you why it's different. Because well, it's a it's, 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 it's a woman it's and she's a, pouring her heart out, whereas Barry was not doing yes. that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's the difference. Yeah. Even even if. Right, because also just the tone was different. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It just it shook him, um, and, and, and 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 there's a difference between, you know, what they were doing with Barry Orton and Rita Marie being allegedly raped. Yes, I mean it's penetrated it, rape too. I mean you don't want to differentiate that too much, but I mean I get what you're saying. Well, yes. it's a difference, Vix. It's a. Difference. It is a. It is still different. Yes, and. <laughs> I mean, there is the fact that even though he still found it, he obviously did not like it. Barry Orton seemed to be of the opinion that their intent was not to force themselves on him sexually. They were fucking with him, right? You know, and which which is wrong. And it doesn't excuse it. It doesn't excuse it. No, right, but no, you can. It's not it, a cool thing to do, right? It does, but it does not seem like it traumatized him necessarily um, yeah. okay so as far as the other murray stuff here i don't know if we ever got proof that he falsified documents well i mean we're gonna have more murray stuff in later shows so or show whatever so yeah who knows that's it this is something that we'll do at the table more until later you know when we have more stuff to talk about so all right, the warlords been pulled from all bookings for sixty days for those dreaded unannounced reasons. Hmm, wonder what that could be. The warlord, <laughs> the biggest walking steroid poster boy in the company. Yeah, that's what you know. That's you know that's one thing I was I was talking about. You know, with the uh, the steroid test. I mean, he is the poster boy for steroids in that company, and he's front and center. You know. <laughs> Good lord. All right. Torch. Steve Planamento. Mike Mooneyham and the Charleston Post Current. Concern Ultra Awards turned to WF. We're all very happy to have him back. He's obviously dropped a lot of weight and he's off whatever he may have been on. We're all very happy to have him back in healthy condition. He looks terrific. And he's look, never looked or sounded better. He's healthy. He's rested. He's back in normal shape. And that's the whole point of our steroid testing and drug testing. It's not to hang anybody out to dry, it's to help people out. Well, Make it out of what you will, but yes, Warrior was definitely a lot lighter in it when he came back. Yes, he's on steroids, but he's clearly doing things differently. He's not bald. Yes, and um, I'll lot. note here. I just went with the torch aggregation of these quotes because I pulled up the original article, and it 
there was enough that I didn't want to write it all down by hand. And the OCR was not working on that as well as it was on the torch. So I was just like, screw it. It's the same quotes. <laughs> I go through what I have to go through sometimes, APX. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. All right, Planet Man, the whole cooking staff with WF. We certainly hope and have very every intention of having him return to some capacity. As far as going to New Japan, somebody from the front office talked to Hulk the other day, and that's just not going to happen. It could have been just a phone call from Bob or Anoki that go, got blood on proportion. I'd be lying if I said I knew for a fact and no one had made an offer to him. But from all indications from here, he has no intention to go to Japan to work other than on a WF card. <laughs> uh, Planet Mental Hogan addressing the allegations against him publicly. It's up to him. His past is the past, and it's something he's got to address when he wants to, when he feels comfortable with it. All I know is that Terry Balea, I, the Terry Balea I know is a tremendous human being, and the Hulk Hogan character has been nothing but great for kids and adults. Terry Balea may have made some mistakes in the past, but that should not, and in my eyes does not, tarnish the Hulk Hogan character and all the good he's done. Eh, interesting perspective to take. Well. <laughs> what, about what about Terry Bostic? Eh, if only Hogan had planned a mentor with him during the Gawker trial. <laughs> Oh, he's, he's not entirely wrong on that last point. No. But yeah, Steve Planmena, he he's willing to talk. You know, he says he says shit. He'll give you some answers whether they're right or not. Do that what you will, but he will talk. Yeah, he definitely likes to talk. Um uh, only to, only go into Japan to work on w, on WWF shows, huh? Yeah, Hogan. Well, Hogan's probably BSing him and BSing them about that. I'm sure. Um, so they, they probably actually think that. Yeah. So now we get to something I included just because it's it's the naivete of an otherwise wise behind beyond his years twenty year old man. Excerpt from Scandal Covers making a difference by Alice Marvest, three count editor. If the allegations by former Dover employees concerning homosexual activities by Pat Patterson, Terry Garvin, and Mel Phillips were true, sexual harassment will likely never happen at WF Locker Room. Good luck with that. Yeah, sure. Well, his brain's not full, fully finished developing yet and won't be for a few years. What can you do? Yeah. All right, from the reader's page of The Observer, I, like others, have been very disturbed by the allegations surfacing in WWF. Are the other wrestling organizations really white, or are we just not hearing about the ghosts of their closets? Hope we've heard all the revelations we're going to hear. They keep getting worse and worse and harder to stomach. Most of the allegations related to sexual misconduct involve management-level people, not the wrestlers. I like wrestling because of the wrestlers, not the management. I don't want any action I may take to hurt the wrestlers. A boycott would hurt the wrestlers, so I don't know what to do. Signed, Sharon Porter of Foxworth, Mississippi. Dave Meltzer. No wrestling organization is perfect, and some of the problems that have been taught and written about, particularly steroids, cuts across all pro wrestling and through many different sports. WF in the past, and to the extent still today, emphasizes the physiques, which creates the demand for steroids. More need of other promotion, but they shouldn't be singled out for steroid use. The other allegations of sexual improprieties haven't come up, and that nobody has come forward in recent years and pointing out direct personal examples. In other companies, in other companies, but that doesn't mean they don't exist in some form in this business outside the WWF. I mean, that's all, that's all forms of life. You know, I mean, I can pretty much guarantee that just about any workplace has some type of sexual harassment. Yes. <laughs> some form of fashion. 
it's happened or is happening. So, and you know, it could be the littlest thing or it could be major things, you know, but it's happening or has happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, but again, this is an era where this stuff isn't, it's just really now getting talked about heavily, heavier, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Clarence Thomas is very recently in the rearview mirror, you know, all that. Yeah. Um, I mean, something we should add to just in terms of the general conversation at the time, it doesn't really, it doesn't apply to most of this stuff. I guess you could say it does to Vince McMahon and Reed Chatterton. Um, not only is sexual harassment only really now in the conversation coming out of the Clarence Thomas hearings, the concept of date rape or acquaintance rape or whatever you want to say is the same way in that it's only now being talked about at this time. Well, like, we're, you know, let's think about here. I right, think about here. I right, we're, we're what? Um, what's this? April of ninety two. Yeah. When does uh when does the Bill Clinton uh, stuff start up? He's not accused of anything criminal until later, I don't think, by anyone. Paula, Paula Jones. R- well, Paula – okay, so let's see. Let me see. Paula Jones because it's – um. oh, God. Why am I – the woman who accused him from rape, though, I'm forgetting her name, but Paula Jones. Gen- well, yeah, Jennifer Flowers, Paula Jones. Well, oh, Jennifer Flowers was explicitly in consensual affair, though. Um, yeah, but, I mean, all that stuff is going on. Okay, so the okay, so she filed the suit in ninety four. Okay, so that's so we're the, we're way away from that. But ninety one is when it supposedly happened, right in Arkansas. Um, yeah. So, why am I forgetting her name? Uh, let me check real quick. Oh God, I, I know you're talking about Juanita Broderick. Juanita Broderick, yes, yes. Yeah, okay, there you go. Um, she alleges it happened in 78 when he was Arkansas State AG. And when does she – I don't think she comes forward until the Kenneth Starr stuff. It started – rumors were in 92. Right, but no one so reported the, anything because she wouldn't talk. Yeah. Well, no, well it, okay. The story reached the New York Times and LA Times in October 92, but the papers dropped the story after she refused to talk. To reporters and uh, Philip Yoakum, who's one of her confidants, refused to release a recording of his conversations with her. Okay. So, yeah, then fall of 97, Paula Jones's PIs try to talk to her. Yeah. And so then it's – okay, yeah, so that's yeah. a ways away too. So to get back to what I was saying though, we also need to remember that – and unfortunately, there are still people who think this way, especially older people, but – in 1992, there are a lot of people that still think that rape is a stranger jumping out of the bushes and nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to keep that in mind, too. Like, when it comes to at least, you know, both the general tone of everything and also specifically Vincent Rita Shatterton. Okay, here you go. This is, this is interesting. Hmm. Uh, this is from the Chicago Tribune from March of 92. In the last quarter, 1991, 1,244 claims of sexual harassment were filed with uh, the EEOC nationwide, compared to 728 in the same period from 1990, an increase of 71 percent. 
It's been a growing public awareness of the right to file charges of sexual harassment, and women are coming forward, said Margaret Pullis, an EEOC spokeswoman in Washington. Since 1985, sexual harassment charges nationwide remain stated by 5,000 a year. But based on the October-December surge, the number of charges filed in 1992 could be much higher than in previous years. Said so the, the Chicago uh, District Office reported their cases doubled from 42, from 24 to 42, nearly. So the, the, the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas hearings have made it possible for sexual harassment to come out of the closet. But there are a lot of women who are still not coming forward. At this point in time, the, stud, the study showed that 45% of the nation's 58 million employed women experienced some type of sexual harassment at work sometime during their career. That was in 1992. And that's when this is only becoming a – starting to become a thing people talk about. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So – And that's just a women thing. We're not even talking about men being sexually harassed. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, of course, because people don't think like that, especially in that era. That don't happen. Right. You know? Yeah. So or it's, all, it, it's all funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we're about to close out now with one more letter to Dave. This one that is then followed by a long Dave response for reasons that will become understandable as Chris reads the letter. Now it's time to stop slamming Vincent Man his company. After watching Larry King, Phil Donahue, Geraldo Rivera, etc., I smell a conspiracy. On the surface, McMahon came out of their shows looking ruthless, even like a cutthroat. However, I think Vince is a genius who exercises shrewd business sense with the foresight that is sorely lacking in the U.S. promoters. He's not a tightwad. He's not a scoundrel like Herb Abrams. He's not a member of the myopic cast amateurs led by Dusty Rhodes or a charlatan like Joel Goodhart. It certainly seems to me that wrestlers today are almost flocking to Stanford, leaving other promoters in their wake. I don't understand how, how or why this would be the case if WF was perceived by Ric Flair or Lex Luger or Sid Udy as a house of ill repute. Taking all this into consideration, I advise everyone to turn the heat down on Vincent Mann, because if he is just being justly unjustly railroaded, we all we will all be guilt ridden. Signed Edie Bailey. Aberdeen, Maryland. Okay. So a female. Uh, and now we go to Dave Meltzer with a big wall of text. There's no conspiracy here. I can just see Dave the smoke of his ears. There's no conspiracy here. That's just something McMahon wants people to think to divert attention from the real issues. The majority of these people who have come forward didn't even know each other beforehand, and only a few even contact one another. Superstar Billy Graham was friends with David Schultz and Billy Jack Haynes, but not with Barry Orton. With the exception of Graham, Bruno Sammartino had no contact with anyone who has come forward beforehand. Tom Hankins, Murray Hodgson, Rita Chatterton knew none of the above, except Chatterton had refereed some of Orton's matches. In 1986, but the two haven't been in contact since. The kids who came forward originally, Tom Cole, Chris Lowe's, and the third college student from upstate New York, whose name hasn't gone public yet, knew nobody except Phil Mustick of the New York Post, who Cole contacted last summer and kept pushing for eight months for him to break the story. Whether you think Vincent Mann's the greatest wrestling promoter in history or the man who ruined wrestling, or what you think of the angles he puts on television, or you know what he really is, that he has nothing to do with any of these charges or either his or his employees' guilt or innocence. In fact, none of the charges have anything to do with one another except if they are all true or even if some are true. It shows a pattern of reckless disregard for human decency and perhaps a lot more, such as either a company hierarchy drunk by its own successes or at the very least certain key employees drunk with power. The steroid abuse has been proven beyond a doubt of all but the most gullible Although this is a stunning situation unique to the WF Freedom Pro Wrestling. 
the WF did ignore the issue for years, what was going on, as the WCW, NFL, other sports, has opened and shut. Sexual harassment is a charge made in many forms. It is as yet unproven in a court of law, but there is enough cooperation at this point to make it worthy of intense examination. The hiring of Cole and resignations of, it, of Pat Patterson, Mel Phillips, and Terry Garvin, no matter how they are worded, seem to substantiate the charge in this individual case. There are many other charges out there that also need to be examined, none of which have had their day in court. Chatterton's charge against McMahon was corroborated by the only eyewitness to the alleged event, but he also has a lawsuit filed against McMahon. However, a lawsuit filed months ago specifically talked of illegal and immoral acts he has witnessed in relation to his job. There's another charge of Hodgson against Pat Patterson, who he claims was then told to Vince McMahon, who then ignored it. Titans spokespeople said their specific, that specific claim is untrue and have called Hodgson everything from gay to a liar to a horrible announcer all the way to a certifiable lunatic. Many wrestlers have said forms of sexual harassment was commonplace. Several have said it under oath. Of the three resigned employees, all were named by at least three to five different individuals or personal claims to some form of sexual misconduct, abuse, harassment, even in a few cases, sexual blackmail. Not all these charges come off as having credibility to Dave, but because they've, he's mis dismissed one or two, it doesn't affect the possibility that any of the others may or may not be true. Some come off as very credible. McMahon's own statements on television, which upon examination lack credibility, have only made more examination a necessity. This has nothing to do with whether Vince McMahon is a better promoter or businessman than Joe Pettacino or Kip Fry, or for that matter, if you hate what he's turned wrestling into. Whether you enjoy the WF on television or whether your favorite wrestler now works for the WWF, or why. Those who unquestionably back up Vince McMahon on all these issues because they are WF fans are being every bit as narrow-minded as those who condemn him specifically because they aren't. These are all charges that need to be examined individually, not collectively, and not be used as part of people's political agenda. And they are far too important to be ignored because some people can't handle the reality trading into their fantasy world for more than a few weeks. Or because they want to believe that wrestling on the surface is fantasy and any reality, no matter how heinous, cannot be taken as a serious issue. Or because they have been brainwashed and a knee-jerk reaction of it hurts the business when bad publicity gets out. Ignoring all the years of ignoring and pretending these abuses haven't existed under the guise of protecting the business have created more personal, physical, and psychological scarring and damage than this business has the ethical right to inflict. And when they've all been selling in our very much imperfect legal system, and as much truth has come forward and is going to in a business in which the foundation is deceit, then and only then is it time to stop addressing the issues. At that point, we should decide what is the appropriate and fair treatment that each individual involved and perhaps the company itself deserves. To come to any conclusions one way or the other before that point is not only totally unfair but foolish. If there's no truth to any of this and nobody tries to obfuscate the truth, a man's name will be completely clear for all the right reasons rather than the wrong reasons. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, interesting stuff there about the uh, the way WWF fans perceive things compared to people that are anti-WWF fans kind of rings uh, true today. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of things, you mm -hmm. know? And this is going on in 1992. This is nothing new. <laughs> I mean, it's more glorified now because of social media, no. but it's nothing. It's nothing new. Yeah. Um, Here's the thing. Here, the day brings up the point though. How different is all this in people's minds if it's not pro wrestling? If this, if, if you take, if you take these things that happened, and instead of being in a pro wrestling environment, being in a 
regular nine to five environment? How different is that treated by some people? Because it's like Dave says, some people are reaction to this. Oh, it's wrestling, you know. And then we and we've seen that on Donahue with the audience, you know. If that if that show had been been on that show and that had been something about a a major corporate restaurant chain or some shit like that, how different is the reaction to that crowd? You know, I mean, major, the reaction major, period major. is a lot different, and it's getting more. It's getting covered more widely anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. By the media. And the media takes it more seriously because it's something that's perceived as reality when wrestling is not reality. Wrestling is fantasy land. Let's put it this way. If – because it's – whatever example you can think of that would be closest. Um, Maybe Ringling Brothers is a little too on the nose. But let's say – Major League Baseball at this point still has ball boys and stuff, right? They still got bat boys today. Or bat boys, excuse me, ball boys sounds worse. Um, sorry, my brain. They still got bat boys today. Why would the ball yeah. boys? Jesus, what the hell am I saying? Um, <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> but bat boys, sorry, I knew that too, and I don't know. Well, why I mean, well, no, well, well, the Catholic Church. That has its own other baggage, though. But what I was getting to, though, if this is major league baseball with bat boys, this is wall to wall news for weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but but the Catholic Church with you know, altar boys. Yes, but that also has its own complications because okay, have you ever seen Spotlight? No. Okay. My understanding is is the vast majority of that movie is very true to life. There is one thing that they add in that okay, I'll it's a it's a movie based on real life, so I don't care if I'm spoiling it for anyone who's never seen it. Which, by the way, if you've never seen Spotlight, see it. Um, they they added a scene from something they found in their own research that worked very well for the plot, and I actually totally get why they did it. Although I wish there's a little bit more introspection like this in the movie, it it served its purpose. So as they were doing the research on the movie. They realized that um, – oh, God, I forget his full name. But the the main investigative editor p- played by uh, Michael Keaton, he had written an article years earlier about one of the lawsuits, and he and everyone else just never followed up on it. And in doing the research, they felt like – yeah, it's something that didn't happen, but it's the type of thing that really you should take dramatic license with because it was a great way to show the kind of regrets and stuff that they, the people I'm sure at the paper had for not covering any of this stuff sooner, you know, or not taking it more seriously sooner. And even the Catholic Church had all that where it wasn't really being covered the way it should have for a long time until it blew up with that investigation. Because yeah. as much as there were, well, let's put it this way too. Where, what context in the real world were there? Did you hear jokes about men molesting little boys the most in just the real world? Priests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also shows part of why it wasn't taken seriously too, because it's the same thing we've been talking about. Yeah, and and then you know we have, I mean, the stuff that went on in Hollywood for years and years and years, and 
I mean, good lord, the Roman Polanski stuff was out forever, but you know, anytime he would make a film, you know, I mean, it would get talked about, but it it was like an sundry to the film in a way. And then you have all these major Hollywood actors and actresses who are just fawning to work with this guy. When mm-hmm. the guy is fucking exiled, you know, and you got some, I mean, some major players have worked with him over the years, knowing what, what, what went on and knowing that he's been exiled and, and really, and, the, and if he comes back, he's arrested. I mean, but yeah, they're, they're flying to Europe so they can work with this guy. I mean, that is a enabling of, of just about anything, you know, I mean, it's crazy. How, how how many how many people and people that are you know, if there had been anybody else that wasn't like a major director would have been shouting from the from the mountaintops about how this person needs to be put in jail. But the fact that it's Roman Polanski and he's this great film director, or even Woody Allen, same thing. I mean, God forbid, you know. I mean, oh, you know, we're chomping at the bit to work with this with these guys. You know, they'll look past. What little things, you know, they have done like rape or grooming or whatever you want to, you know, whatever. And but, but they're so, they're so great at what they do that I'm going to look past that for the sake of the art. Yeah, which and I'm not saying this to defend anyone, but it's also worth noting, too. I, I don't know how this became a thing that it became so widespread but, you know, everyone remembers the Whoopi Goldberg on The View thing. Oh, it wasn't rape, rape, which uh-huh. it was. And he admitted to it. It was explicit. Like, take the age yeah. out of the equation for a second. It explicitly was a forcible rape. Yes, absolutely it was. Um, not We're not going to get into the details. Obviously, we shouldn't. Well, I, but, I, I, no, I, I'm just I, saying. I, 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 do you remember that the, that there was like a movement of, of, of people from Hollywood that was oh, trying and letters to, and to get him back and, in the country? Including signed by, among other people, Mia Farrow? Yes. 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 Which I don't... It's insane. Like, I'm There's so many hypocrites in society, man. So many hypocrites. And why? Because he's some great artist? Like, who gives a yes. shit? I know. I mean, there's so many hypocrites. Yeah, like, look. If someone wants to say... Like, I, I get to a point when people say the stuff like... As this guy who had been through so much trauma with the Holocaust and the brutal murder of his wife and all that, like, that he had this real fear at the time from how the judge changed the potential deal on him and all that, which I know is also more complicated than that and less in his favor than it even is often told. But still, if someone wants to argue that he initially fled out of panic stemming from his trauma history and thinking he was being persecuted given the Holocaust and all that. I can get to that, to a point. But that would only apply to doing it initially. He should adjust. Like, he specifically, you know, is living in places where he can't be extradited, you know, all that. It's like, get bullshit. Like, And he's been doing what, he's, what they said he did. He did then, and he, yeah. Like, yes. it's not like It's not like there's any question <laughs> about it. And it's not like he didn't have other patterns with underage girls anyway, because he absolutely so, I did. Mean, so, I mean, and and, and, and people so have blind. The point is, in general, though, look at look at all blinders. the enabling. Of, look at all the enabling of Harvey Weinstein. 
you can't tell me that people like George Clooney and, 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 and people like that that worked with Weinstein for all those years didn't know all that shit that was going on. You know, they knew it. I mean, have you seen the did. clip people share sometimes where someone asks uh, Courtney Love's advice on a red carpet about what's an advice she would give aspiring actresses? And she thinks for a few seconds and says, if Harvey Weinstein invites you to his hotel room, don't go and walks away. Yeah. Which in her case, clearly, I believe she was sincere. I don't think she's yeah. joking, but... I mean, there was the what was it, what's his face? There was the Seth MacFarlane comment about Harvey Weinstein, which was probably intended as being on the square, but still, uh, like it, people knew, people knew to a degree publicly. I do think there are people in Hollywood that thought it was quote unquote just casting couch stuff, which is not an excuse, but I, I you can see why someone who's been through Hollywood for years might think of that as more as being just part of the way people do business, even if it's still shitty. Like, I'm sure there are people who did not realize he was a violent criminal. But still, people knew. It's just yeah. people have blinders. Like, it happens everywhere. Wrestling has its own specific issues. But there are... I mean, yeah. To close the loop, though, on this and, you know, finish up, it's not like all of the issues with the coverage and everything are limited to it being pro wrestling. It's a huge part of it. But let me put it this way. If this had managed to break now, would there still be hurdles? Yes. If just because when it comes to serious stories, unless it's the biggest stars, a lot of mainstream outlets that are good at covering this stuff might not look into anything related to pro wrestling at all. Or, you know, if it's like... Let's say someone like me, for example, they're not necessarily going to take investigative work from freelancers. But if it broke, this would be a much bigger story now because – Well, yes. I mean and I, you know, I always you know, to, you know, go to talk, you know, try to tell you that oh, this ain't going to – you know, this thing will get traction, this, that, and the other. This story in particular I think would have a better chance because of what it involves of, of going on in today's climate. Absolutely, it w it would gain more traction and become more of a bigger deal yeah. these days. Absolutely. So, well, that's it for this show. So yeah, another uh, another show on Titan Gate ninety two, and we'll have uh, another one coming on the way next month where we'll have that a current affair stuff to talk about and. Uh, and we'll get more into the other things as well. So, uh, yeah, Warrior's back in the company full time. So I'm sure we'll be talking about him and a lot more of the things as uh, we get in the next show. So uh, we want to thank all of you for your uh, your patronage. And we definitely want you to uh, tell everybody that, that you know to listen listen to these shows and listen to all the shows that we've done on, on our Patreon. Recommend it uh, as loud as you can. So we can get more patrons and get, get more ears to this stuff. Because this is very important stuff we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Stuff that a lot of people really don't know about in the day's time. I mean, it's 30 years ago. I mean, this is a, over a generation ago. So definitely stuff that, that needs to be you know brought to the forefront for newer newer ears. So, uh, yeah, do, it, do your part and uh, try to spread the word out about the Patreon. So, Bix, I want to thank you, of course, for doing all the research on these shows. Definitely the rock here. 
And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.